Recorded live. exactly which one actually has a picture of me and a Jeremy Miller from Family Ties, right? And Kirk Cameron. <laughs> You do not have I know I know you had something by speaking it into existence. You know, calling me a man. <laughs> but you haven't seen me, Marty. I mean, you know what? Look, As I told Wickstrom, I said, uh, you better not get in my way if we're hunting down a Jew and running after him, because I'll trip you, because uh, I'm going for the world record, six million and one. And I know that Pastor that might want to keep this under his hat a little bit, but uh, believe it or not, <laughs> we're setting up, uh, in, in Granby, Missouri, we're setting up a but I often look back in that in retrospect and, and I wonder if it's just the acknowledgement of knowing who controls the weather as to why our house was spared and no one else's was because it was directly on that line and the tornado just went right up over the house and landed on the other side and kept going. I never, I never, hey, I never said that. So, well, then why don't you say that? Why? Because I don't want you to know what I know. Oh, well, what do you know? You know nothing. I know your mom's name is Olga. After, especially after the Jews, the Edomites. Uh, as uh, your namesake, Obadiah, the book of Obadiah, abundantly proves. Not my real name. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now, Jeremy, would now be a good time to um, give a very exciting announcement? Yes, it's always a good time for a very exciting announcement, I say. Well, uh, Pastor Martin Lindstedt passed away this morning. No, oh, that is the <laughs> best news CI has heard in a long time. And then there's some real hook nose sheets like uh, like Bill Shatner, hook nose camera hogging. Jewish douchebag. Yeah, 
I'd say it's a lot different, or, or it seemed to be, because, you know, there's a lot of little factions now and a lot of little dogmas that have come into Christian identity to where there's a lot of, you know, like the no-devil, pro-devil belief. question? Yes. If you don't like black people, what are you doing hanging out with Marty? <laughs> well, I know. I know. Oh, I had to get that one in. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I Obadiah 118 from the land down under. Are you there, dear brother? 
I am Jeremy G'day listeners and once again welcome to this very special end of the year podcast. It's going to be thrilling, it's going to be exciting folks, so brace yourselves. Absolutely, better strap in for the ride because there's definitely lots to report and that montage there at the beginning is probably just a few of the uh, audio clips that we probably could have presented tonight, but I gotta say great job on getting all that organized because that's probably 10 different shows right there. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> it took a bit to get through it. There's so much stuff I had to leave out, uh, but I mean, the thing clocks in at uh, 7 minutes and 30 seconds as it is, so I couldn't really have it any longer. But if people would like to download the high-fidelity version of that, that's a 320 kilobits per second uh, version, you can download it right now from the show notes in the, um, the general um, discussion section of um, the ChristianIdentityForum.net. Gotta love it, and you lo- I gotta love the admission at the very end there. That that really is the punchline, and it delivers so perfectly. Yeah, and how refreshing it is to hear the papers say, I finally admit to something we've known all along is not white. Exactly, exactly. And speaking of which, it should be pointed out that old Rabbi Samuelson's making the rounds on the old anti-shows this week. Quite telling to me, I believe. Yes, um, he was on the, what was the name of the show? The Hate Project. Yes, The Hate Project. That's a little F2 click there where they post over on the F2 Anon boards, and they like having these characters on. And what was interesting about that is the first show, it actually had probably about 50 listeners. The second one, when they invited them back, didn't have very many, but it reminded me of the old 70s television show, The Gong Show. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, no matter where you know, no matter where you go on the internet, there's Marty. You know, um, putting a good word in for all us Christian identists, just showing everybody how sane, how normal, how clean living, how well behaved all us Christian identists really are. Gotta love it. And as we look back on the year 2012, you know, definitely there's a lot of provocateurs and a lot of AGL agents that have been going against people like Eli James, Bill Fink, and. You know, so it is quite refreshing and it is quite telling to actually see old uh, Marty get put in his place once more, actually being reduced to having to do anti-shows, which to me is, like you said, about him going on Kane's show. Well, it goes to show that CI people won't really have him. Yes, uh, white, nationalism, white nationalists don't want anything to do with a guy either. Now, Jeremy, I must ask you, that first audio grab we had there in that little um, compilation, was you talking about... Um, Jeremy Miller, you're in a photo with Jeremy Miller and Kirk Cameron. Now, Jeremy Miller, you said he was in Family Ties. Was that the guy who played Skippy? No, actually, you know what's interesting is in hearing that it was actually wrong. Jeremy Miller was actually in Growing Pains. So I got it backwards on that one. Family Ties, I was thinking Michael J. Fox. But I never met Michael J. Fox, but I did have the misfortune of kind of going to school with Jeremy Miller. We're in the same age group there. and There's a YouTube video on it. The Jeremy, okay. Bill, Jeremy Miller, was he, in, in, in Growing Pains, he was Kirk Cameron's younger brother. Is that the one? Yes, he was. He was the younger brother who was always getting into all sorts of trouble, and a lot of people may not remember on that television show, but for a very brief period, they brought in Leonardo DiCrapio, and he actually kind of got his start in acting on that TV show, but that's a side point. Yes, well, Yahweh will catch up with um, Leonardo DiCrapio one day for starring in Django. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a few of them out there I know that people are going to have to face judgment on. Hell, if you want to get down to it, those uh, Rapture movies, what are they called that he was in? Uh, Ted F- Flown Away or Risk? Yeah, those are horrible. They play them on TBN all the time. But one thing I do respect about the Cameron is this. Even though he's so smug in his self-righteousness, I love when he goes around Venice Beach and Santa Monica Beach telling other people they're going to burn in hell for their sins as if somehow he won't. Yes, yes, it's a very good point because, I mean, he's a Judeo-Christian. Not that there can be such a thing, but uh, he believes that the Jews are God's chosen people, so um, he's going to have hell to pay for um, that little belief. Oh, indeed. Indeed, and that's what's great about this year-end show, too, as well, is coming back and revisiting the Desert Island Versus series, you know, where we, we handpick these. It, it shows the importance of prayer, and prayer in Scripture is one of those things that encompasses so many things I don't believe the average masses even understand. When most people think of prayer, they think of, oh, somebody down on their knees praying for a raise at work or somebody who wants to wake up with a Mercedes Benz, as says Janis Joplin. But in reality, prayer covers so much from even the ability for Yahweh God to hear us. So I've been looking forward to this show, especially on the tail end of last week's show, which was an eye-opening history on, you know, the history of Australia. Yes, um, I did have a little addendum I wanted to add to that, but I forgot to print it off. But um, we might discuss that later. I can remember some of it anyway. But um, yes, uh, prayer is the primary means by which we communicate with Yahweh. And so it's very important that we know um, all there is to know about prayer, or as much as we can know about prayer, and that we actually pray. Um, So we'll certainly be looking into that in depth um, later on. But Jeremy, uh, I gave you some of my highlights of this year in that audio compilation. I was just wondering what your highlights and maybe some of your lowlights of the year year are as far as our show is concerned. When I say of the year, it's really only of the, the three or so months we've been doing the show, but we'll say the year. Yeah, well, you know what's interesting about that is I don't even really have the the count tally for how many shows we've done, but Rabbi Samuelson sure does. He keeps track of that, and probably my biggest highlight for 2012 was finally, you know, and I'm in agreement with the Nimbusters on this one, was getting to hear you and Rabbi Samuelson actually be able to go a few rounds and for you to be able to actually address a lot of the slander he's put out. That one is going to probably go down in history as being one of those pivotal broadcasts. And what's weird about that, you know, me saying that, is it's actually one of those shows we never really showcased, we didn't highlight it, we never put it on the front of the page. But ironically, it is quite popular because people love hearing old Rabbi Samuelson get proverbially beat around like the red, red-headed stepchild he is. Well, um, I'll never forget that show because um, before we were in the News Guy chat room, uh, and you made a sort of last-minute executive decision to do that show. And uh, Marty kept goading me into doing it. And I didn't want to do it, not because I was afraid of, you know, you know beating him up on air, as, uh, so to speak, but because, uh, you know, it just wouldn't be edifying. There wouldn't be much point to it. But uh, he just kept goading me. And in the end, I thought, well, be careful what you wish for, you, you SOB. You, you just might get it. And so, you know, um, I beat him up on air. And that's nothing to brag about. To say that you, you beat Marty in an argument is like saying you beat up a blind, drunken midget. <laughs> <laughs> It's not really, it's nothing to brag about. I mean, all you have to do, if you want to beat Marty in an argument, all you have to do is just simply ask him to prove anything, any of his ludicrous accusations, you know? 
Marty's, yeah, like those, Marty's like those Hispanics, those specs in that movie, The Tre- Treasure of Sierra Madre, you know, where we don't need no stinking badges. Well, Marty don't need no stinking proof. <laughs> that's that's so true. And I was I was re-listening, as I was trying to assemble some highlights, I was re-listening to the old Morris Gallette rebuke this week. And it was quite telling to actually go back and hear that. And even though it's been edited, Kerry Morris Gallette say a lot of the, the same exact things that, you know, other CI pastors have said. It's quite well, hang, hang on a sec, Jeremy. You said you, you heard his rebuke. Now, I, I know he posted that thing, but did he actually post audio about his rebuking Marty Lindstedt? Oh, indeed. indeed. Oh, you're going to have was... to post the link to that. Where, please post the I've never heard that in my life. I would love to hear that. I know many people would love to hear that. So please, where can we download that from? Okay, I, I can actually post a link in the chat room for the listeners, and uh, it's actually on TalkShoe, on the TalkShoe Network, if you go to the Aryan Nations broadcast. Now, this is Goulette and Alan Truitt and a few other people. Their number for their show is 98847, and they did a show in July of 2012 uh, called The Food Laws. And it was quite an interesting show because Alan Truett is discussing the importance of the food laws and how we should abstain from eating certain foods. And Morris Gallette is there as well. And Marty calls in and starts uh, basically accusing Mar- uh, Morris Gallette of being a crackhead and, and having all this money that supposedly never existed. And sure enough, yeah, he uh, Morris Gallette rebukes him. So you can't really find the unedited audio. I'm sure uh, Marty has it out there. But you can hear the rest of it. And what is very telling to me about the audio clip, and again, I'm posting it in the chat room, is the fact that Morris Gallette, while he was sitting in jail, said on record in this audio clip how because of Marty, once again, posting in his name all over the Internet, got him visited by the feds, and not only visited by the feds, but also uh, facing much more stringent charges. Well, now that you mention it, I, I think I have heard that show, because I, I do remember that now. I thought you meant he, he put out a, a podcast just, just after the time he, um, he uh, excommunicated Marty, but obviously he would have had to do that from jail, so that wasn't uh, possible at the time. But yes, I, I recommend people um, have a listen to that, and I'm, I'm certainly going to have a re-listen to that. That was very entertaining. Now, speaking about Alan True, what's happened to Alan? Has he had some sort of falling out with Pastor Gallette? I'm not sure. You know, what's interesting is they were having fellowship for a while there, and they were doing that show pretty much every week, if I recall correctly. And then right around mid this year, they just kind of disbanded and haven't done any other shows. So I really am not clear on whether Alan Truett and Morris Gallette are still getting along or not. But, you know, it is kind of funny how basically anyone who's ever met Eli James doesn't really fall for a lot of the lies that the ADL likes perpetuating, which is, you know, oh, he's a Jew, you know. Uh, I, I know that uh, Morris is, um, instead of doing a, an audio show every week now, he does these sort of truth, excellent um, sermons he does that he puts on video on YouTube. So I recommend people check those out. You can just look up sort of truth, Morris Collette, or you can find a link to it in the media section of my forum. Um, but they're really well well worth um, looking at and listening to, of course, and um, he, it's real fire and brimstone stuff. I really love that kind of preaching. 
Yeah, definitely. I agree that we should actually have more of that. That's what the pastors used to be back in the 50s and 60s, and definitely preceding that. And that what that's one thing we do not have in America today is the old fire and brimstone preachers. That's why I enjoy listening to Pastor Bob and James Wickstrom as well. And if I had to say, say a second pick, it would probably definitely be that, both Eli James and Pastor Bob coming on the show, because those were real meaty segments that we had. And, and I think that having the elders on and, and so easily being able to tell other people how Jesus Christ wasn't a Jew, I think those were pivotal and very important broadcasts as well. Yes, they were certainly informative. I mean, um, you know, Bob, you just let him rip, and each, each, each sort of little segment of that was sort of a mini-sermon, wasn't it? And uh, was just wonderful to hear, and we hope to have him on early in the new year, as I said uh, last week, um, perhaps in January, if we can organize it. That would be excellent. And I, I have emailed uh, Morris, but I haven't heard back from him. And there are several other people that I'm working on, and as I've mentioned before, I still, at least as far as my records show, I'm scheduled to do an interview with uh, Linda, quote-unquote, Blushing Mary America. And she has quite a lot to say about the old 2012 Logan uh, debate that went on over there as well. So maybe someday, probably when I cover that or, or I have her on the radio show, we'll discuss some of Honey Boo and Big Thumb and talk about uh, Hitler having one testicle in a time machine. And also, Jeremy, if I can't be there on that day and date, um, please ask her about demonic possession. You know, how many demons did she have? You know, did they communicate to her? Did they help her you know, find a, a parking space you know, at the shopping mall? You know, what the deal was there? That'd be good to know. I love it how a lot of these whack jobs in CI come along and they get busted for domestic violence, and then all of a sudden, well, hey, they're just rebuking demons. That's convenient, I think. Yes, well, um, I'd love to have Logan Hunter on the show to discuss, you know, um, because, you know, the Bible talks about evil men waxing worse and worse, and obviously the demon demonic activity is going to increase as we rocket towards Yahweh's second return, and I'd like to find out, you know, what, what you should look for, you know, how, how do you know when somebody's demon-possessed? What are the telltale signs? Yeah, indeed, and I suppose it should be brought up that you had first-hand experience there on the 23rd, uh, the 2012 there, the uh, end of the world a couple of days ago, and you were saying that the world was pretty much going up to hell in a handbasket. Yes, I was killed in it, but I'm, I'm better now. Excellent. Hey, you know what? If Zog can go ahead and have a little child turn around and set him up supposedly to lie about their step-grandfather and yada yada, then I guess we could be dead and resurrected as well. I guess we really are uh, pisser possums. Oh, that's right, and I'm Piss Opossum 666. Hey, but you know what? I'd rather be 666 than 665. Uh, that's what. I, I tell you what, if you paint that on your door, that'll scare away the neighborhood kids. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of the Christmas holiday, another one, probably my third pick, would be our Hallow's Eve, All Hallow's Day broadcast that we had, because we covered a lot in that, and I think it was really eye-opening, at least to our listeners, how we did a show discussing the pagan elements of Halloween, and our detractor went out and said we were promoting and celebrating Halloween, but that's another story. Well, he, he promotes Halloween every day. He goes around with half a beard. I mean, what's scarier than that? Exactly. And I think I said on past broadcasts before, you know, if, if anyone thought the colorized version of Romero's Night of the Living Dead was horrible by seeing those zombies with those yellow schlocks painted on their head walking down the road, they haven't been to Rabbit Track Road lately. 
Uh, I was telling you about this the other week, but people probably don't know this. This is a true story. Marty started... <laughs> he started up his own street gang in Rabbit Track Road. He calls it the Crips. The reason he calls it the Crips is because most of the gang members can barely walk. <laughs> exactly. There's your warlord chief right there, huh? Exactly. It'd be quite interesting. I mean, hey, if, if, if everyone in Christian nationalism wanted to get together and really please the Pope of CI this year, we could all throw down and buy him a hover round. Well, have you seen that the, we, we can't do this podcast without talking about the latest pictures of the hovel? Have you seen that from somebody downloaded them from Google Earth? Have you seen that picture of the hovel? I posted a, a pic on, on your forum and also on mine. Absolutely. you got to love it. I like how one of the Nimbusters in his commentary said he really is a crackhead because he lives in a rock house. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, that's very good. I'll pay that one. Uh, yeah, what a dump. What an absolute dive of, dive of a place. I knew it was a dump, but I didn't know it was that bad. What's that thing, what's that thing he's got outside his front door? It looks like the, the frame of a metal gate or a fence or something. Can you make out what that is? I couldn't. I spent about 20 minutes looking at that picture, and I really couldn't get past what's the blanket doing laying down in the driveway. I don't, I don't understand that one. There's like grass growing out of it. There's a blanket. I missed that one. I'll have to have another look at that. But I, I was thinking, Jeremy, the guy hasn't worked in almost 10 years, and it's not like he doesn't have time on his hands. I mean, you know, if, if I were him, and I, I praise Yahweh every day that I'm not, you know, I'd slap at least a coat of paint on the dump, you know, even a bit of whitewash, and you, you could go out in one afternoon, you know, with a pick and a shovel and level out that uh, front lawn, maybe put in some grass seeds, some rose bushes some lavender plants, you know, dull the place up a bit. The guy has absolutely no pride. I mean, any normal, healthy Israelite Aryan man would be deeply ashamed of that place. But, you know, Marty, Marty hasn't got time to fix it up. He hasn't got time to, to pretty up at all. He, he has to be on the internet slandering people. He's got better things to do. Yeah, exactly. I think somebody on Nimbusters pointed out the hypocrisy of this, and I hate really delving into this, but when you really look at it from the outside looking in, Marty going on the hate project on Christmas Eve slash Christmas, while his victim still sits in foster care, you know, being waited to be adopted or whatever because he lost his children, to me that's a little scummy, you know, and that's pretty telling about the character of the person themselves. Is he concerned about Malachi having a great Christmas, or is he concerned with self-aggrandizing? I think it's the latter. Now, now speaking of self-aggrandizing, have you heard the latest about VNN and Alex Linder's recent proclamation? Oh, yes, indeed. And it is quite interesting how you and I, years ago, actually met on VNN. And when we were posting on VNN in 2005, 2006, whatever it was, Alex Linder wasn't as antichrist as he is. But yes, I did hear about his newest proclamation that was put out on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, and that is that he's banning anyone who's Christian, much less Christian identity, from the VNN uh, Tard Corral. Now, well, from the forum altogether. Now, according to, to my understanding, he, he is going to allow Christians who were members of the for, of VNN before he made the proclamation to stay on. But um, uh, what's the bet? Eventually he'll get rid of them too. I mean, if you look at the main sections there, he's got a couple of... There's one sticky anti-Christian sticky where he calls, you know, Christ Jebus, and another one where he, you know, um, attacks, uh, attacks Christianity. So the guy's just got a mad on. 
um, uh, anti-Christian mad on at the moment, and uh, this, this is going to continue. There's no doubt about that. But, but it really, I think it's, it's Yahweh behind this, Jeremy, in the sense that um, Yahweh showing us that the divide between white nationalism and Christianity is just too big to span now. Um, you know, there is white nationalism was never the answer for us and, and it never will be the answer, but it's really Yahweh showing us that, you know, you, you can't be, have your feet in both camps. You're either with, you either believe that he's going to pull you through, that there's, the only way out is with Jesus, or you believe that, you know, your race is, you know, it's worth, we should worship the white race and the white race is going to deliver this, deliver us from all our um, problems. I completely agree. And in fact, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I somewhat kind of foresaw that 10 years ago, which is why initially I opened Covenant People's Forum, because in my way of thinking, I was saying, hey, all these discontented Christian identists over in Stormfront Theology, and a lot of the guys on VNN who were CI at the time, well, they'd have a place to go, and we'd have our own soapbox. But unfortunately, that never really happened. And still to this day, there's a devout clique of single seed liners who love staying at Stormfront Theology and and other places. So I agree with you. I think that's exactly what it is, and that never the two shall meet. And it only goes to prove that we as Christian identists should do everything we can to support other Christian identists, you know, people like yourself and, and me and other men who have Christian identity forums. They deserve the support before the atheist Don Black or Alex Lender. Yes, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. 2012 has been an important year for me because even though I... I kind of believe that um, white, white nationalism could never do anything positive for our race, certainly not at this point in history. Um, there was still the lingering doubt that maybe we could do something through white nationalism. Like, I, I always was a big fan of um, uh, Harold Covington's Northwest Front imperative. But um, not uh, earlier this month, or it could have been um, late last month, he posted a, a post, uh, and its title was God, and in brackets next to God it had S, so with God is dead. Because apparently people were sort of, um, they were, uh, Christians were coming into some of the threads there, some of the, um, the comment in the comment section, and they were, you know, they, they were derailing the, the comment section. They were, according to Harold Covington, and they were, um, you know, he, he, he might start off talking, writing about, you know, how it's important for um, people to sign up with the Northwest Front, to, you know, to come along to the Northwest Front, and then um, someone would come along and talk about um, Yahweh, and um, then that would derail the the comment section. He got so annoyed with it that he ended up putting that um, comment there, that um, post, you know, God's is dead. And I, um, it made me realise right then and there that um, there is no hope in white nationalism for our people. I, I believe in Christian nationalism. The difference between Christian nationalism is that it has Yahweh as its centre, whereas uh, white nationalism has race, has the white race as its centre. And, uh, you know, the white race always stuffs up, always ruins whatever, whatever great civilization uh, white people put together, be it Roman, Grecian, Phoenician, you name it, it always ends up in the dust. And um, the civilization that we know now is going to end up in the dust. Uh, you know, unless um, we all turn to Yahweh and, you know, um, well, as, as we said the other week, if we you know, put, put our faith in him, if we repent and turn to him with a full heart, then he'll come back and he'll cleanse the land. But there will be no cleansing unless um, we turn to Yahweh. We're not, you know, all of these white nationalist groups, they, they're ultimately going to implode, just like they... I mean, we saw a wonderful uh, example of that recently with, um, with uh, what's his face, Jim Giles, um, 
Hunter Warren, oh, Brad yeah, Griffin, Brad Gordon. himself now, and Alex Linder. I, I mean, for, for a couple of weeks there, you thought that these were these guys were going to lead all the white white nationalists, all the white people, to the promised land. But then that imploded. They all ended up turning on each other. And you know, I'm Jim Joel saying you'd like to you know rip that ripping you know cripple's throat out. And uh, Alex Linder is abusing Jim Joel's for um, wanting to you know hook up with Christians. And um, you know he blaming, you know, having a go at Hunter Wallace for being such a milksop, and it just all, it just all collapsed. So, I mean, there's your future in white nationalism, folks, right for, you know, right there. Exactly. And it is a history littered with failure, unfortunately. You know, when a lot of these guys, these secular guys like Alex Linder, in my opinion, want to throw Christianity out and denounce Christ, you know, not only are they sawing the limb out from underneath themselves, but at the same time, it's like, you must be rewriting history almost like a Jew. Because historically, you know, every quote-unquote white nationalist organization worth their salt was Christian identity or at least had Christ as their frontlets. Now we got a bunch of these atheists, you know, sitting here saying we've evolved from the same pond scum as the Negro. And I'm glad you pointed out Harold Covington. I've never really listened to the guy. But one thing I have noticed over the years and I invite the listener also to notice, when it comes to Rabbi Samuelson, if you'll really pay close attention, you'll notice that no one who is CI actually supports him. It's always these guys like Anchorage activists, Dogbuster, these guys who, are, who hate Christ. They love Marty. And to me, that's quite telling, I think. Oh, absolutely. Um, the reason um, Zogbuster, a.k.a. Antichrist activist or Anchorage activist, um, supports Marty and promotes Marty as the face of Christian identity because he hates Christian identity. He hates Christianity. He wouldn't go around sporting a, uh, an avatar, a Christ-hating avatar, if he, if he didn't. And he claims it's just a, uh, for a bit of fun. No, it isn't. He, he knows what he's doing. Uh, uh, he knows full well that um, when, when he complains about somebody complaining about a Christian identist who had some vague involvement, uh, who was recently... Um, got the death penalty or was put to death, uh, had some vague involvement with Christian identity in his past. And, and, then, and then, you know, on the one hand, he says that. And then, then the next, he talks about how, uh, you know, Pastor Martin, you know, uh, is, you know uh, is a guy to listen to, is um, somebody who's a great, uh, you know, Christian identist. And people go, you know, post, and then, then he posts a link to his forum and uh, people go to the forum and see all this talk about torture and excrement and uh, things like that. Anchorage activist knows what he's doing. He's, he's, he's attacking... Christian identity indirectly, and that's his whole whole plan. That way, he can stand back from back from it and say, "Oh, I, I didn't attack Christian identity. I, I, I you know, I, I'm pro-white." Exactly, exactly. The facade of the Jew, very, very subtle, and I think that's great. Actually, I find it quite comforting that Marty has a new home on the Hate Project and all these anti shows because. He actually, if you listen to the second interview, garnered quite a bit of sympathy from the host. The host was actually very upset and saying, hey, Marty, you know, it sounds like you uh, molested somebody and you're very hurt. You want to take it out on somebody. So it is quite fitting to actually, or at least refreshing to me, to hear how the quote-unquote sane or the average Joe deals with Marty. When someone asks a simple question like, who's Nimrod? The answer is, well, he built the Tower of Babel. You don't have to go into a three-hour explanation as to who Ham, Shem, and Japheth are, you know? Yes, exactly. Um, I, I, the first time he was on the Hague Project, I, I was in the chat room and I said to the guy, ask him about um, his torture, his predilection for, for wanting to talk, skin alive and dismember little kids. And he did ask Marty about it in kind of a roundabout way. And Marty really didn't, you know, answer it properly. He just went off on a completely different tangent. Of course, he wanted to uh, 
avoid all that. But I was thinking I might get together some screenshots of uh, Marty's various comments about torturing kids and getting the parents to eat their testicles and things like that and just having it on a, a post somewhere in my forum. So if people go into a chat room and somebody's talking to Marty and you, you post a link to it and they can look at it straight away. They can just see all of it in one hit. Yeah, that's a good point, too, because that's exactly what they do through their Photoshop methods, you know, as well. I've seen a lot of these guys, they even go to false web pages, set up accounts in my name to make fraudulent posts against me. You know, then they screen cap it and they say that's some type of proof. But I agree with you because, you know, when you really look at the ADL, the Southern Poverty Law Center, and you look at their hate list, it's predominantly white nationalists and predominantly more so than even leaders like bill you know don black and, and david duke is christian identists and so it is quite refreshing to actually go over there and see say hey they got the same exact hate list you know a equals b and one plus one still two now i'm sure there are some people out there jeremy who think that we're zogbots simply because we're saying that white nationalism isn't the answer but we don't have to be. Why would you even need to be a Zogbot, Jeremy? Because, I mean, white nationalism destroys itself without you know, any help or assistance from us. Absolutely. And you know what should be pointed out about the first Hate Project show was that, that in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, of all the people speaking on that, the nigger was the only one who had any sense. And the reason I say that is because he turned right around and said, you know, before I heard this guy Marty, I was worried. I was worried that some Klan members were going to come pull me out of my trailer and, and hang me. And now I realize, after listening to Marty, that you guys can't get your act together. And I say bingo to that. That's the whole point. That's what an agent provocateur does. While the Negro can have racial solidarity and can organize, you know, you rape a Negress, you're going to end up dead. The white race doesn't, and nine times out of ten, it's usually because they'd rather listen to the slander and the gossip and never even realize who the hell the enemy is. Yes, yeah, sometimes you, Yahweh uses the beast of the field to show us just how stupid and how just on the wrong track we are. I mean, if a black guy's talking more sense than a white guy, you know the, the white guy's in serious trouble. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's exactly the same thing Jim Giles said when he interviewed Marty, the infamous clip, shut your ripping mouth, you sound ripping retarded. But in that, towards the end of it, Jim Giles said, if that's Christian identity, quote unquote, I'll never have anything to do with it again. And to me, that was quite eye-opening because that's exactly what he exists for. It's that purpose. The enemy wants people to think, hey, who cares if we're the true sons and daughters of Yahweh? That typifies what Christian identity is, scat, rape, feces, gelding, and all of this BS. You know, in reality, if someone's truly innocent, they don't have to defend themselves. They don't have to talk about, hey, I was in Fulton County, or I was wrongfully charged. Truth either is or isn't, it's manifest or not. Well, Marty always lies about um, why Jim Giles freaked out on him. It wasn't because Mar Marty reckons it's because he was saying that um, Ed Edgar J. Steele is innocent, but that's not the case, because Marty was saying for quite some time on that show that uh, Edgar J. Steele is innocent, and I agree with him on that score, but um, Jim Giles wasn't attacking him then. It was because he wouldn't let Mona Montgomery get a word in. Mona was trying to say something, and Marty, as per usual, just kept talking right over the top of her. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I'm really looking forward to the interview with Mary Blushing America because, you know, hearing her side of it and somebody who's actually had to deal with, on a physical level, for, you know, lack of a better term, with, with Shane and Marty, 
she's got an entirely different interpretation. You know, we can make allusions to the fact through the behaviors of saying, hey, this person might be an agent provocateur or this person's shit list or essentially all Christian identists. But when someone else comes and another person and you have this collective thing going like I do, we interviews with Brian Wright and Morris Gallette over the years or whoever it is all saying the same thing then I think that's why a lot of what we do is quite important. There's a difference between having a gossip and a slander show and stating the obvious and telling the truth. Now, just getting back to white nationalism, how it isn't the answer, I had to laugh at um, Jim Giles the other day. He, um, a couple of weeks ago, he interviewed Jared Taylor, and uh, Jared oh. Taylor was inviting him to come along to one of those American Renaissance conferences, and Jim Giles said he couldn't because he had to milk his cows. So... Um, <laughs> You know, what, what, what's Jim Giles going to do once the, you know, the fertiliser hits the fan? I mean, he's not going to be able to do anything. He's got to stay home and milk, milk his cows. I mean, <laughs> these are that. leaders, folks. I mean, these are the people that, you know, promote themselves as, you know, the faces of white nationalism or the future leaders or, you know, you know, you know the helps thereof. But, you know, they can't even leave their, their properties because they've got to go and milk cows. I mean, Alex Linda can't even, you know leave his house apparently he's, he's, he's so unwell or you know can't leave it for any great length of time yeah that's a really good point in fact i was trying to make that point probably about two weeks ago i think and i was cut off but what that's exactly what i was saying is one thing i have noticed that a lot of the ones that should be suspect have in common is they all have an inflated ego they have an inflated sense of self-importance you can watch louis thoreau's documentary on tom medzger and even he thought he was bigger and greater than he truly was and that's the one thing i've always noticed about the ones i think should be suspect marty's on a show christmas eve on an anti-show talking about himself that in the minds of a normal person should automatically awaken the ideal that hey this person's viable because somebody who loves and f so freely will speak about themselves is also so freely bought and sold now jeremy another highlight for me of the of the year was our, the first um desert island versus um segment we did the, the first show we did devoted to that i really had a good time doing that and also the um the, our contribution to the 12-12-12 um, marathon, I thought, was quite a good show. Yeah, that really was a good show. And in my opinion, I believe we did the exact right thing concerning that. Because, unfortunately, when it comes to Christian identity, we do have a lot of pastors who can't see past their own doctrines and their own dogmas. And a lot of times, you know, speaking for myself as a pastor, I made and forced in a lot of ways, to make a decision and or make a choice. So no decision was made, and nobody, you know, by having Eli James on the show, nobody took sides. But the sheer amount of garbage and slander and lies that came as a result of having Eli on uh, assured me that essentially we did the right thing. What do they care? You know, why are they so upset? You want to talk universalism, I can think nothing more universalist than the Judeo-Christian ideal or, you know, the teaching that Satan's not literal. That's universal. That's what the world believes. So it is quite ironic how when you look at who the detractor is and who's starting to cause a lot of the problems, well, hey, Kesara, I think I'm, I'm looking forward to having them back in the future, just like Bob and, and hopefully Wickstrom. Yes, well, uh, it comes down to you can't please all the Christian identists all the time. I, uh, I knew that um, when I sort of suggested that to you, and it was my suggestion, folks, if you want to blame any, anybody, blame the old Labor gender bender, Meister. But uh, I, um, 
I knew it would cause problems, but I thought it, I just knew it was the right thing to do because I, I, um, you know, I thought about um, getting Eli to come in to come on the show or getting you to get him to come on the show for quite some time. But then I thought, oh, it's going to cause problems. It's going to do this, and that shouldn't be the motivation for for, for doing something or not doing something because you're worried about what other people think. You've got to do things that you think that you believe are right, and you know. Uh, you know, and I believe it was right to have him on. Now, do we agree with everything that um, Pastor Eli says? Well, I, I certainly don't. But, but um, you know, I, I, he's not a Jew and he's not a universalist. He's not out to, you know, um, get, get white people to mate with non-whites. And, and you know, it's it just... I, I know it has sort of caused a bit of a, a, bit of a rift between us and perhaps um, Bill Fink's um, group, but, but I... I I'm just not going to be involved in the rift. I'm not going to say anything bad about them. I'm not going to criticise them. Um, you know, they're still my brothers and uh, sisters in Christ and I love them and everything like that. So um, I have bear no grudges towards them, you know, no matter what's been said. You know, if I can't overlook a few things here and there, well, then I'm not much of a Christian to begin with. So, um, you know, Bill's got an invite to come on the show anytime he'd like and same with anyone else from, from Bill's group. You know, I, I, I think it's a mistake to say, you, you know, now that we've got Eli on the show, you know, um, up yours, Bill. <laughs> we, 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 not that you're saying that, of course, but we mustn't go that route either. I mean, if we're going to preach that, you know, we, should, we, we've got to, we need more unity in Christian identity or at least some, uni, you know, unity, then, then we've got to stand by our beliefs. We can't sort of crumble just because people might be saying some things about us that they, they shouldn't be. Exactly, and I, I, I agree that we should also take the high road in, in situations like that. I think the biggest question about our interview with Eli is why doesn't Pastor Visser ask him if he's a universalist? It's like, why am I going to ask a man if he's a universalist? A, if it's a title he denies. B, if it's something I've never heard. That's one of the things I believe a lot of Christian identists miss is consider the source. The same guy out there saying Eli's a Jew is the same guy who spent four years as a convicted child molester. So based on that alone, I'm not going to sit there and believe what someone else says. Well, that's right. And, and I, look, <laughs> I look at it this way, Jeremy. If you, if you, if you, don't, call, if you don't ask him about being a, a universalist, then uh, I mean, if you haven't asked me about being a gender bender, then you're gonna, you can't ask him about being a universalist. Exactly. And it goes back to one of those things. If I'd heard it with my own ears, maybe so. But I can't put my finger on something like that. And based on that alone, I'm not going to turn around and share somebody else's opinion. And that's usually what it is. Somebody will have a problem with another pastor, then their opinion becomes reality. And their opinion suddenly, well, hey, if Pastor Visser is not going to ask him why he's a universalist, I shouldn't have to. It should be manifest. I shouldn't have to ask no more than they should have to worry about what Eli James preaches. Indeed, indeed. Now, what other highlights of the year of our podcast do you have, Jeremy? Oh, there's so many. I enjoyed the Spiritual Gifts program. That ran for, what, six parts, I believe. That went on and on. I definitely enjoyed the Desert Island Discs program because I believe, or the Desert Island Verses, like tonight, because that gives new adherents or new people coming into Christian identity a portable outline, if you will. It gives them some you know, it, it gives them the ability to be able to hear a lot of the same verses that Christian identists use, for example, John 8:44, in a different light. Genesis 3:15 is is pounded in the ground a lot of times in Christian identity. So, what I think, as far as the Desert Island Verses program is, is that 
that it's a little meatier. It's not as meaty as it could be, but it's perfect for those that are new, and it's perfect for those that have you know been in Christian identity for two or three years, and they get tired of hearing, ear of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. Yes, indeed. I, I think sometimes in Christian identity we do have a tendency to... to overload people with information and there's only so much information you can absorb in one sitting you know so if you're you're rattling off all, all these various things about uh you know the the wanderings of um, israel and uh, this and that it, it can get a bit too much you know um uh, after a while not that there's anything wrong with doing that but i i, I mean sometimes we, we need to give we need to sort of distill the information into bite-sized chunks for people so they can absorb it more readily. And I think Desert Island Versus helps people to do this. Exactly. That's what I was going to point out about Rabbi Samuelson as well, is, you know, in psychological warfare, any cop or any judge is going to tell you the one who's lying is the one who's speaking the most. A perfect example of that would be Solomon. When the two women brought the child in front of wise King Solomon in the Old Testament, one woman said, hey, this is my child. The other woman said, this is my child. And Solomon said, you know what, I'm going to split the child in two. I'm going to cut him in half. And the woman who said, no, no, let the child live, give it to the other woman, just don't kill my child, she was the one Solomon deemed as being his mother, rightfully so. So what I'm saying is, when a person's drug in front of a court system, for example, on charges of statutory sodomy, or if they're asked a simple question like, who is Herod, nine times out of ten, psychologically, the liar will give you a dirge barrage of all this other useless information to keep your eyes from seeing the main point. And so that's exactly what usually happens and why I've espoused from my pulpit for years. If you ever have to deal with police or courts or whatever that is, simple yes and no answers and don't volunteer any more information than they already have because usually the man who volunteers all this useless information is the one trying to cover up his own tracks or has you know, a greater agenda. It's a very Jewish thing to do, isn't it? Just to run your mouth, to try and uh, distract people from the truth. But uh, when Christ was before um, various uh, magistrates and uh, before Pilate, um, he, he pretty much kept his mouth shut, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. And it is quite you know, eye-opening to see how if we as Christians, or especially Christian identity, would follow the example of Christ, and he's our perfect example, you know, we could save ourselves a lot of problems. Pilate... You know, when, he was, when Christ was drugged in front of Pilate and Herod, he answered them not a word, according to the King James. And that is a pivotal teaching, I believe, in CI, because in reality, Zog, the government, uh, you know, Big Brother, whatever you want to call it, loves to give the illusion that they're more powerful than they are, that they have more information than they truly do. Oh, the feds are coming, yada, yada. But the reality of it is, is government and, our, you know, American government and Uncle Zog really only knows what we give them. And that's what they use against us, and that's why I believe Rabbi Samuelson's allowed to exist. An agent provocateur's job is not to worry about whether they're made a buffoon or not, not to worry about whether they're an idiot or have a wife with Down syndrome, but it is to provoke other people into doing illegal things. Now, um, we're coming to... This is probably going to be a three-hour-long show tonight. It's uh, going to be an extended edition. Maybe even longer if you stay back to do the director's cut and do a, a sermon, Jeremy. Um, but um, so, so we're almost at the top of the hour. So if anyone would, would like to, a few callers tonight, so if anyone would like to call in, please do so. 
Yeah, that's good advice right there. And in fact, we've had a caller on the line. I'll unmute him for the time being in case he has something to say. But as you heard, if you have a question or comments or just want to share your opinions about the Obadiah and Visser show, now until the end of the broadcast would probably be a good time to do that. Callers are always welcome. Sometimes there's more callers than others. Guest six, did you have something you wanted to contribute? Okay. I believe guest six actually stated he was calling in to hear because talk she was giving him a hard time. If he oh, has something he, Yeah, if he has something he wants to share, uh go ahead and post it in the chat room. But you heard the uh you heard the call, go ahead and call in if you have something to say. Especially you, R. D. Bradshaw. I see you in the chat room. And you know Obadiah has been trying to set up an interview with you for a long time, so now would be a great time for you to call in. Well, the R.D. Bradshaw in the, the chat room is Frankenwigger. That's not the actual R.D. Bradshaw. That's, that's R.D. Bradshaw light. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What's interesting is, guess six, did you have something to say? Yeah, what's interesting is also the fact that if you really pay attention, you'll notice Marty has the keys and the passwords to uh, Logan's account on TalkShoe, so he'll troll in Logan drag oftentimes. Yes, that's uh, 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 it's the insane impersonating the insane. You've got to love it. What's, what's that noise in the background? It sounds like somebody's um, got some sort of... Oh, I'll stop now. That's me unmuting Gus. Uh, oh, right, okay. Sorry. He said he has no microphone, though, so that might become oh, problematic. So Yes, well, uh, unless we can do the show by mental telepathy, that would be a problem. <laughs> hey, you know, a lot of these guys in CI love claiming to be able to read people's minds. So, <laughs> nothing sacred. Yes, well, um, yeah, good grief. That, that, that's one ability I don't want to have. I don't want to get into people's minds. I have enough trouble with my own. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like I try to tell people I've got a lot, I've got my own problems to work out, my own salvation with fear and trembling. I'm not too worried about a lot of other people, and that's exactly the whole point. You want to, you know, if anybody in Christian identity needs to be on check or uh, on guard, it's it's the aforementioned people I said. It's the ones who walk around and say, "Aren't I important? Aren't I a leader?" That's the one thing I don't think a lot of people realize about my detractor. My detractor goes around saying, oh, don't listen to these leaders in Christian identity, leaders here and leaders there. But most people don't recognize or realize I'm not a leader. Never have claimed to be. There's nothing to sign up for. There's no uniforms. There's no monthly dues. You know, I never asked anybody in 10 years to ever even listen to me. But him saying that is giving me clout as a leader. And that's what I didn't want, and that's why I believe he's a provocateur. Well, leaders have always caused us the problem. It's, um, you know, Israel, the, the watershed moment was a bad watershed moment for Israel when they said no to Yahweh and yes to, to Saul. I mean, talk about an idiotic decision. Uh, and, and, you know, that's caused us all, so many problems, our people, so many problems, you know, down through, through history. You know, even King David made stupid mistakes that caused innocent people to lose their lives. So the last, <laughs> the last thing we want is leaders. Well, I mean, we do want a leader, but it's the leader. You know, the leader with a capital L. It's Jesus Christ, Joshua. Don't want anyone else but him. 
Yeah, exactly. You've got to worry about the ones who want to say, hey, I'm a pope. In fact, I've noticed the same sentiment from Alex Linder on his Christmas post when he's banning Christians. He's all smug in his arrogance, hey, Merry Christmas, you know, but he literally fits the biblical definition of a fool, which is he who says there is no God. You've seen it time and time again. I don't know how many of these idiots, they all have the same opinion in that, and it's similar. Oh, I know better than thousands of years of history. I know there couldn't be a God, you know. And all of this stuff, it's like, wow, okay, if you really think that you're that wise, you know, but I wouldn't want to be called a pope. Judgment begins at the house of Yahweh, and we've covered it before. What we preach and what we say to people, we are accountable for. That's the difference between the genuine and the fake, I believe, is the God consciousness. The genuine's not going to go out there and intentionally tell an untruth unless they're the enemy, unless they're a terror. Do we have someone online? On the call? No. Uh, yes, we do. Uh, news guy. How you doing, brother? Hello. Hello, brothers. It's very, very good to, to speak to you. And uh, 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 as they say here in Iceland, uh, That wasn't something vaguely obscene, was it, the news guy? No, 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 no. It was just wishing you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Oh, oh well, thank you very much. Same to you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's been a very good, interesting show so far, and uh, the chat has been very lively, to say the least. So, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate these clips uh, that uh, that I've been hearing about. Uh, who was this guy from the Aryan Nations who had invited Martin Lindstedt, or I should say Marty Lindstedt, on, and uh, then uh, Marty started accusing him of all sorts of crap, and then it just devolved into some sort of a, a, well, well, a train, train wreck. You know, it was really, really bad. Who was that guy? That was Pastor Morris Gallette, and he didn't invite Marty on his show. Marty kind of barged his way into the show like he normally does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. He uh, did, yeah. and, and what's interesting about that is if you notice, there's a point in that audio clip where Morris Gallette says the same thing I've been telling people for years, and that's, that's essentially that because Marty goes around posting in other people's names, he got visited by the police. And, and, and who he is, Morris Gallette, is actually one of the men who ordained me. He's also one of the men who, who ordained Martin Lindsay back in 2005. But unfortunately, after he got arrested, after Martin got arrested, had to turn around and publicly excommunicate him. And that's where the public excommunication comes from, because he was promoting the gang rape of wigger herd animals and prion poisoning and so forth. <laughs> Right, right, right. And, and he was uh, advocating the uh, gelding of children and all sorts of crazy things like this. And, you know, I mean, listen, you know, I mean, I, whatever your religion is, I mean, you know, you don't want to uh, advocate that type of behavior, you know. So it's just kind of crazy, you know. So Gallette did the right thing by excommunicating uh, Lindstedt for, you know, because, you know, I mean, maybe at, at one point, you know, Gallette could say, all right, in the spirit of Christ, we can forgive you. But Martin Lindstedt has not uh, in any way uh, shown any type of forgiveness. So uh, it's just very sad on his part. Now, now, News Guy, I must ask you about your relationship with um, our beloved paper CI, because apparently you've had some sort of tiff with the guy. He's not calling into your show anymore. What's the deal there? Well, I don't know what it is really. You know, apparently from what people have told me, he has said that he would boycott me until the new year. Um, 
you know, I'm not really uh, keen on letting him come onto the show and take up like an hour and a half to three hours of the show. You know, it is fun sometimes to have to have him on and to go on for that length of time. But then a lot of other, a, a lot of my other listeners then come on and say, hey, you know what? If Martin Lindstedt is going to be on for this type, I'm going to just tune out and I'm not going to listen to your show again. So, you know, I'm kind of stuck between two places right here. And so, you know, so Martin Lindstedt says he's not going to listen to, he's not going to come on to the show until, uh, you know, the new year. And then, from what I understand, he's bad-mouthing me to other uh, individuals who shall not be named right now. Uh, going on and telling them, oh, he's this, that, and the other thing, and you shouldn't go on to a show and give him an interview and blah, 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 and all of this. So, you know, my attitude right now, as far as I'm concerned, is F you, Martin Lindstedt. <laughs> <laughs> That's everybody's attitude towards him, not just yours, news guy. Yeah, I mean, listen, I can take a joke, and as anybody who has heard Marty on my show you know, he says all sorts of vile things about me and to my face over the phone. You know, so I, and I can take it. You know, I'm a big man. You know, I'm not a I'm I'm a grown man. I'm not a I'm not a little boy or anything like that who's going to whine and like you know call Abe Foxman on the speed dial or anything like this. But you know, so it's not like I'm a you know I'm I'm not going to hide behind my mommy's curtains or anything like this either. But uh, at the same time, you know, he's going and bad-mouthing me to other people saying that they should not come onto my show and give me an interview. So that's the, for me, that's where, the, that's where the red line is drawn, if you will. You know. Yes, well, you know, Marty, Marty is a genius. <laughs> you know, you, you, I'm sure you've heard of that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Well, Marty does the complete opposite, How to Make Enemies of People and... Uh, yeah, have them in a situation where they don't want anything to do do with you. I mean, yeah. Marty is just a is the world's foremost authority on getting people to hate him. Yeah. <laughs> Did you check out that that uh, that picture of his house? Oh yes, that... we were talking about that that earlier, oh. and we're saying we're saying you know what a dump. I mean, Marty's got all that time on his hands. He doesn't work. I mean, he could go. He could at least. You know, throw a coat of whitewash on it and clean up the front yard. But does he do that? No, he's got far more important things to do, like slander and tell lies about people online. You know, that's a very good point there, uh, Obi. You know, this guy, he could spend some time to rake the yard. He could, sp he could like, you know, maybe grow some crops. If he didn't want to grow some crops, you know, maybe he and uh, Roxy could start uh, planting some pagonias in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> nice place, doing all sorts of fun things together as a couple, and maybe they can use a <laughs> couple of the process. You know, I mean, come on, what is going on here with these two? Well, I was watching that show. I was watching that show Arrow the other night. It's about the Green Arrow. You know that DC costume crime fighter, and that's what I reckon Ma Marty should do. He should become a costume crime fighter, be a vigilante, do something positive. For the community, and Roxy can be a psychic, you know, squeeze her into some spandex. They can be this costume crime fighting team. <laughs> I can imagine the two of them being the guardian angels of uh, Rabbit Track Road. <laughs> Maybe you know they could contact Curtis Lewa, and he would make this whole big press conference in front in front of Marty's house, and they'd give him like uh, some red berets, and the two of them would march up and down Rabbit Track Road fighting crime. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what's oh, worse, having, having to have sex with Ro Roxy or living in that house. <laughs> <laughs> I 
a good I, point. I suppose I should put out we got five callers on the line, so if anybody has any questions, just go ahead and share them. Uh, Bruce Foreman oh. is on the line, and also Puffy, a.k.a. U.S., is on the line. Merry Christmas uh, to both of you. Gleliola, Posate Comentiaur. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Welcome, callers. Yeah, that's so, one thing the uh the in the uh the so called in the so called white supremacist groups and uh um national socialist movement, if they leave out Christ, they're putting the white race above uh Yahweh and that wouldn't you say that's a uh that's kind of uh just as bad as what the Jews do, isn't it? Yes, you I know? agree. I, I mean, it hasn't worked for us in the past, so it's not going to work for us in the future. And you only, you only have to see what's happening happening in white nationalist circles now to see that it's all just sort of crumbling down around their ears. So, it, uh, you know, it's a, it's a formula that just doesn't work. Yeah, you know, you got a very good point there, the two of you. I mean, listen, I mean, when we're talking about, um, let's just say, like, in... Um, in situations that are above our control, we have to put our faith and our trust in the higher power, you know, whether that be Yahweh or something else. You or know, Martin I mean, Well, I mean, listen, you know, <laughs> hey, Martin is going to be the savior of all of us, you know, but, uh, you know, that, that, that's a very good point. You know, I mean, I, uh, these white nationalists who go and they say, you know, there is no God or anything like that, uh, uh, it, it, I, all of the scientific... Uh, arguments and theories, they always go all the way back to something called the Big Bang, and they, they, they can never go any further back. They can never explain how the Big Bang happened or, you know, what created the elements before the Big Bang and all of this. So, you know, there always is some place for this higher power, whether you want to define it as Yahweh or something else. Uh, you know, so if for an atheist to, to, to disacknowledge uh, the existence of a higher power is, you know, it's it's beyond the beyond any kind of real logic, honestly. You know, we only have to look at the human body and all the intricate workings thereof to see that um, if all of these incredible things like the eyes and the heart and uh, the lungs were were developed through a process of evolution, they have to work. Um, the first time that they would appear, the first time that lungs appeared in a in a living being, they'd have to work function perfectly the first time. So would the heart. You know, I, I mean, so all these things have to, you know, according to evolution, they develop over a period of time, but some things can't develop over a period of time. They have to work right there on the spot. So, so, right. so this indicates that uh, there was a, a great power, a, a designing power, a, a unifying mind behind everything. And you only have to see through just the way, you know, the sun rises in the, the east of a, a morning and it sets in the west and how we have oxygen just right and the atmosphere is just right to block out cosmic radiation and to stop, stop um, water coming down or raindrops coming down like machine gun pellets. Everything sort of fits in like clockwork. So clearly there is a, a, a great, um, you know, a designing hand behind everything. Yeah, you, that, that's very, very, very good point and very, very true uh, what you're saying there, Obadiah. And, you know, the whole thing is, you know, other, another point that I wanted to bring up uh, was, you know, Pastor Visser and Obadiah, um, you know, as you've been discussing this whole like this whole concept, and I do have to give Martin uh, a, a little bit of a props here because he did talk <laughs> about the six day creation as well. So you know, so I do have to give him some acknowledgement on that. Um, but you know, this is actually uh, I, as I was thinking about this whole concept of the six day creation, and 
um, you know, that uh, white people were actually in existence before the creation of Adam and all of this. This actually um, nullifies this whole semantic argument within white nationalism about what is white. You know, it's like people are always arguing about, you know, Polacks are not white, and I mean Polacks not in the pejorative term. I mean Polacks actually, Polish people actually, you know, the Polish word for Polish person is Polak. So, you know, that's why I say Polak. Uh, and so they say Italians are not white, Mediterranean meds are not white, so forth and so on. All of that is actually nullified by the concept that you guys are talking about where Yahweh created the man or the pe the human being and then afterwards then he created a Hadam you know and Hadam was the one who could blush and do all of these things and he was the one who was set before and all his descendants or that so so it's 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 a very uh ridiculous point to be arguing when you look, when you view it from that perspective, it's a very ridiculous point to be arguing about. Oh well, okay, a Polish person is not white, or an Italian person is not white, or or even Irish people are not white. You know, I mean, it's just. It's, gee, it's, gee, well, I hope whoa, that's whoa, not the Irish case, guys, right. because I'm I'm fuck Irish. You. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. The the Irishmen here say fuck you. We're white. Yeah, you know, it's like it's like okay, everybody is white, but Damn Jew, you're not you Jew. Well, well, but everybody is white. But then at the same time, there is this whole idea about the uh, about the seed line, uh, you know, from Hadam, and uh, and and that goes down. But at the same time, uh, you know, when we're talking about uh, who is a white and all of this, that's not uh, really relevant. Well, it is irrelevant to the extent of um, there are various peoples that um, are offshoots from the Adamic line, like the. Um, the original Greeks, not the Greeks as we know them today, and the Irish, and uh, Hello UF, and uh, you know, the, or, the, or the various Celtic peoples, the the Scandinavians, and that. So um, the Adam, right. the Adamic uh, line sort of branches out into a number of goes off into a number of different tangents, but it doesn't go off into non-whites. I mean, like people believe that um, from Noah's son Ham or Ham that uh, the, the Negroes came. But the Bible also says that, you know, kind after kind. So whites begat whites if they're mating with whites. Right. Um, so, so, so you don't get any non-whites from uh, white on white uh, union. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it is, it is a very, yeah, it is. When, you, when you're talking about, like, whites mating with whites and all this, you know, but then when people say, like, okay, uh, Irish are not white because they're not uh, Anglo-Saxons or, uh, you know, so forth and so on. The arguments go on. I mean, this is, it, it, it does kind of seem to be a very um, semantical argument when you view it from this perspective of the, uh, the six-day creation. Well, if you're from the 12 tribes, and no matter what you call yourself, whether you call yourself Swedish, Irish, um, Welsh or, or just English, you know, you're still of the same DNA. So, so it's just, right. you know, it's just different tribes. Right, right, right. I'm, I'm we're not, all I'm not, humans. Right. Well, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to in any way. Um, but maybe uh, this guy because uh, he's a Jew. No, no. A a UF. You know, a, you 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 uh you have mated with a with a non-white. So uh, your offspring. Okay, I won't even go into that. But uh, <laughs> but they won't be Jews. <laughs> the Jesus. Thing, okay, maybe you'll luck out and have uh, have your kids look like uh, uh, um, uh, what the, the, the Quincy Jones kid. 
But anyway... Now, uh, now, now you if I can just, they, just chime in here for a second. They still won't be Jewish. Oh, okay, yeah. Huh? You, you know, I'm just, I, I don't really pay that much attention to race, so I'm just... Uh, I just want to make it clear, I'm just messing a little bit with News Guy. I okay, now, now US and News Guy, what are your highlights of the year as far as the, the News Guy show and maybe the OB Visser show goes and maybe even the Movement Turd goes? Are there any particular um, you know, podcast highlights for, for you guys this year? Uh, for me, it was when uh, Marty threatened to, to skin News Guy alive and uh, <laughs> uh, have... His posse uh, invade Stan's home and uh, do things that he can't mention, or I don't know. He was rambling, and I, it was hard to follow. So, so Marty said he was going to send a posse of his warlords over to Stan's place to ostensibly get Stan. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much correct. And he emailed me trying to get uh, Stan's address, which um, I would not. Uh, I don't know. You know, I just think it would be better for everybody that, you know, um, I don't, I'm not the biggest Stan fan, but I, I, I don't want to see Marty do something that might get him thrown back in jail. Oh, yeah. right. You know, it's better that, that you, you think it's better that Marty um, is on the outside, not on the inside. Well, he, he might need to go to the nut house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he might. He needs to go back to the nut house. I think that's really relevant from what anybody who played any of his shows to a psychiatrist would say, this guy's got to be committed ASAP. But, uh, you know, I don't mean to, by what I said before, I don't mean in any way to deconstruct or uh, um, 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 offend any of the people of the Christian identity uh, 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 belief system. I, I, I'm, that's not my point at all. Uh, I, I just want to make that perfectly clear. My point is really uh, uh, directed towards white nationalists in general who wind up into all of these arguments about who is white and what is white and you're not white and blah, 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 and all of that type of thing. So, uh, yeah, no, no, I understand. That does go on quite a bit. Now, now, now News Guy, what have, what have been your show's highlights uh, for this year? And are you going to have a, a special... Um, end of the year edition, are you going to play some of the highlights? I mean, you must replay at least some of the, the Logan Hunter interview. That was a comedy classic. Well, you know, the Logan Hunter classic, uh, it is already a classic. The Logan Hunter interview is already a classic. I would say my uh, arguments with Naj Radio, uh, my arguments with, uh, with uh, Marty uh, to some extent, uh, I think that when um, you and also Pastor Visser were on uh, debating Marty, uh, that were also classics. Uh, my arguments with Artie, uh, who has called in a, a quite a few times, I think also the time that I fell, I passed out asleep on the phone uh, while doing the show, I think that was and also... And got sodomized a, by Frank. We all heard it. Yeah. And then also um, there was some point when I was talking with P. Dembski. P. Dembski called in to me over Skype. And somehow I got disconnected from the show, and I didn't realize that I was disconnected. So I'm sitting there talking with Pete Damsky for, like, what goes on for 30 minutes or something like that. <laughs> I think that I'm talking to him and everything's being heard. And I just look over, I glance over at the screen and realize that I've been disconnected. And uh, poor uh, intern is in the chat and on the line with uh, Martin Lindstedt, and the two of them have been going after each other for half an hour. So, you know, that, that I think, was one of the classic moments of 2012 as well. Yes, I remember that. That was fun, funny. But another one of my favorite 
highlights of your show was when you when Jeremy was on, you had the intern on, a couple of other people. I think the Reverend Bower, I think, may have been on, and Marty oh. called in, and Marty was complaining that everyone was ganging up on it. So, Marty, Mr. Pro's free speech, Martin Linstead, demanded that you cut them off, you mute them, so he could get a word in. <laughs> the hypocrisy of the guy. That's right. How could I forget that? And I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm going, and I'm muting everybody, and I'm telling them they're on the buddy system, and. This goes on for like 45 minutes or something like that. Holy smokes. Yeah, yeah, that was really, really funny. And, of course, you know, the return of Reverend Boa, as everybody remembers, uh, all of the longstanding Nimbusters uh, and Nimonians out there. I remember the classic uh, vintage podcast of Boa's Pit, uh, Boa's Pit and uh, how he, uh, he went after everybody. And, of course, he came back on to the News Guy show uh, in 2012 uh, for a couple of times, and uh, that was also very good. And, of course, uh, when uh, Marty hung up, he, that was the first time that Marty ever hung up when he was confronted by Artie on the phone. Yeah, Artie was in rare form that day. I think he'd been drinking. Yeah, Marty really just, like, tucked his tail between his legs and hung up the phone. And I, I've never expected – I never would have expected that Marty – would have hung up and, and run away like that. You know, he's always, it, 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 whatever you want to say about Marty, you know, he is a true, uh, you know, a true fighter to the end. And, well, uh, well that, not really. There was his fight, supposed fight, uh, uh, organized fight with Glenn Miller, but he turned tail and uh, ran on that. Oh, okay. 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 See, I don't, I don't remember that one. But, uh, but uh, you know, so I guess there are two times. But at least the first time was, you know, with this uh, when he confronted when Artie confronted him, and uh, he ran and he tucked his tail between his legs and ran off like the little girl that he is, you know. So, uh, <laughs> Hello, Pastor Martin, if you're listening. And you know, the other thing was that I don't know if you guys listened to that Hate Project show uh, that he did on Christmas Eve, and very good for you. Yeah, Mark. we were discussing. Sorry to interrupt, but we were we were discussing that uh, earlier on. But please continue. And, you know, Pastor Visser, you're very good to point out that uh, this guy is on Christmas Eve with this other guy, an anti-racist from F2 Message Board who is responsible for the hacking of Nimbusters. And all of a sudden, this guy's on there Christmas Eve, and poor little Malachi is still sitting in some sort of a, uh, some sort of a, a government project uh, organization uh, waiting, you know, with a serenity. You know, this is horrible. But... Uh, uh, beyond that, uh, the whole thing was that uh, he did admit, um, Pastor Marty did admit to uh, sodomizing uh, poor little Malachi that night. Yes, did he ooh. actually admit it, though? Yes, I don't think he did. He, did. <coughs> he did not only admitted to, quote-unquote, kissing his penis, but also uh, licking his backside. Oh, yes. wait, are we talking oh. about Marty or Malachi admitting? Marty. <coughs> Marty uh, admitted. Yes. You have to download the archive before it's, uh, before it's deleted off the Internet. So, so, so wait on, let me get this straight. Marty actually admitted, you've got audio of Marty admitting that he kissed his grandson's penis, is it, or his stepson's yeah. penis. Is that right? Or am I hearing that right? Marty is on the Yes. <coughs> you, gee, that's the first I've heard of that. Gee, well, well there you go. Well, Jeremy, are you aware of this? Yeah. I actually heard that as well, and I've seen several posts on Nimbusters and F2 and other sites 
where they've all mentioned the same thing. And if you listen to it, the second show, the one he did on Christmas Eve, that news guy's referencing, if you actually listen to it, sure enough, he does. And I hope one of the pneumonians actually gets it and will put that audio clip up. I've got it in archives, so it won't be lost. But, yeah, he actually does admit to it in it. So uh, this is doctored audio. This Nimrod. is real audio. This is real audio. You can hear it, and uh, hopefully one of the Monians, perhaps whoever is putting up all of these Pico Song, uh, uploading all these audio archives on, on Pico Song, uh, will uh, do the same thing uh, with uh, this uh, this audio from the Hate Project. Yeah, good stuff, and that yeah, and then, yeah, and it's a good point too as well. Because these self-aggrandizers, they feel they're more important than anything else. And I don't think a real Christian identity pastor would really go on that show and consent to being interviewed on the gong show of talk show. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'd like to inject something here. I think Marty is in your chat room as Rabbi Kevin Roberts. Uh, If you're following what he's saying, or someone imitating him because he's, Calling people Manzers and uh, saying a lot of nasty things about me and News Guy. Oh no! Yeah. Gee, what a yeah, shock! Marty right. saying something unkind about somebody. I find that hard to believe. That's right. <laughs> well, he's well, usually uh, the first know, one to say me, he, he hates you a lot worse than me, and I took over his show one time. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you know, so and that was actually one of the, the highlights of 2012. I can, I, for some <laughs> reason. I just, because I, I, usually, you know, Martin's show is so late on in the evenings where I'm at that I can't listen to it. But I had the night off. I had the day off the night. The, 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 I had the next day off. So I decided, all right, I'll listen in. Somebody all of a sudden chimes in, hacks into Marty's show, takes <laughs> over, and starts uh, doing the Fresh Prince of Bel Air and, and all kinds of crazy things like this. That was hysterical. <laughs> oh, dear. You know, there is a lost classic with Marty and Pastor Visu. It was the first time they had their full, uh, a full ding-dong argument on air. And, and Jeremy was really, you know, getting uh, hoeing into Marty, and Marty was going, wait, 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 wait. Do you remember that, Jeremy? Oh, yeah, indeed. I, I, remember, I remember every show I've done against Marty, yeah. Well, that was a lost classic. I don't know where you can get that online, if it even exists anymore. But that was just so hysterical. Marty was sort of, it was like he was quacking like a duck. Now, wait, 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 wait. So if anyone can get a hold people, of that early podcast, I'd love to hear it. I'd pay good I, money for that one. That was a classic. I'd fix his house up if he would never sing again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a hand, mate. Yeah, Obadiah, do you remember which show that was on? It was. It would have been at least a couple of years ago. Um, I'm, there may be a link to it, Jeremy, in the um, the Purgatory of the Hell section of your forum. Um, but it'd be one of the very early posts because I think I posted a link to it. But if you can get a hold of it, that is absolute comedy gold. I mean, Marty was just. I mean, he's a babbling idiot at the best of times, but he was he was a babbler among babblers that night. I, I don't know if you can even get that um, that podcast now. And you can't get... I wrote a, a little song for him to the tune of Walker, Texas Ranger, and Marty, <laughs> Marty rewrote it a bit, and he put all homosexual references in it, like he's talking about his standing behind Brian Rio with a hot poker. <laughs> and... Uh, you, you can't get that anywhere now. Marty's completely removed that from the internet. So um, they're, they're two, 
Two lost classics. If you can get a hold of those folks, it's comedy golden, those. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, 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 that's, that's, that's something that would have to be heard, definitely. You know, when people uh, play back, and some, I think, I, I'm not sure, but I actually believe Pastor Visser, um, it was on your YouTube uh, uh, website um, that you uploaded uh, Marty singing all of these Christian hymns. <laughs> yeah, Marty Rabbi Samuelson sings Christmas classics, indeed. Yeah, and I played part of it on my show last week, uh, which is heard every Saturday, 10 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, uh, somebody uh, said in the chat room that their cat threw up all over the place when they heard it. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> God, gotta love it. I know that's that's the thing about it. Is, is you know that thing gets more YouTube views. I think our YouTube channel is up to like eighty five thousand something views, and there's probably at least a couple hundred on that one. And everyone comes to the same consensus. Man, he's got golden vocals that Sinatra can't beat. <laughs> uh, some good stuff. This guy, you know, it, it's gone viral. And, uh, you know, he's become, a, I think, you know, he's become something of a white nationalist meme. You know, uh, I, I don't know what he represents, but uh, I, I think at least that family portrait, you know, somebody can uh, maybe uh, start a meme with that. Uh, I, I, it would be a very interesting thing if it goes viral. Well, I know what he represents, and normally um, the average person flushes them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And who also could forget the the great show of Logan this year where I believe one of the callers called in and beatboxed over him like one of the fat boys. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I, I still haven't downloaded that show yet, but I'm definitely going to have to get that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody hacked into his show again. I don't know who who is able to do this and how they're able to do it, but, uh, you know. It, I it's know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me just put it this way. Marty should not use the same password over and over, which happens to be Manzer. Manzer, of course. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's so typical, I know. <laughs> well, there you go, Jeremy. You can do your own movement turd now. Yeah, exactly. If I wanted to be not heard, I'd hack into his account. Well, <laughs> and I think uh, TalkShoe has updated their software because used to two you could log in as um uh, you could there could be two uh you know like if you could log in like if I knew news guy's show I could call his show and log in as news guy and then he can't delete you um so uh, you know but I think they've they've re uh done their software put the security update in where only one uh uh, admin can be there at a time, darn it. I see, I see, yeah, yeah, Because yeah. they are kind of slow on uh, responding to things here on talk show, you know. I, I've noticed that. For example, you know, like Alda, the, not to get into the TI thing, but, you know, this uh, this one, Alda <coughs> TI, you know, somebody has somehow flooded her chat room uh, or during some sort of, uh, right in the presence of the uh, talk show uh, administrative staff, and uh, they all saw this death threat being flooded in the chat room, and they still haven't responded to 
her complaints about it, you know. So I, I don't know what's going on with that. And uh, uh, it, it is very funny to see, you know, that they aren't responding as quickly as they should. Now, is uh, news guys, Elder related to Chuck in any way? I have no idea, to be honest with you. Other than the fact that they're TIs, I have no idea how they're other, otherwise related. Yeah, I heard that interview with Chuck, and I really felt sorry for the guy, because with Marty, I mean, Marty's such a buffoon, you can laugh at him. There's no problem there. But I, I felt, I, I just couldn't laugh at poor Chuck, because, I mean, it must be terrible to be so paranoid and to, to think that everyone's out to get you. I mean, you know, he was talking about those 20 people at Safeway, you know, where... <laughs> stopped him from exiting and I was talking to Jeremy about it I said it's a good thing it didn't happen at uh, Costco there would have been 200 people blocking his exit <laughs> uh, yeah I think I'm sorry go ahead go. oh I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt I was just watching the chat I, I never called Logan's show except I think I called it once or Chuck's show that and then news guy it wouldn't let he wouldn't unmute me because news guy told him I was gonna hack his show ah uh, yeah well you but know I never was... called Logan's show uh, well, you know, there was the guy um, who does the uh, voice of George Takai. He called into um, uh, Van Lottie, <coughs> and uh, he was posing as uh, George Takai, of course. And then later on, he called in and he apologized. He said, listen, I was just making fun, you know, I was just having some lulls, you know, and all of this type of thing. And actually, you know, um, the, to, to, to Van Waddy's credit, you know, he was saying, he was laughing about it. And he thought it was hysterical. You know, he was, when he realized that it was just a joke, he thought it was great, you know. So, you know, there you go. I mean, it's, uh, I think, you know, it, it is, uh, there, there, there is a difference between, you know, the stalking and between the lulls and having fun and, uh, you know, hurting individuals, you know. But uh, uh, Marty is just uh, so way out there, and he always puts himself up as this fall guy, you know. He's just, he's just asking for it. Just like oh, Hal, he's, yep. he's, someone's going to take him seriously. He's going to piss off the wrong people. Yeah. Uh, but now, thanks to, to news guy, Chuck thinks I'm this uh, crazy murdering felon by the name of Gino Perez. And he won't even. He's got. He's banned me from his his chat. Oh, uh, sorry, Pastor uh, Visser. I think I gave you a hard time one time too. But I was just messing around. <laughs> yeah, you're the guy. You, if you're the guy that rings up and asks asks people that they'd like to kiss your wiener, are you the guy that does that? Just Marty. Just Marty. Oh right. Because he's I, a I wiener kisser. Is, is it is it boiled or microwaved? Oh, it's rather large, actually. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> Moving right along. So much for that joke. Okay. Jeremy, well, you know, I get like, like that all the time. I go to the Blockbuster. I have 30, 40 people stare at me, but I always just assumed it was because I'm a handsome man. Oh, I thought it was because you walked in there in the nutty. <laughs> With half a beard, you're going to get some stares. <laughs> now, you know what the weird thing was? When you talk about the half a beard thing, he said on his last <clears> show, <throat> said on his last show, that he was over in uh, some, uh, you know, Berengian casino uh, uh, with Berengian? Rock. Berengian, you know, Berengian, you know, the, the people Yeah, who those came... little guys with the sharp teeth on Star Trek. Yeah, Fringies. Yeah, no, okay. no, 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 no. The, 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 the alcoholics who came across the Bering Straits 2,000 years ago and who, who through, liberal, uh, through liberal ideology all of a sudden claimed uh, the, to be the first people on the on the North American continent. That's who I'm talking about, UF. But anyway, oh, that was the Chinese. 
Did you say, news guy, did you say alcoholics that come across? The alcoholics, the Barangians, the casino owners. Yeah. All right, okay. The Barangians. Please continue. Guys with the pointy ears. For the the uninitiated, when I say Barangian, I mean Indian, as in casino owner, not dot head, okay? Yeah, I know what you're talking about, but you're – and that theory is absolutely right. That's who settled uh, America. You know, genetics backed me up on that one. No, 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 no. Well, they were Salutrians. No, that's all bullshit. The Seleucians were the first. We already have archaeological evidence to prove that. Uh, check out YouTube for uh, the, the, the first Americans and all of this type of stuff. You can check it out. Except no anthropologist of any credibility actually believe that. It's a racist bullshit. But, you know, and, okay. Anyway, beyond that point, I, I don't mean to digress, but the point is is that Marty was over at some Barangian casino uh, last week, and he's walking around with a half a beard. And some security guard asks him about this, and uh, he starts going into Christian ideology and saying how he wants to kill masters <laughs> and all of this. I thought that was a, a riot. So, so, so this is obviously he he recounted this obviously on a movement tour, did he? Yes, on the last week, uh, the last week's show. Yeah, yeah. And did he win anything? He didn't say. He didn't say. He he did, he, but he he won a thousand dollars, but it cost him three thousand dollars to do it. All <laughs> <coughs> oh, right, know, like that, Marty has that kind of money, you know. Well, or, 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 or maybe he tried to hold it up the place up at gunpoint, and that was his fine. <laughs> oh, he wouldn't want to do that. Those uh, Native Americans get all uh, nasty about that shit. Me get fire up them with fire water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, Jeremy, do you have any um, Native American casinos in your vicinity? <laughs> yeah, you know, for somebody like Marty who goes around saying I'm so Cherokee and Brooks has an extensive history of Cherokees, I've never seen an Indian in Georgia. Lots of Negroes, lots of Mexicans as of late, but I've never seen a Native American, quote-unquote. Yeah, and, you know, I've seen um, uh, through um, what Marty has posted, um, I've seen Pastor Visser's picture, and he's about it. He is white, you know, and his children are as, as white as it gets. You know, this is the whole thing. I mean, Marty is always trying to slander people, you know. Uh, he's got to get off it somehow. I don't know. Well, my pictures have been posted online. Just look for any female pic on uh, Nimbusters. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you seem to also... Uh, uh, Rio's picture seems to have a penis on his forehead every time I comes up for some reason. Really? Well, I'd be suing that plastic surgeon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Hey, now, <clears throat> now the, the the big rumor was this week that there was some there was some woman, uh, a female poster. I forgot her name now. Um, what was it, Lily? Like pure Lily or something yes, like yes. this? Okay, so there was this poster, pure Lily who Marty was trying to hit on, but she turned him down, and she went with Brian Rio. And uh, Brian Rio was the one who got her, and that's why Marty is all angry about Brian Rio, and that's what started the whole feud between the two of them. So Brian rejected Marty's advances. Ah. You know, that actually makes sense as well, because according to Marty, this pure Lily character is supposedly his only witness 
as to how this other pastor, Mark Downey's wife, is supposedly a whore. But if you listen to Marty, he'll he'll call her pure silly and say she's a barren couche and all of these things. And it does kind of, it stands to reason, that makes a lot of sense that maybe he went to go hit on this woman because she's CI. She rejected him, and like you, news guy, me, Obadiah, or anyone else who's ever dealt with Marty, has now had a year, two, five-year-long campaign of slander against her. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, well, who has who has it Marty slandered? That's a good question. I'm still looking for I'm still looking for one. I got Well, I would say Logan, except Logan, he actually called Logan a retard on the news guy show. So, <laughs> that's right. That's right. He he said on my show that uh Logan is a retard. And he's repeated that a couple of times on his own show. He says that Marg- uh, Logan is some sort of a, a dimwit, uh, slow person, an idiot, uh, you name it. I mean, he said these things about Logan, you know. And poor Logan, I feel sorry for Logan because, you know, even though, listen, I mean, you know, whatever you want to say about Logan, you know, he does, he's trying to be somebody, he's a striver if you want to say that. You know, he's one, somebody who is trying to, to to get to the truth, you know, and so uh, you know he's really uh, he's really the trying. The truth is to... out there. He's well, traveling in the wrong direction. Somebody's rerouting. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. You know. So I mean, unfortunately, this poor guy is uh, now uh, uh, locked up with Marty somehow, <laughs> and Marty is just using him as like you know Pinky as opposed to uh, Marty's brain. You know, if you guys remember that cartoon, Pinky and the Brain. You know, so uh, this is the whole problem with poor Logan. I feel sorry for the guy. Well, I actually like Logan in a way. He's strangely likable, guys. You couldn't really hate him. I mean, he's, uh, he's a knucklehead. There's no doubt about it. And when it comes to theology, I mean, he's, he's completely off track. I mean, that, that, that's an Indian train wreck, that one. That's derailed. But um, he, um, I heard that he's staying over at Marty's place at the moment. Can anyone confirm that? Or is that just some scuttlebus um, generated on Nimbusters? Well, they tore down the chicken coop. <laughs> yeah, put a chandelier in there like my big redneck vacation in the chicken coop. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised at that because actually I've been talking to uh, Linda, you know, a couple times in the last week or so. And while Shane supposedly is actively employed as a mailman and all these other things in Smyrna, Tennessee, he uh, still found time to leave Tennessee and drive all the way to New York to stay with her for, you know, an upwards of a week or so. And, of course, she has a lot to say about that. But, you know, in our conversations, I think the most enlightening statement she said centered around the fact that she wanted to take old Logan to a Monet exhibit in New York. And Logan went off right there in, in Times Square screaming, going off, telling everybody how Monet was a Jew kike. And it just goes to show that if you can't get the flesh, a French painter right, you know, yeah, I don't. The guy's not too swift. I would have gone to her to that exhibition. I love that sort of painting. I love classical painting and the impressionist, the, the good impressionist, French impressionists were great. Absolutely, yeah. and Monet is definitely not a Jew. But you know, you know, just like a lot of these guys, and me and Obadiah have pointed it out numerous <laughs> times. They see a Jew under every bush. That's why we laugh about the talk. Talk show, talk shoe Jews, so many times. Because when the beatbox called in or his line was dropped, oh, he's blaming it on the talk shoe Jews. It's like, then don't use talk shoe. <laughs> you know? 
That's right. You know, I mean, everybody who was always so afraid about posting on Nimbusters and, and, you know, Marty continues to say that Stan is data mining and blah, 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 and all of this, you know, they're going on to some website that they don't know in, who in God's name is running this thing. And, you know, I mean, considering all of the shows that are being run on this website and all of the data that's being stored on this website, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a, a small individual who was running this place. And uh, they're willingly putting out talk show shows for hours on end. And uh, it's very well known that the talk show chats are being recorded and are archived. <laughs> And so, and, and you know, and, and it does, it's beyond concept that, that, that these people are, 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 are so paranoid about one thing, yet are willing to go and uh, spew everything out on something that they have no assurance of. You know, it just, it makes no, no, con, no, 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 no real logic. No, well, no I find Logan Dan's too drunk yeah. and, and his brain is pickled for any data mining. He can barely do HTML. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but I mean, Stan totally went off on me one time, and just about everything he said about me was was wrong. And I mean, he has access to the. Uh, I mean, he's always accusing people of doing things on his board, and then he goes back and say, "Oh no, that wasn't them." And I used to get if I post on his board. I mean, and I admittedly. You know, I'm kind of I like stirring things up, but I get blamed for everything. Well, does Stan allow people stuff to post? Do. Do, does Stan allow people to post HTML on his forum? Can you post scripts there if you wanted to? I don't. I, I don't know. Actually, UF would probably be able to answer that a bit better. But I've tried in the past to to post just very simple um, HTML scripts. <laughs> it has. You can't been. really know. Um, I mean, I'm no real hacker. I just mess around when I have time. And <clears throat> but Stan's running the board from a script, HTML script that's just terrible. Well, it's from the, old, <coughs> it's the reason why it's you know it's it's the way that it is and that it is so antiquated is because he is maintaining it in that style that is a parody of the um, the, the the NIM. Uh, the natural attendance movement. So, you know, even though I think that really, I think that Stan, in all honesty, you know, I mean, I would not mind it. Let's just put it that way. I would not mind it if he scrapped this current format for um, something similar to the F2 board. You know, I I, I wouldn't mind it at all. You know, but, um, you know, but the thing is, is that the, the script that he's using is so antiquated it hasn't been updated for like years on end. So anything that he's doing is really just um, him going in and doing it um, um, by hand, you know, just by just you, you by can yes, I sir. make you a can I make you a warm honey and um, apple cider vinegar drink or something to ease that cough? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. I'm t- I'm I'm taking some cough medicine right now. I. Uh, everybody in my office has come down with this crap, and now I got it. So that does go to show how, just like I said earlier, a lot of these guys just have an inflated ego and, and, and a sense of self-importance. You know, to hear Marty tell it, 
you, you know, this whole sodomy charge and all of these things is because he was such a prolific and important figure in white nationalism. They just had to bring him down to protect everyone else, when in reality, the exact opposite is true. He's an asset to the ADL. And, and so in a lot of ways, that's why me and Obadiah like having a, a little chuckle at the whole talk shoe Jews you know, thing. It's like, you know, no one's stopping these guys from having their own server, not going to Nimbusters and posting it or going to talk shoe. But I think they realize if they did that, they'd have no listeners. That's hey, right. U.S. and News Guy, did you hear the um, the last audio grab in our um, 99 Look Balloons um, compilation? Because Marty admits he's non-white in it. Yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, uh, I, I've heard the latest... Uh, Version and she looks amazing. I mean, for all those years to have passed, but I, I wasn't. Uh, Marty didn't sing along to it, did he? No, I, I, I doubt that. She had a beautiful voice, a sexy voice. I mean, yeah. and you know, Obi, it would be great if you could isolate that clip or at least you know put it up there uh, for uh, for some of us to download uh, to to use in our own. Uh, compilations and, uh, and and audio uh, montages there. It would be very, very helpful, uh, to say the least. Yes, well, I, I'll see. I have got it on my computer, so okay. I've still got all the various bits and pieces that I, I glued together through Audacity. So, um, yes, I'll, I'll post something online and people can check that out. Okay. And, uh, and Pastor Visser, there is somebody, Guest 23, is saying, please play this 20-second uh, audio clip. I don't know what it is, but they're saying. You might want to vet that, Jeremy, before you play it. It could be something completely filthy. Definitely. Oh, it's the Trolling the Ant Farm T.I. show. Trolling the Ant Farm. (laughs) Yeah, you want me to play it? (coughs) Yeah, yeah, that was one of the best moments of 2012 also, yeah. Okay, definitely. I'm going to go ahead and play it real quick. Okay. that guy i keep seeing um posts about him who is steve holston what what was his deal well steve is in a very very interesting character basically he posts the same thing every time uh about uh uh people wanting to suck uh uh news guy what's his what's his little uh he says uh, he says uh you just want to suck my big old dick yeah. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes he varies it like, uh, well, you can't think clearly because you got my big old dick in your mouth or something right. of that and, nature. And this goes back to the old Hal Turner <laughs> message boards, um, where he was on there and everybody was attacking him for supporting Hal, and uh, his response to everybody was, "You just want to suck my big old dick," 
and uh, he would post this gif of some guy masturbating constantly. So, so hey, Steve, Steve was just one of these um, middle-aged adolescents, was he? You just, um, you know, uh, never been kissed, and uh, well, he, his way of sort of getting a, a, the attention that he couldn't get in real life, is it? The, some of the first posts he made on Nimbusters, he came on and started asking people for sites, trolling for sites uh, of young hairless, the young hairless ones. So. Uh-huh. Right, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then his son was actually arrested uh, on a sting operation, one of those to catch a pedophile things. Yeah. Oh, good grief. So I some of these people that post in Nimbusters, they're, I mean, obviously most of them are just guys there having a bit of a, a lark, but do you think that there are fair dinkum pedophiles in, in Nimbusters, fair dinkum sexual degenerates? To be honest with you, I don't really know if that whole thing about uh, uh, Holston's son has actually been proven. And actually, from what Holston said on Reverend Boa's show, the podcasts, uh, which are still available on the Internet, um, you know, he has said, you know, he really explained it all, you know, when he went on uh, Reverend Boa's show. And, uh, you know, it it really was just uh, some sort of a... um, uh, a twist and then a turn done by the Antifa against somebody who was supporting Hal. You know, at that point, you know, we're talking about 2003, 2004. Nobody really understood what Hal was really doing. And, um, you know, Hal was, uh, you know. And, uh, Except and, Schwartz. And, Schwartz said it all along and no one listened to him. Well, yeah. I mean, Schwartz said it all along. I mean, there were a lot of indicators that were uh, pointing in that direction, uh, which we don't need to get into. But, you know, Holson was one of those, if you want to say, like a uh, tried and true believer, if you want to say, you know, a bitter ender, if you will. And so, uh, you know, so he was always defending Hal. And uh, the Antifa, who were also posting on uh, Hal's website, um, then wound up twisting his words and using them against him and making him out to seem like he was a pedophile. But when he went on uh, Reverend Boa's show and he explained everything in his own words, you know, he under it made it perfectly clear. The guy's no pedophile. The guy's just, you know, a regular individual who's concerned about the, the, uh, the plight of the white race, you know, and he doesn't really understand it in a, in a, in the larger context of CI or anything else. You know, he's just understanding it on the grassroots level, you know, about what's happening to white people in Missouri. He's not very smart. Well, well, if he was, well, that must account for it, because why was he going around asking people to perform fellatio on him if he's, you know, concerned about the white race? It's not something, you know, a proper white racist would be into. Well, yeah, I, mean, I think that was more of like just an insult to the people to drive them away and to tell them, instead of saying F you, you know, his attitude was, you know, let me yeah. be a little clever with it, you know. And, and, yeah, he and claims it, he's not homosexual, although when he was, and he told this on himself, when he was a uh, child, he had an uncle that uh, may have tampered with him a little bit. <laughs> I don't remember that, Web. No, he he did. I I I'm not. This isn't the normal UF bullshit. I mean, he uh, he said he uh, <clears throat> the uh, the uncle was trying to, and this was on Nikki's, uh, and uh, this was definitely Steve. But okay. nothing happened. Nest. Uh, if it was on the Nikki Nest message board, you know, on the on the comment section of her blog, 
I mean, there were a lot of imposters, and that was right. But that wasn't one of them. He was um, uh, ZZ Diesel. He was the only ZZ Diesel on there that I know of. Okay. So, Nikki, was she? Um, is she a black woman? No, she's white. All oh, right, yeah. I think it's a loosely, loosely white, but Nikki from <laughs> Nikki's Nest, yeah, she's uh, she's a liberal. Because yeah. the guys on the guys on VNN originally accused me. Uh, this is uh, Bill White's mob. This is where the transsexual rumours of my being a transsexual, which have been greatly exaggerated, I might add, came from. They they accused me of being some black anti-racist woman that did a show out of New Jersey, I think, and Marty. Or um, John Britton got a hold of that, and they thought, oh, you know, Obi must be a transsexual, and that's how the um, the legend of my being a an Obi gender bender was born. Well, <laughs> and you have that. Uh, I mean, Obi, in, in defense, I I well, I may have uh, perpetuated that rumor too, but uh, I can't remember oh, for sure. Oh. But you use a, a your uh, icon is a female. <clears throat> well, well, that's true, but I, I, I the reason I have a picture. Uh, uh, of a female as my avatars because I find them attractive. I mean, if I had a picture of a, you know, a, 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 a hot rod or, or some sort of motor car, that doesn't mean I'm a motor car. You know, if I have a picture of a mountain range, it doesn't mean I'm the Himalayas. You know, you can be different from your avatar. If you go to one of these file-sharing websites or gaming forums, every second guy has a picture of a beautiful woman. That doesn't mean that they're all, you know, rife with transsexuals. So you've never put on your uh, grandmother's panties? Uh, not, not today, I haven't, no. Oh, okay. Well, I won't spread that rumor. Uh, okay. Plus, I've been drinking. Should be pointed out, uh, friends, we actually have Podemsky on the line. There, brother. Hey, what's going oh. on, guys? You guys should have lots of fun now. you got a... Uh, an actual uh, confirmed Jew, I guess, on the board. So, Yay! You know. Who's the Jew? <coughs> Apparently it's uh, me. Oh, oh, apparently you. it's me. I'm the only one who is actually uh, confirmed. <laughs> At least, you know, my parents were Jewish, so there's no way I can get around the being Jewish uh, tag. So you got yourselves a Jew. And uh, I work for the Jews, and uh, well, well, the Jew in denial. You're telling us you're Jewish. What, are you, you a literal Jew or are you having a joke with it? don't you? You claim to work for Tiva, don't you, UF? Yeah, I do work for Tiva. Claim to That's work about for the Tiva. only thing I, really... I ever told about myself in uh, in my whole time on the Nimbusters. That's well, I always give a little grain of truth, but you don't want those assholes to get your personal information. No. So, I mean, are you telling us you you are to a talk Jew? To talk you Jews or who? Who do I not want to get my information? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm not a Jew at all. I'm an Irishman, but uh, a long-standing Irishman. Maybe I got some. I don't know. I'm from Texas. Might have some Native American, but I mean, uh, I'm red-haired, blue-eyed. But the Native American. Everybody has to say they're a Native American. Blacks say they're Native American. Whites say they're Native. But what is it with this Native American bullshit? I don't know, news guy. I don't know that I'm Native American, but it's possible. It's possible. It's very thin. Some sort of a fucking, many years ago, he took a video camera to some hippie fucking Woodstock fest, and he he was interviewing all these, like, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, red-haired, blue-eyed, 
Fraulein, I mean, I swear to God, they, they, you couldn't get whiter than these women. They're all saying, oh, I, I'm part Native American. Fuck off! Yeah, I agree with you. Actually, I pointed out before, I believe a lot of this Native American hysteria, at least by way of whites, stemmed in the late 60s from the Billy Jack movies. Billy Jack goes to Washington and everything else, because here's a white man, Tom McLaughlin, playing an Indian. Suddenly, all the hippies were walking around saying, I'm part Cherokee, when they really weren't. <laughs> well, if you remember that old commercial with the Indian walk, uh, he's on a horse walking along the water bank there, and he starts crying because all the trash. Guy oh, yeah, Indian. Mutual of <laughs> Omaha. Sure, you made the Indian cry. Yeah. Yeah, guy wasn't even Indian when he died. It's obituary. They just happened to mention, oh, by the way, you know, this guy's not uh, Native American, Indian, yeah. Berengian, whatever you want to, whatever they're calling them this week. Berengi? I thought those were those guys with teeth of Star Trek. And then, and then when, uh, when, 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 uh, what's his name? Uh, the, the Godfather there, who later came Oh, yeah, up, yeah, yeah. He sent up he, Little Wildflower or something. Yeah, like that, that. that woman was just an actress. Oh, Marlon Brando, yeah, he moved out to an island with a bunch of naked uh, natives. Yeah, but Marlon That was kind of cool. Marlon Brando put some Barangian bitch up there to come up there with a fucking headdress on her head and a fat feather in the middle of her forehead, walking up there going, how, everybody? And the bitch yeah, I don't was like, I don't find Barangian women fucking, particularly attractive. Fucking actress will fucking off of uh, Hollywood Squares or something like this. Come on. This is bullshit. The whole Barangian thing is a lie, people. And then and then and then Marlon Brando goes off on some tangent in, in, on the Larry King show, saying how come the Jews have never created the stereotype of the Jaime while they can perpetuate the the, the stereotype of the, the of the Anner and and all these other negative stereotypes of every other uh, every other ethnic minority in America, and he's branded an anti-Semite for saying this, you know, and it's 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 utter bollocks. I'm sorry, you know, the whole thing. It's just a lie. Jimsky, have you ever been to Israel? <laughs> have I ever been to Israel? Yes, I have actually. I, I've been to Tel Aviv. There, that was. I mean, the people there are, are just really friendly, unless you're a Palestinian. But uh, you know, um, I haven't been a lot of places, but that was definitely one of the coolest cities I ever spent time in. I was yeah, a lot younger too, so me. I could enjoy myself a little more. I wasn't married. Um, had some great weekends there. It was a good city. But, yeah, like you said, as long as you're not Palestinian. Mm. I mean, and I tried to tell. I, I just can't find it in my heart to hate any race. But the Israelis were were very, very uh, friendly. At, when I, You know, I've been there four times, business trips. But the beaches there, oh, my God. I love yeah, those women. Yeah, beaches right, right there, all those hotels, nice Sabra women, you know, pretty nice. Um, and the only place I got hassled in the whole country, and I wasn't, like, directly hassled, was in a bus going through the fuck, excuse me, gentlemen, through the West Bank, and mm -hmm. all of a sudden my bus is getting pelted by rocks. It was a Palestinian throwing rocks at this bus going, you know, through the West Bank. And uh, that, was, that was a little scary, you know, and that wasn't happening in Tel Aviv. Now, gentlemen, yeah. we're coming up to the top of the hour here soon. We've got to get into another segment. So is there anything you'd like to say in closing? 
Oh, I'm loving it. Uh, I no, definitely... I'm, just, uh, I'm happy to have gotten on. I, I've never spoken to Pastor Visser, Pastor Visser or you. Um, I might have called into News Guy when uh, UF's been on there, but I'm not sure. And right. uh, I've spoke to News Guy a bunch of times. You know, I like the show. Um, I think you both, Obadiah, it's, um, Pastor Visser, a lot of personality, good show. And, um, you know, I'll just keep listening through the next segment. I might check that uh, Naj Radio out at 10 just to, you know, troll him, whatever. That's about <laughs> it. And just, just, uh, and just to uh, remind people, if they want to download the, um, the audio compilation we played at the start of the show, you can download the hi-fi version in the, uh, in the show notes uh, in my forum on the uh, oh, before Christian you Identity Forum. Oh, before you fuck you, Guest 13. <laughs> What did Guest 13 say? What are Jews uh, doing on the show, Visser? He says, what are Jews doing on the show, Visser? You know, oh, I, uh, hello, hello to Wee Willie B. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I can't really control Marty coming in the chat room, guys. Yeah, and, and I'm sorry for cursing on your show, because I know you guys do yeah. try to keep it to a minimum. But, yeah. you know, there's like, you know. At least I come out and say who, who I am, who I was. Well, I do have to give Marty credit on the fact that he does tell us who he is if i was him in his position having been put in a nut house for three years for kissing a young child's penis i wouldn't be telling people my name well what so, i'd like to know well, what are jews doing at 338 rabbit track road <laughs> <laughs> Urban you renewal, guys have to hopefully. get to the bottom of that really well guys we've got to start our next segment so we'll, we'll okay. have to um get a bit of a wriggle on here otherwise the show's going to go way over time going to be okay. All right, well, thanks for letting me get on. Adios. I am sorry, guys, for uh, cursing and swearing and getting uh, very passionate there on certain instances, but uh, I'm sorry about that for uh, for whatever it's worth. No, no problem. problem at all. Definitely appreciate you guys calling and, and calling, you know, again. Yeah, well, definitely, definitely. You got it. I plan to. Um, okay. I'm going to go back to listening. You guys have a good night. I got it. For the the thing there, the uh, PWC. All right, bye bye. Excellent, thank you. That was a good round. There, we had about four or five people on the line there, and and that's yes, good that everyone is able to share their highlights. Yes, that, that was a bit of a. Uh, gee, I hope that guy was joking when he said he was a Jew. We can't have Jews on the show, but uh, anyway, <laughs> moving right along. Jeremy, well, you know, you... it is quite quite interesting when we talk about Jews on the show. You know. Because, you know, every now and again you'll come across somebody who, for example, was married to a Jew, who raised their children, and the Jew will throw them aside after 20, 30 years of marriage. So you never know. Every now and again it's good to have different mix of people. Indeed, indeed. Now, Jeremy, how, how would you like to go and live in a scum village? Have you heard of a scum village before? Not offhand. I'm assuming that would be something like Rabbit Track Road. Well, well, well. Yes, I think Rabbit Track Road is something of a scum village, and Marty's house is one of the um, display homes there. But uh, this is from a, an article from the Telegraph. This is a, a UK newspaper. This is the online edition. It's called Amsterdam Amsterdam to create scum villages, and it's my favourite news story of the year. Just the juxtaposition of those two words, scum and villages. I love it. Amsterdam is to create scum villages where nuisance neighbours and antisocial tenants will be exiled from the city and rehoused in caravans or, wait, what you hear, this containers 
with minimal services and under constant police supervision. So this is the this is the brainchild of Gert Wilders. I'm sure you've heard of him. He's a he's a Dutch politician, right wing politician. He's the guy who's been trying to to keep the the Muslims out of Holland, which is a, a really good thing to do. But I think he's kind of over overstretched himself here because um, he want what he wants people to do. So people who are you know the um, you know, the Marty Lindstedt's of the world, to go and live in shipping containers in these scum villages. Oh, that almost reminds me of a story I saw on the news one time where this guy, probably Jewish, was making a living selling underground, underground homes, and they were essentially made out of just metal, you know, sewer line, closed in on two ends, to avoid the apocalypse of the great coming day of the Lord. It's just well, not going to well, happen. Yes, well, he was obviously starting up his own scum village. It says, sorry, Holland's capital already has a special hit squad of municipal officials to identify the worst offenders for a compulsory six-month course in how to behave. Now, that would be open to all sorts of abuse because, you know, these municipal officials would would be identifying who are the scum and who who aren't. I mean, what if they're wrong or what if they have a, you know, a, a dog in that particular fight? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Always want to play the commie, you know, God complex of deciding who's fit or who isn't. Kind of reminds me of that movie Gadiga. Yes, well, it goes on. Social housing problem families or tenants who do not show an improvement or refuse to go to the special units face eviction and homelessness. So it's either, you know, the shipping container or the highway. Um, what have we got here? Uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, this is the world turned upside down, the mayor said at the weekend. The project also involves setting up a special hotline and, hotline and system for victims to report their problems to the authorities. So um, ah. these people that are supposedly victims of these, you know, scum, who are going to go into the scum village, they get to report the scum. The scum then, you know, get picked up by authorities and sent to the, um, sent to the village. So this is open for all sorts of exploitation. All you'd have to say is, you know, Joe Blow, he, he, I don't like the look of him. I don't like his racist viewpoint. You know, he's a scumbag. You know, come and arrest him and put him in a shipping container. Yeah, exactly. And that's not very far removed from what they're teaching children in public schools anyway, as it is where they say, oh, do your parents, are your parents racist? Have you ever heard them say the N-word or whatever? But, yeah, that's interesting. And I'm also reminded of that term, when you use slum village, it reminds me a couple years ago where these empowered feminists in New York had a march and they called it the slut walk. I mean, it's a derogatory term against them, but they embrace it. It goes on. The new punishment housing camps, so there it is, punishment housing camps, have been dubbed, dubbed scum villages. Repeat offenders should be forcibly removed from their neighbourhood and sent to a village for scum. Uh, Gert Wilder suggested last year. Put all the trash together. So, uh, I mean, this seems sort, sort of like the, the Dutch version of FEMA camps to a certain extent, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and you know what else is probably eye-opening about that is you think of Amsterdam and you think of Holland, that's one of the most liberal countries that there is out there. For them to be considering something like that, it's quite telling on how much the world has changed. The article goes on, whilst denying that the new projects would be punishment camps for quote-unquote scum, a spokesman for the city mayor stressed that the special residential units would aim to enforce 
good behaviour. So the devil is in the detail there, isn't it? I mean, what is good behaviour? Certainly not biblical behaviour. It's what they deem good behaviour. Yeah, exactly. Woe unto them who call evil good and good evil, because that's exactly the way of it down here. We have a government in America that tries to dictate and legislate morality, and they do so they fail every single time because they are judging aside from the law. That's a scary statement that right there that they want to come along and dictate who's superior or who isn't. Uh, the, the article goes on. There are already several small-scale trial projects in the Netherlands, including Amsterdam, where 10 shipping container homes have been set aside for persistent offenders living under 24-hour supervision from social workers and police. Well, could you imagine if you're a guy and you're trying to, um, you know, uh, chat up some attractive woman somewhere and, you, you, you know, you want to invite her around to your place for dinner, what would you say to her? You know, hi, babe, would you like to come back to my shipping container at the Scum Village and we'll have dinner together? You know, we might be interrupted several times by the police and social workers, but we'll have a great old time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't mind those cameras in the corner or that big thing tied to my ankle. I mean, this is just insanity. I mean... You, you can't punish people in this way. If you, if you want people to act, to behave properly, then you've got to, you know, you've got to have a society where, where you know, proper behaviour is rewarded amongst the community at large. You know what I mean? By, by as we saw last week with the, the, the Christian Foundations of Australia, they made the Decalogue pretty much the, the law of the land. And if they did that in Holland and taught the kids from school age to, you know, obey Yahweh's law, then you wouldn't have any need for these ridiculous things. Yeah, exactly. And that's usually how it centers around somebody wanting to play God. And unfortunately in America we have President Obama who wants to do just that. That's why I brought up the film Gattaca. I mean, that film's 15 years old, but in that, a lot of the things that were considered fiction are, are coming to pass. And most of it has to deal with genetics. That's why I also have pointed out as well, you know, when Christ says that God can raise up stones to Abraham's seed, we better be on guard of a lot of these people who want to play judge, trial, and jury and judge their own brother and call him Jew, Melungeon, or whatever else, because they have the same exact mentality Zog does. But if people are living in a society where homosexuality is approved of, where they have, you know, gay, quote-unquote, gay marriage, um, abortion is, you know, can be, can be get uh, on demand, uh, and, uh, you know, they have all sorts of, you know, immoral practices and conduct that are enshrined in the law, um, then, then how can these people set the standard for, you know, who is a good person and who is a bad person when they, they see evil as good and good evil? Yeah, and when you say that, I'm reminded of a lot of these uh, Department of Human and Children Services or DFACs or whoever, because statistically, most women who are drawn to that profession that is working for Family and Children Services are, are unmarried women with no children at all. And so to me, it's quite, you know, telling that they're so hypocritical. They want to come into people's, you know, they want to tell mothers of children how to live when they don't have children of their own. Well, you know, Gert Wilders sort of was responsible for this, the, the idea behind this, and obviously he's a man with some convictions, you know, he doesn't want Muslims coming into his country, and I fully support him there, but, um, you know, put, putting the, the control of who goes into the scum villages into the hands of um, liberals, you know, is, you know, just a, an open recipe for disaster, an open invitation for disaster, because they're going to 
you know, all of the people, they're, they're going to, you know, target right-wing people. They're going to target people who say homosexual, homosexuality is an abomination, race-mixing is bad. These are probably going to be the, you know, the, uh, a lot of the people that end up in these so-called scum villages, not, not, you know, the people that really should be there. Yeah, that's usually the way it works, too. And that's why I've been telling and warning people for years, you know, about Facebook and a lot of other social media, not to get into that tangent, but... You know, the reality is, like I said at the beginning of, the, of, the, of this broadcast, the government really does only know what we give them, what we tell them, or what we hand to them. And that's exactly what they'll do, is they'll turn around and they'll use these prison systems to take out what they consider to be dissidents or whatever. And that usually always comes back to us. Just as the ADL and the Southern Poverty Law Center, they have huge problems with white racists, but they might have one or two token articles against the Nation of Islam. Now, here's a story I was going to cover last week, but we didn't have uh, a chance. This is from the online version of the, um, the Sydney Daily Telegraph, a, a, an Aussie newspaper. Catholic Church welcomes the Royal Commission into, sex, into child sex abuse. The Catholic Church... Oh, sorry. Last Monday, the Prime Minister, Julia Gillard, announced a Royal Commission on the sexual abuse of children in institutions across Australia. The, um, the primary institution here, of course, is the Catholic Church, where... Um, you know, pedophilia has been rife, certainly in Australia, and I'm sure it's pretty much the same all over the world, no matter, you know, what Catholic church you're looking at in, in, in which country. Um, and uh, oh, there have been some just horrendous stories that have come out as a result of this. Um, there was one couple, they sent their, their two daughters, very beautiful white daughters they were, um, to this um, Catholic school, I think it was in Sydney, and they were molested over a period of time by, by one of the priests there. And one of the girls ended up committing suicide. Uh, the other girl became, was so traumatised by what happened to her, she became an alcoholic. She walked out in front of a car one day and was run over and killed. So could you imagine how bad those parents must feel as a result of this? And, you know, if you molest children, you sh it's automatic death penalty as far as I'm concerned. Amen. That's exactly what I was going to point out. A lot of people in the movement want to sit here and be detracted on whether Marty's innocent or, or guilty or whatever. Reality is, scripturally, he is. And, and that's the bottom line. According to Leviticus and Deuteronomy, when someone was accused of lying with a child, which is a sin unto death, which is an unforgivable or at least should be an unpardonable sin to us, you know, it was at the hands of two witnesses. Zog has this tendency to come along and protect the criminal. And we pointed that out time and time again. So what I say to the people who turn around and say Martin Lindsay's not a child molester because he didn't list with the sex offenders registry is just that. Do you honestly think that our government catches all the pedophiles? I'd say those that are listed on the sex registry offender are probably 5% of those who engage in the craft. But what's interesting is no matter where you look in the white world, pedophilia is rife. I mean, we've seen that recently, the the scandal emerging in um, the, the United Kingdom with um, all of those um, show business celebrities, including the late um, Jimmy Savile, the Jew, Jimmy Savile, who, who they, they believe could have molested upwards of um, 300 children. Um, so, and, and in America, we see similar things with the Franklin cover-up. And, and I'm sure no matter where you go in the white world, you'll see all of these things. It just seems to be something that's a part of our rejecting God's law. These, these things just... This, this wicked immorality, I mean, the basest kind, you know, pedophilia, could you find a, a worse crime than that, just seems to be just flooding into our, just permeating and pervading our societies. 
uh, you know, and it, it sort of coincides with the uh, the legalisation of abortion. All these things just come come about as a result of breaking spiritual laws. It's just like you know we were looking at the other week. You know, you break a physical law, you, you law of physics, and you can see the you can see the um, the results straight away. But with these things, sometimes it takes a, a bit longer than that. But but I mean, it still takes place nevertheless. I mean, it may as well be a law of physics. It's so reliable. Yeah, that's an extremely good point, because when the godless always try to legislate morality, they fail. And that's usually exactly how they do it. They want to tolerate. And what I've seen is when a nation like America or even parts of Europe turns around and they say, hey, we're going to tolerate, which is already out the gate telling you you're doing something wrong, but you're going to tolerate gay marriage, then things like pedophile, you know, pedophilia and race mixing are usually not very far behind. Yes, indeed. It's just so sad, and I was just so sad because they they had this on the, the report about those poor two girls on on one of the current affairs show here on television, and it was just so sad to hear that. Now, imagine how traumatic. I mean, not only traumatic to the to the girls, of course, but to the parents to have to live with the knowledge that you every day you were sending your, your you know your precious precious child to to a, to a school where she was getting, you know, her innocence was lost and she was being tormented, you know, sexually and you know, mentally by these scumbag priests, so-called priests. Yeah, I agree. And I agree with Wickstrom when he stated, you know, with, that, with the shooting last week, you know, where is the outrage? The outrage of the white race, it isn't there. They're always looking for excuses. They're always looking for a scapegoat to come along, you know. And I should point out that Christ said, woe unto him, if anybody caused one of these little ones, t- talking about children, to offend, Christ says, it would have been better for a millstone to be tied around his neck and him to be drowned in the deepest part of the ocean. So, you know, the Judeo-Christians who come along and say Jesus, Yahshua, was so tolerant and so accepting of everybody, obviously miss the fact that Christ says pedophiles are the worst of the worst and essentially are drowned in the blackest of the black. And now, of course, that's a, a metaphorical term there. They're not literally going to have a... Uh a millstone put around their neck, but that does indicate that there is some punishment in store for these people. Like some people believe that, you know, the only punishment will be, you know, they'll just die and they'll, they'll never live again. But um, the Bible talks about what a fearful thing it is to fall into the hands of the living God. And the Bible says that Yahweh will repay them to their face. So whether you believe in hell or not, and uh, a lot of people in Christian identity don't, the fact is there is going to be some punishment um, meted out by Yahweh to these people. And, and, and could you expect anything else? I mean, Yahweh loves his children. If, if somebody did something to your children, Jeremy, you're going to do something to them, and Yahweh's no different. If people, um, you know, uh, abuse his, his children, you know, rape them, you know, sexually abuse them or, or, or some other form of abuse, he's going to catch up with them soon, sooner or later, and there is going to be, if you pardon the pun, hell to pay. Yeah. Exactly. Yahweh God will repay each and every one, and that's the thing. You know, it's better, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion now, it's better to not even mention in a lot of ways whether Marty's guilty or not, because that's the whole point. God will judge him, and God will judge true. We can't, you know, if we turn around and we say, hey, you know, this guy's innocent, a lot of people forget that they're condemning an innocent child saying that child is guilty. And that's something I will never, you know, I've never been able to do. So like we've said before, when it comes to Marty, you know, CIs, or at least what people consider CIs, Pope of pedophilia, you know, that's the whole point. It doesn't, you know, we shouldn't, truth doesn't need to be defended. 
Well, as I said, I've always liked to give the guy the benefit of the doubt, not that I have any respect for him, for Marty. I think that's pretty obvious that I don't, but I don't want to be guilty of what is guilty of, you know, accusing somebody wrongfully. But you were saying that, what, he's actually on audio was saying that he did do it. Yeah, on the uh, second show, which was on the 25th, 24th or something. Yeah, a couple of days ago. The one he did while Mordecai sitting in foster care, he was on there talking about, and then basically came out and did admit to it. And I, Actually, I'll go well, through and find the audio myself because I have it on, you know, in the next well, few well, days. Well, I listened but. to the show, and I can't remember him. I'm not saying that he didn't, you know, you're, you're wrong or anything, but I, I, I can't remember him saying that. And I certainly, my ears certainly would have pricked up if he did, because for, for all these years has been denying it. So to, for him to sort of suddenly come around now and uh, turn around now and admit it is, seems very odd, odd indeed. But I'll, I'll have a, 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 another listen to the show. Do you, do you recall roughly whereabouts in the show he, he confessed to the deed? Well, I would assume it's probably about halfway through during the show because that's where I came in, and I remember him basically saying it. And, you know, somebody pointed it out to me a couple of weeks ago, and I found this to be true. Just like the devil who throws in a little bit of truth with his lies to make it more, you know, able to be swallowed, Marty also does the same thing. If you really listen close to what he says, he'll lie, 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 slander, 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 and then he'll tell a little truth. But what truth he does tell, he'll mumble over it. So that's kind of like their own defense mechanism. And I agree with the caller who told me that, because it's true. If you listen to him, he'll go along and he'll say something, and then he'll mumble the truth under his breath. That's the part you need to focus on, in my opinion. Now, Jeremy, we should get into Desert Island Versus, but before we do that, I think I need to say something about the last segment we had with all those guys on. It did get a bit out of hand and sort of a bit crude and rude, and, you know, we really can't sort of have that on the show. So if people are going to come on the show, no swearing, folks, no blasphemy, and if you're Jewish, you can't come, we don't want you on. Now, I'm not saying that any of those guys are Jews or they're not Jews, but if you're Jewish, please don't come on because we're going to have to kick you off. You know, this is a, a Jew-free zone. Indeed, and that's the thing. You know, that one show, which is what I referenced as well as being one of the highlights of 2012, you know, you hear Marty Rabbi Samuelson going on and on and on about free speech when he's one of the biggest censors that exists on the Internet. Well, when we did that, that interview with Marty or whatever, and you were on there and I was on there, we allowed it to open up, and we just allowed it to be a free speech zone. And what happened was exactly that, an experiment in free speech. Free speech at its core root, if you want to really get down to it, would be attributed to Babylon, which is everyone you know, in Babel having their own opinion and everyone speaking over each other, which is the confusion of Nimrod. So I just thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, so anyway, I would like to apologise to everyone who listened into the show and they got that, you know, expecting a bit of sort of spiritual and edifying stuff. We shouldn't have let that go on for as long as it did. That was a mistake. So I do apologise for that, ladies and gentlemen. It will not happen again. Okay, now Desert Island Versus. What is Desert Island Versus? Desert Island Versus is a sort of a, a scriptural version of the, the, the classic BBC radio show, Desert Island Dis, where they'll, they'll invite a, a, a politician or a a celebrity to come into the, the radio studio and they'll, they'll, they'll play their top five favourite songs and they'll get them to explain why those particular songs mean so much to them. Well, on Desert Island Verses, we, we do the same thing, except with, uh, not with um, songs, of course, but with Bible verses. If you could only take five individual Bible verses with you on a desert island, hence Desert Island, um, 
which, which verses would you take and why? And today Jeremy and I are going to look at our top five verses in relation to prayer. And, and, and I thought I'd, I'd look at the definition of prayer, Jeremy, because uh, I was thinking to myself last week, what is, the def, what is the difference between asking somebody for something and asking God for something? Are, are both a kind of prayer? Now, obviously, you don't pray to your friends or anything. You pray to God. But is there any real difference? Um, and, and here is how the dictionary defines prayer. A devout petition to God. So obviously, prayer only relates to God or, or a God with a small g. You know, if you... If you pray to Buddha, but good luck, you know, good luck getting your prayers answered from Buddha. And, and this one I really like. A spiritual communion with God as in supplication, thanksgiving, adoration or confession. Now supplication is an interesting word. That's, um, that's really a synonym, a synonym of supplication is beg. So, so it's asking something of somebody, but really, you know, earnestly, you know, asking, asking for it. Not just, you know, oh, could I have this? It's, you know, please give me this. I really need it. So, so um, anyway, Jeremy, you can, you can um, get, get the ball rolling with your first, first uh, Desert Island verse about prayer. Excellent. Yes. And I suppose I have several. And, of course, as we stated in past broadcasts, these verses are in no particular order because <laughs> – of the aspect that there's simply so much to choose from Scripture. But for tonight, I'd say my first choice of a desert island verse that centers around prayer will be found in the words of Yahshua Messiah himself, and it's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verse 36. Luke 21, 36, Christ says this, Watch ye therefore, and pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Now, the reason I choose this, of course, is it's the words of Jesus Christ first and foremost. But what Yahshua is saying in this statement is not only is prayer a pivotal, a pivotal vehicle for communicating with our Father, but he says that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things. And of course, preceding this verse, Christ gives a long list of the things that shall accompany the signs that accompany the end of this age. But not only can the only way we can escape the day of the Lord or make it through, quote unquote, is by prayer, but being even considered worthy uh, by God to escape, you know, the tears being burned up is through this aspect of prayer. Well, it's interesting. Um, you, you talked about uh, in that scripture about always, you know, always praying. Um, this is something. This is a, a theme that's going to run through tonight's scriptures, and that's a marvelous scripture that you um, you quoted there. I'm sorry, I did, I'm, I, I'm I'm jealous. I didn't um, quote that one myself, Jeremy. But um, no, that was great, and um, it's very important that we pray to Yahweh always, that uh, we maintain that um, communion constantly, you know, on a daily basis, and we don't. Uh, well, the Bible likens um, our, our relationship with Yahweh, Jeremy, to a um, to a marriage, doesn't it? We all know marriages tend to tend to um, disintegrate when when there's that lack of communication, where the husband and the wife are no longer communicating, and when and it's the same with Yahweh. Your relationship with Yahweh is going to falter and fail if you don't maintain the that communion with Him, that communication, and the primary means by which we communicate with Yahweh is um, is prayer, is it not, Jeremy? Exactly. That is the primary way of communicating with Yahweh God. And not only that, but just, 
knowing him. As you pointed out, you know, about a marriage, that's exactly what our relationship with Yahweh God is supposed to be. And while there's people in this earth that, you know, say, hey, my spouse committed adultery on me, I'm going to stay with them. I'm going to forgive them. What I've noticed a lot of times is when that bond of trust is fractured, you really can't build upon that. So to the Christian, trust equates to faith. So it's our faith that should lead us to pray, of course, in the Spirit. But if we don't have that trust or that faith in God to pray, we might as well pack our bags in because that relationship is not going to last. And and it talks about in the Bible how we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, but we're also awaiting the day of redemption, the Bible says. So this whole redeem thing isn't isn't just a a once and for all deal I mean it's an ongoing thing you you are redeemed by the blood of the lamb there's no denying that we're certainly not taking anything away from that but but one must stay redeemed yeah exactly that's the whole key is prayer a lot of people out there you know throughout the entire world the white world as it is all profess to have some type of relationship with God you know whether they're Baptist Protestant or whatever they all profess that. But truly, you know, we, we don't, we're not even known of God, and we'll prove that tonight in the course of this series. We're not even known of God unless we know him, unless we pray to him. So to me, it's quite ironic how a lot of Judeo-Christians sit around scratching their head wondering why their prayers don't get prayed, you know, answered. Maybe it's because they're praying in the wrong name, or maybe it's because they just don't pray at all. Now, uh, my, my first Desert Island verse about prayer is Psalm 55, verse 17. This is one of my favourite ones. It's evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. This is um, David writing here. And uh, in the Amplified version of this, uh, that verse, we read, Evening and morning and at noon will I utter my complaint and moan and sigh and he will hear my voice. Now, I must point out here that he's, he's not complaining uh, about anything Yahweh's done to him, he's complaining about his enemies. Because David, throughout his life as a, a, a king, you know, he's forever beset by enemies. You know, both both within and without the kingdom. And um, you know, often he, these people were out to, to literally murder him. So, so what he was complaining and moaning and sighing about here wasn't Yahweh or Yahweh forsaking him, because Yahweh didn't forsake him, of course. But complaining and moaning and sighing about the terrible terrible situation he was in, about these enemies that were out to get him. So, um, but, but the thing that's really great about this verse is that he's, he's, he's talking about how often he prays for Yahweh, three times a day. Now, perhaps uh, he prayed more than that sometimes, perhaps he prayed less than that sometimes. But the, but, but the, the, the point to get across here is that he, he got into the habit of praying throughout the day, just not leaving it till, you know, bedtime when you, you know, you're so sleepy-eyed, you can barely get out a, you know, a praise Yahweh or two. And, and in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, we read, now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber, chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. So Daniel, too, was in the habit of praying three times a day. Um, so, so it's very important that, um, you know, we set aside time, um, you know, to pray to Yahweh throughout the day. Now, now Jeremy, I suppose a lot of people out there would, would say, okay, you know, that's all very well, Obi, but how do I find time when I'm married? I've got, you know, children, well, like you, you've got five kids, you know, you work, you know, might be doing overtime. So how does one go about, as a guy who's in your situation, Jeremy, um, how do you find time to pray? 
Well, it's like anything else, and I've pointed this out as well. If you want to have a successful ministry or you want to be a really good video gamer or you want to have a successful garden, it doesn't matter what it is. It usually always comes down to prioritizing. If we prioritize, you know, we do fine. I believe this is why Yahweh God commands the tithe, for example. It's not that God needs our money or could do anything with it if he even had it. But what it is is a teaching and discipline. If we're disciplined enough to obey, then and only then will Yahweh God add to it. So that's the point. You mentioning David is perfect because David, throughout the Psalms and throughout many of his writings, would say, I worship and pray to Yahweh God morning, noon, and night. So David is an example that we can follow just like Christ. They put the, side, the time aside. The reality is, is if we don't find time for God, statistically he will not find any time for us. It's like that scripture, that wonderful account in the scripture where Christ was at um, somebody's home, Martha's home, I think it was, and uh, was it Martha who was going around, you know, busy doing the housework, organising, you know, meal and everything, and one of the, one of the women there um, was, was washing her feet, his feet with her hair, and, and, and you know, the, the woman complained, to, you know, which was kind of fair enough, I suppose, considering the, the situation, said to Christ, you know, Christ, look, I'm doing all this work and she's there washing your feet, can, can she give me a hand? But the point is, what she was doing, she was paying attention to the word. She was putting the word before her housework. Um, and, and, and that's what the scripture is really telling, it, telling, telling us. It's we've got to really, you know, find time to devote to the word. I, I mean, in this case, it was Christ literally in the flesh, but he was the word made flesh. But uh, we've got to find time for Yahweh's word. And there'll, there'll always be housework to to do and we're not saying to totally neglect your housework or anything that would be stupid that would be wrong but you must find time throughout the day you know um to even if it's a few minutes here and there to to look into the word look into the promises that you know pertain to you pertain to you know um you know everything you know all, all the things that um you know you're entitled to in uh, in scripture the bible says all the promises in christ are yea and in him amen and, and just to, even if it's just a few minutes here and there to to read the word and to pray yeah, exactly. And I've said this before, what you and I do, or Eli James, or whatever pastor out there does, is not really special when we consider the fact that every single one of us are, are called to share what's within us, or, or, you know, what has brought us to the truth. And so that's an exact, that's a perfect point, because if we don't set aside that first five minutes in the morning, you know, Yahweh God says if we turn from him, he'll turn from us. And the reality is, is that's a perfect example of how to have distance between you and God. Just neglect prayer. And next thing you know, all of a sudden you don't feel as close to God, and you know, I wonder why. And then the next thing you know, God doesn't hear you anymore. And that's just the natural progression of neglecting prayer. And it's disrespectful to Yahweh because Yahweh gives you your increase. He gives you your home. He do, does all this for you. He provided it for you. You may, have to, you may have worked for it, but Yahweh provided you with a job. Yahweh always makes sure that you, know, you get the things that you need. But if you start paying more attention to those things that he's given you rather than the giver, then you're running into problems. You know, your, your material things, you know, your housework becomes you know, like your God. You know, if you're going to do that at the expense of never... Never, you know, really seeking Yahweh, you know, throughout the day and never, never looking into his word throughout the day. And all of us have done it, you know. We've all neglected, you know, prayer when we should have been praying and, you know, neglected studying the word when we should have been studying and, you know, praying over it. 
But uh, it, it's important that, um, you know, we do show Yahweh, we'll, we give him the first fruits. You know, we should give him the first fruits of our time, the best part of the day to, to speak with Yahweh. Don't leave it till, you know... Uh, I, I, well, two times of the day I don't like praying, Jeremy, is when I first get out of bed of the morning because I'm so out of it, I don't know where I am. And, um, and, and just before bed because, you know, I'm kind of in the same, same way. So I don't want to pray to Yahweh when I can only get out a little mumble. And, you know, that, you know that, that's, that's terrible. You know, I want to give Yahweh the best part of my day when I'm the, at my, you know, when I'm at my most alert and, you know, able to, to, pray, to, to pray to him, and, you know, articulately and, you know, passionately. Yeah, indeed. And that's good advice, I believe, because, you know, if we don't pray, it's exactly what I'm saying. God will turn from us. And, and prayer, in my opinion, is one of the easiest things we can do to have an ever-increasing faith. A lot of people, you know, they say, hey, I don't have faith, or I don't really believe, or the world's so bad. You know, nine times out of ten, it's probably because they're neglectful in their prayer life. Okay, now, Jeremy, what's your second Desert Island verse for prayer? Okay, my second Desert Island verse centering around prayer is actually on the tail end of what we've been discussing already, and it's found in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9. Now, you've heard me preach on this numerous times, but this is what it says. It says this, quote, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. End quote. Now, I've said this time and time again, and I've explained to people how. If we do not pray, you know, if we don't pray, first and foremost, God can't answer us. But here we find David, most likely, or Solomon, writing in Proverbs, straightforwardly confirming that if we turn our ear from hearing the law, not just by saying we're antinomian, or not just by saying the law is the offense like the Judeo-Christians do, but if we just so much as turn our ear from hearing the law of God by saying, oh, I don't want to hear this about pork, or I don't want to hear this about, you know, adultery, then even our prayer shall be an abomination. And in my opinion, this ties perfectly into what Jesus Christ says in his parable of the tares, or the, the goats and the sheep. The goats on his left hand all said, we did marvelous works, we cast out demons in your name, and he said, depart from me, I never knew you. For Christ to have never known them meant that all those prayers these people made, these Judeo-Christians most likely, were, fell on deaf ears, because they turned their ear from hearing the law, and in essence became an abomination themselves. Well, the Bible says that the Word is our foundation. It's the beginning. You know, in the beginning there was the Word, and the Bible talks about you know, Christ saying he's the Alpha and the Omega. Christ is the Word, and the Word is the beginning, and it's the end. So it's the foundation upon which we, we, we live our lives in Christ, isn't it? I mean, if we can't... If we're not familiarising ourselves with the, the Word, praying over it and becoming int intimately acquainted with it, then, then our, um, our walk... It, well, everything's going to suffer. We're, we're, our spiritual walk's going to suffer, and just uh, you know, the way we live, live our lives is going to suffer. Yahweh's going to take His prosperity away from us, and uh, you know, we're going to fall into disrepair, like 338 Rabbit Track Road. <laughs> Absolutely, and I'm glad you brought that up too, because you know, later, you know, as we continue, we're going to prove that aspect. The aspect that God can't use you if you don't pray. For lack of a better term, if you do not pray to Yahweh God. You know, and seek his will for you in your life. You're doing it yourself. You're worshiping self. And you're not trying to find, you know, his will. And I think one of the things that, that's overlooked, and I didn't pick it tonight, is the Lord's Prayer, where Christ tells us 
how to pray. And he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, but what he says is to not use vain repetitions. Don't read from a book a prayer to Yahweh God because there's no feeling or thought behind that. But we should be able to actually talk to God like you should, your earthly father. Oh, that's right. And, you, you know, there, there should be that communication between a, a son or a daughter of Yahweh and Yahweh. Uh, I, I mean, you know, um, you, I'm sure you've had to discipline your, your children, you know, throughout the, the course of their, their lives, their short lives. But um, I, I'm sure you, you don't ever, you know, put yourself in a situation or give them the impression that they can never approach you, never talk to you about something because, you know, you want them to be able to communicate with you. Exactly, and that's the, that's the beauty of it. And that's also why, in my opinion, you know, God, or at least his word, or Christ saw fit that his word was written in very simple agricultural terms. He used these terms to appeal to the simple man. And so when Christ says, you know, a good tree doesn't bring forth corrupt fruit, or when he says A is A and B is B, let your yea be A and your nay be nay, he meant exactly what he said, and I think people miss that. So Christ taught us how to pray, and he also taught us that if we pray, we're supposed to pay, pray in accordance with his will. That's not to say that we sit around saying, oh, well, God's in control. He's going to sort everything out. Just let your will be done, because we know in other places God says to let your petitions be known of him. And so that's exactly what you know. I think I'm leading up to as well is, you know, prayer is one of those things that most people think, oh, they're praying so they have a life in eternity. But in reality, just like you said, if we neglect our prayer life in this life, there will be curses and there will be, you know, consequences because of that in this life. Okay, now my second Desert Island verse about prayer relates to, kind of relates to what you were, your, your last verse, your, your second verse, um, because um, it talks about in that scripture how... Um, you know, if you if you don't do such a such and such a thing, you, you your prayers won't be answered. Well, it pretty much says the same thing here. It says uh, this is from Mark uh, chapter eleven, verse twenty-five, the Amplified version. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him and let it drop. Leave it. Let it go, in order that your Father who is in heaven may also forgive you your own failings and shortcomings and let them drop. So and now, of course, it's talking about forgiving fellow Israelites. It's not talking about you know forgiving the black guy down the road who wants to murder you or the Jew who wants you to miscegenate or anything like this. This is strictly in-house, Israelite to Israelite. But uh, the, the, the important point here is that uh, if you, you know, that, that when you pray, um, that, that you forgive people, that you don't, that that well, even before you pray, if you have anything against um, someone, you know, um, a fellow Israelite, that you just let it go, as it says here, to, to let it go, let it drop. Don't hold grudges, in other words, because clearly if you hold a grudge, if you don't forgive somebody of something, not only is Yahweh not going to forgive you of, of, of you know, your little missteps, as it says here, but also your, your prayer won't be able to get through to him. It'll be a corrupt prayer. Yahweh's not going to listen to the, the prayer of somebody who's not to prepared, to, prepared to do you know, what he did, you know, to forgive. Exactly. And what a far cry from Judeo-Christianity teachings, because they love coming along and saying, oh, well, God, God hears you at any time, doesn't matter how you live, doesn't matter what you do. But I have found as I grow older and I study the Word more, that it's actually the exact opposite. God really requires us to obey, sometimes not even understanding, just like I had mentioned about trust in a relationship. And then, and only then, when seemingly, when we 
actually develop trust through prayer with God, then God can work through us and use us. Yeah, a lot of people seem to be um, of the opinion that, you know, I'll wait for Yahweh to do something, then I'll praise him, then I'll thank him, then I'll bless him. But he always wants us to, you know, step out in faith before he'll, he, he'll come and, you know, um, work his, uh, his miracle in our lives. You know, we have to show Yahweh that, uh, we're, as we like to say in Australia, fair dinkum, which means truthful or on the level. We're fair dinkum with him, you know, that we're, we're pre- prepared to, you know, put our... To, to put our um, actions, the things we do, where our, our faith is, you know, where our speech is. Yeah, exactly. And Yeshua spent so much time, at least in the four Gospels we have in our Bibles, you know, teaching on the difference between those who give lip service and those who actually do. The widow's mite comes to mind, and I've used it numerous times because, especially within Christian identity, there's this belief that, oh, hey, I'm white. Oh, I follow the food laws. I don't eat pork. That they're somehow better than their brother, and re- in reality, Scripture straightforwardly says we're supposed to, you know, if possible, esteem every man better than ourselves. That's supposed to be the mindset. So while Christ would rail against the Pharisees and say, "You sit in Moses' seat," you know, but you don't do the things Moses does, it was based on that. The Scripture lawyer, like Rabbi Samuelson, may be able to come along and use one or two verses, take them out of context, and plead a really good argument. But to God, God's not like man, and that's the difference. When man goes in front of a a court of man, they know, first things first, unless they're a lunatic like Rabbi Samuelson, they know that you go in front of the judge in a suit, you show respect, because that's common sense. That's how it works. But God doesn't judge us according to how we look or how much money we have. And that's where our strength is. When Christ says, blessed are the meek, they inherit the earth, well, the meek are obviously those teachable enough or meek enough to pray to God. All right. Now, what's your third Desert Island verse about prayer, Jeremy? Okay, my third Desert Island verse about prayer would be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15. These are the words of Paul. He says this, What is it then? Question. I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. So now, in essence, what Paul's saying here is what we've taught time and time again, and the rest of Scripture confirms, that it's one thing to pray, because everyone out there prays, especially when they're in jail or they go to war. But it's an entirely different thing to pray in the Spirit with understanding. Now, as I pointed out, Solomon begins his Proverbs by saying, with all thy getting, get understanding. We can be wise. You can be wise know, hey, the white Anglo-Saxons are Israelites. But if you don't know how to actually properly use that information, you don't have understanding. And so the reason I chose verse 15 is, is that point. He's saying, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. So Paul's giving us two keys there. Of course, he says sing, and singing, for, you know, to paraphrase, we could put it on this way, even in talking. What Paul is saying here is not only should everything we do you know, be for the glory of Yahweh's kingdom and for the glory of Yahshua Messiah, but we need to pray in the Spirit, and we have to have understanding of that Spirit. The only way we can truly understand the Spirit of Yahweh God is through prayer. Well, Jeremy, that uh, complements this verse perfectly. This is from Jude chapter, sorry, Jude verse 20. There's only one chapter in, in Jude, so it's just Jude verse 20. But you, beloved, build yourselves up founded on your most holy faith, 
make progress, rise like an edifice, higher and higher, praying in the Holy Spirit. That was from the Amplified Bible, by the way. And to pray in the Holy Spirit simply means to be guided by the Holy Spirit when you pray. Um, now, now, Romans 8, verses 26-27, the Amplified Version, really sort of fleshes this out. I'll just read from, from that, verse 26. So, t so too, the Holy Spirit comes to our aid and bears us up in our weakness, for we do not know what prayer to offer, nor how to offer it worthily as we ought. But the Spirit himself goes to meet our supplications and pleads in our behalf with unspeakable yearnings and groanings too deep for utterance. In verse 27, And he who searches the hearts of men knows what is the mind of the Holy Spirit, what his intent is. Because the Spirit inter intercedes and pleads before God on behalf of the saints according to and in harmony with God's will. So not only does praying the Spirit means to be guided by the Spirit, but the Spirit actually goes to bat for us. The, the Spirit, the Spirit um, actually, um, you know, um, confront, not confronts, um, you know, uh, approaches Yahweh on, on, on the spiritual plane and pleads to him on our behalf. So this is quite a, a wonderful thing. Yeah, exactly. That's the whole thing as well, is that breath of life that was breathed into Adam, man, as News Guy mentioned, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, Genesis 2, and that account, that's what separates us from the other creatures. That's what separates us from the beast of the field. And so for a lot of us in Christian identity, we may not understand it, we may want to call it an aura even, but a lot of times we're instantly drawn to another believer, and we may not even understand why. But my opinion is that's the part of the breath of life that person has as well. And for example, you can walk into a busy place like Walmart, and you can look through the, you know, the masses of slop, and you may find one or two, but you know intuitively that that person knows God, or at least knows your God. That's why the Spirit, I think, comes to play so strongly in the teachings of prayer, because Paul says it, and you've just quoted it, that if we don't pray in the Spirit or have the Spirit's intercessor, in, intercession or have, you know, the Spirit of God laid upon us, we're wasting our time. Oh, exactly. And it says in um, the, uh, the last, part, last half of verse 26 of Romans 8, um, it talks about, um, but the Spirit himself goes to meet. It says, goes to meet our supplication. So, you know, we pray to Yahweh and our, our prayers go off wherever they go. And, and uh, the, the Holy Spirit sort of, you know, hooks up with that prayer and, you know, brings it to Yahweh and says, this person saying such and such, you know, can you do this for this person? The Bible, the Bible says it goes on in verse 26, goes to meet our supplications and pleads in our behalf with unspeakable yearnings and groanings too deep for utterance. Now, when I was in the Pentecostal church, uh, we used to believe that that meant speaking in tongues, but it can't mean speaking in tongues because it says groanings too deep for utterance because even if you're speaking in tongues, you're still uttering the words. But this is the Spirit himself speaking on your behalf you know putting in a good word for you and the bible talks about not to grieve the holy spirit where, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption you know we're redeemed but we're still w waiting that ultimate redemption so it's important that you know not only do we get in yahweh's good books but also the spirit's good books by you know i'm um, listening to its voice and going you know following its um you know its promptings and its encouragements and its uh, advice that it gives us a, a you know gives our spirit um so, um, you know, and it says in here, um, because the Spirit intercedes and pleads before God. So the Spirit actually, you know, goes with our prayers and actually brings them 
to God. So we want to be in a great relationship with Yahweh and we want to be in a great relationship with his spirit as well. Yeah, that's a really good point too because as you know as you pointed out this the, the opposite of the spirit of truth which is Jesus Christ and Yahweh and his word is the spirit of slander and the spirit of lying. A perfect example of that is found in Matthew chapter 5 verses 44 where Christ says pray to those that despitefully use you. The interesting thing about this word use in this context is it means slander. In essence, what Christ is saying is pray for those who slander you, who lie against you, you know. But that's a side note. What I'm trying to point out is the aspect that Satan is considered the slanderer or the accuser of the brethren. Therefore, when we see other people out there professing to be Christian or CI pastors who do nothing but that, we should be able to see through simplicity that their works are corrupted. Indeed. Now, Jeremy, verse, uh, oh, sorry, your, your fourth verse. Okay, my fourth Desert Island verse for this evening would be taken from the book of James. James is considered by many theologians to be the older brother of Jesus Christ. So he would know Christ, you know, much more so than a lot of us down here. But what he says in his general epistle, which was written to all Israelite men, women, and, and children, in chapter 5, verse 16, he says this, Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so here it is, James, the brother of Christ, straightforwardly telling you, well, you should already know, listener, and that's the as aspect that intercessory prayer works. I've pointed it out time and time again a lot and his daughters, the Ammonites, the Moabites, for example, are a direct result of Abraham's intercessory prayer. So as Abe, you know, on the plains of Mamre, truly was righteous, you know, considered considerably in the word of God, that was the reason Lot was destroyed. God was going to destroy everyone in Sodom. But because Abraham made intercession and said, if I find 10, if I find 20, will you spare the city? God said, let it be. And so here, the re what I'm building up to is here is a perfect example of the prayer of a righteous man availing much. God would have, for all intents and purposes, destroyed every single resident of Sodom and Gomorrah, including Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. But because Abraham made that, he went against and relented against his own word. And that's something we can all do as well. And that reminds me, Jeremy, of the, the time that um, Yahweh said to Moses, look, I'm going to wipe out these Israelites. I'm sick to death of them. And he, 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 um, you know, he, he interceded on behalf of Israelites and Moses did and said, please, Yahweh, don't do this. You know, um, please, please think again. And Yahweh um, decided not to. So, I mean, they're, they're two, the account you just mentioned then and the, the one about Moses are two very well-known accounts, but you wonder how often throughout history a righteous man has gone to bat for our people when Yahweh was seriously considering you know, getting rid of quite a few of our number. Yeah, exactly. And that same said righteous man, like Christ and many of the prophets, wouldn't get the recognition of man for even doing the work. You know, and that's what I think something else we've tried to point out on this show. Christ, when he teaches about prayer, for lack of a better term, says you should go in your prayer closet. You don't want to be like these hypocrites. You don't want to be out here making long prayers, look at me. I'm so pious and righteous. So once again, it's not about knowing how to pray or for making really long, convincing prayers. 
It's really about truly serving God. The true saint of God does everything for God, not for the recognition of men. Okay, now my fourth Desert Island verse about prayer is from Luke 18, verse 1, and it's the Amplified Version. Also Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to turn coward, faint, lose heart, and give up. Now as we've said in the previous podcast, folks, this isn't a, a, this isn't a, um, a sprint. This is a long-distance marathon. And, uh, you know, we've got to hang in there. We can't stagger off into the sidelines and throw our hands up into the air and say, oh, this is too hard. I just can't go on with this. It's, it's all about persistence. And we, when we look at the, um, the parable of the importunate widow, um, importunate means persistence, but it doesn't just mean persistent. It means persistent in the sense of demanding, insistent. You know, somebody who's going to make a real nuisance of themselves and never go away. And as you know about that story, you know, the... The widow woman had some ad- adversary who was giving her a hard time. She kept going to this unjust judge, as the scripture calls it, and he wouldn't do anything uh, about it initially, but she became such a darn nuisance that the guy said to himself, look, the only way to shut up this woman is to just give her what, what, what she wants. And um, so he did, and you know, she got what she, she wanted. And that ties in with um, Luke 18, verses 7 to 8, the Amplified Version. It says, And will not our just God... and God defend and protect and avenge his elect, his chosen ones who cry to him day and night. Will he defer them and delay help on their behalf? Verse 8. I tell you, he will defend and protect and avenge them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find persistence in faith on the earth? And that's something Yahweh's really going to be looking for when he returns. Now, obviously, there will be persistence in faith on the earth because we know he's coming back for the overcomers. But uh, we're going to be in a situation, our people, are going to be in a situation where it seems like the heaven, heavens are brass, where you know we've lost communication with our fellow Israelites perhaps and maybe we're on our own or just with our families and nothing seems to be happening. You know, We pray and we pray you know, morning, noon and night and uh, Yahweh still hasn't returned or this particular prayer hasn't been answered. But Yahweh's going to hold off on things, uh, A, because um, you know, he wants you know, to, to give people enough time to be able to repent and you know, turn to him, give them enough chance to do that, and B, because he wants to to test our faith. And the only way he can test our faith is to, you know, hold back from answering our prayers for a while just to see how we react to it. And I kind of liken it to this, Jeremy. It's like you're a kid, right? And you're at school and your parents pick you up, your mum picks you up every, every day after school. But this particular day, you know, let's say that it only takes your mum about 10 minutes to drive to the, drive to the, um, the school. But this particular day, she has a flat tyre and there's no one else to help her. She has to do it herself. And it takes her two hours to do it. So it takes it, instead of the usual 10 minutes, it takes it two hours to get to the school. And while that's happening, while you're waiting for your mother, you're thinking to yourself, well, the 10 minutes is up here. My mum still hasn't shown up. You know, what's the deal here? And then, you know, 15 minutes go by, then 20 minutes and a half an hour and an hour. And then all those thoughts start creeping in. You know, maybe, you know, my mum's abandoned me or maybe this has happened. Maybe she's, she's died or maybe she doesn't want me anymore. And there are all these thoughts you're tempted to think. But then mum eventually turns up two hours later. And it's pretty late, obviously. But, you know, the little kid gets into the car and he's miserable, miserable and, that, and that. But, but, but you know, he, he's finally with his mother and he's sitting there with her and he realises everything's okay. You know, that two hours is, is behind me now. You know, I can go home and have a good time. And that's pretty much what it's going to be like when Yahweh returns. You know, we're waiting for Yahweh to turn up to pick us up from school, you know, so to speak, you know, in five or so minutes. But Yahweh's taking much longer than, 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 we, than we'd like. And, and Yahweh's doing that to see if we're going to continue believing him 
no matter what our circumstances say. The Bible says, you know, um, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. So the, the times that we're moving into are really going to require persistence of faith. And persistence in faith is what it's all about. Anyone can, you know, have faith for a day or two. That's nothing. But it's when, you know, you, know, you pray for something and nothing seems to happen, where the only thing keeping you going is your faith and hope. That's when, you know, faith really kicks in. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And I think that's exactly why we're commanded to be patient and wait on God. Many of us will make a prayer and we don't wait for his answer. You know, I think a lot of our listeners should maybe be, you know, reminded that Christ straightforwardly taught that unless those days were shortened, even the Zadok, even the elect, even his, the saints would be deceived. And that's the time we're coming up into, I believe, as well. Because Babylon or confusion gets so, you know, we get so far out into Babylon that I think people forget that, that we have to be long-suffering and patient. And that's probably exactly why the time is what it is. While everyone's sitting looking, looking, Scripture says the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It'll come at at a time when no one's expecting it. And most likely because of what you just said. God's trying to purge the tares from the wheat and the goats from the sheep. And the only way to do that is to see who really, truly will will persevere until the end. Well, as you said, we must be long-suffering. The Bible says Yahweh is long-suffering towards us. You know, he would have none of us to perish. You know, not that that will necessarily be the case, because some of us will perish. But, um, you know, if he had his way, none of us would. But, you know, we must, um, you know, we must reflect Yahweh's characteristics. You know, we're his mirror image, the Bible says. You know, we're his reflection. So we need to mirror some of those characteristics of his. And one of the char- characteristics, of course, is long-suffering. And, you know, there, will come a, there is coming a time where, you know, long-suffering is going to be, you know, the, you know, the, the only way we're going to get, get through this. You know, things are just going to fall apart so badly, you know, there'll be, Yahweh will be the, our only, only way out of the situation. And when it seems like, you know, he's, not, he's ignoring our prayers or nothing seems to be happening, you know, it's either, you know, put our trust in him, have that persistence of faith, or, you know, just crumble into dust. Exactly, exactly. It should be pointed out that the verse I just read in James chapter 5, uh, verse 16, where it says, The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That word righteous means equitable in, in the Greek. And so it's quite telling in a lot of ways. If we're equitable, it means we have a net worth. It, it, we have worth with God. God can use us. But in essence, God really can't use somebody who doesn't know him. Yes, and, and the point of the whole exercise, the reason we're going through all these trials and tribulations and some great trials and tribulations when things really get bad is because Yahweh wants us to, to, he wants to bring out those qualities of himself in us so that when we rule and reign and we administer his kingdom alongside you know, Jesus Christ, that uh, we, we'll have those characteristics and we'll, we'll know how important it is for other people, you know, the people that we judge to, um, to, to, to have those characteristics and also to be merciful uh, on them, you know, when they when they fail every now and then, you know, like like we fail every now and then. So, um, you know, the whole point of the exercise, folks, is that Yahweh's getting us to be like Him as much as we possibly can in in this flesh body. Exactly, we are supposed to be like even more like Christ-like, you know, and that's the whole thing. Christ didn't walk around with half a beard, uh, you know, calling everyone mamsers and mixed. Christ did everything He did 
out of love. And Christ was a was one of those examples when I was researching notes tonight. Christ, of all the things he taught, no one can say he never taught how to pray. And he, he prayed at the Passover before the, the, the crucifixion. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was betrayed. He prayed nonstop. And that's why, leading up to it, my fifth uh, Desert Island verse for the evening is uh, the words of Paul. It's found in the First Thessalonians chapter five. Five seventeen. You know it. You know I, exactly I was going to have this one, but you go first. I've got some others I can use. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry about that. But That's all right. No perfect. problem. It's such a great statement because it's all wrapped up in a very simple three-letter, you know, commandment: pray without ceasing. Now that ties so perfectly into exactly what we were saying at the beginning of at least this segment, that we are instructed to pray without ceasing. And just like my verse from Proverbs 28, verse 9, where it says that whoso turneth his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination, that word prayer, like Obadiah pointed out, is supplication, meaning that you will also be cursed in this life. Anything you ask Yahweh God for or, or come to him in supplication for will be considered an abomination. And so it comes down to simple things. You want to have healthy children. You want to be blessed. You want to have a nice, clean home. You know, and then you pray without ceasing. That's how you do it morning, noon, and night. And that's something that we should all be doing. And probably every single one of us has neglected at some time or another. Now, um. Uh I thought I'd jot down a few extra verses today, Jeremy, because I thought that you know we probably might double up on a couple of them. I, I was going to do the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, but I thought, oh, Jeremy will probably take that one. That's such a good one to use, and this one's a good one to use. But I, I, just to, to compliment what you say, um, I got some. Um, I downloaded this from the internet. This is from Barnes Note Notes on the Bible. It's talking about praying without ceasing. It says, "We are to maintain an uninterrupted and constant spirit of prayer." We're to be in such a frame of mind as to be ready to pray publicly if requested and when alone to improve any moment of leisure which we may have when we feel, when we feel ourselves, uh, printing errors, muck that up, inclined to pray. That, Christ, that Christian is in a bad state of mind who has, suffered, who has suffered himself by attention to worldly cares or by light conversation or by gaiety and vanity or by reading an improper book or by eating or drinking too much or by late hours at night among the thoughtless and the vain to be brought into such a condition that he cannot engage in prayer with proper feelings. There has been evil done to the soul if it is not prepared for communion with God at all times and if it would not find pleasure in approaching his holy throne. So in short, what he's saying is that, you know, uh, we've got to, even though we can't pray without ceasing in the sense of, you know, um, we can't pray 24-7, that's impossible, but we've got to be in a constant spirit of prayer that uh, if we need to pray, we can pray and uh, not have anything come between us and praying. You know, things like, you know, foolish talk and like, like we had earlier and, and, and other stuff, you know. Um, we, we should be ready to pray at a moment's notice. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it is so important, this whole concept of prayer, and I'm glad that we're doing this particular segment because of that. I think people often neglect prayer, or they think prayer is infeminine, you know. And, and another one I had picked as a backup for this evening would be First John chapter 5, verse 16, where John says, If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death, 
I do not say that he shall pray for it. So that's one of those types of statements that's saying, yeah, we should pray, and we should even pray for our enemies and those who slander us. But it's not necessarily saying that we need to pray good things or blessings for them, because many times David would even pray that the Canaanite or, or the enemy would be subdued, you know. But that's one perfect example there. In the eyes of Yahweh God, all sin is not equal. If it was, there would be no unpardonable sin, and there would be no such thing as sins unto death. And we're not supposed to pray for pedophiles, per se, or murderers, or anyone, according to Leviticus and Deuteronomy, that is sentenced to death under the Mosaic Law. Well, the Bible says... Um and I was looking this scripture up last night. I meant to write it down. I don't know why I didn't. When I say write it down, I print them all off. Um, but um, it talks about uh, how we should pray for all the saints, you know, um, all the time, uh, pretty much. I, I, I'm misquoting it terribly there, but I think you've probably got a gist of what, what scripture I mean there. But it, it, it talks about how, how we must pray for all saints. All saints, folks. That's not just the people in our little group. You know, the people that we like, and, you know, it, it means we've got to pray for, for everyone. You know, per, you know, Eli's side of the equation, Bill's side of the equation, our side of the equation, if we do have a side of the equation, Jeremy, we've got to pray for all of us. And if we don't like what somebody's preaching or we don't particularly like that person, then pray that that person gets better and have faith that that person, you know, will start preaching things, you know, in a way that, you know, will be uh, more closely befitting what Yahweh said, you know, in, in his word. You know, that, that, that person will pray more, will, will preach more, more faithfully and will behave more faithfully, will be a better Christian, will be counted worthy on that day. Don't, don't um, you know, I like the, the Marines' philosophy. You know, they don't leave a, an injured um, fellow Marine behind. You know, they always, you know, take, take him a, 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 along with them. We, we should be the same in Christian identity. We should, just because somebody's going through a rough trot doesn't mean that we abandon them. We no longer pray pray for them, or even if they're saying bad things about us. That doesn't mean that we should stop praying for them, that Yahweh, you know, shouldn't bless them. I, I mean, we've looked at this many a times before. You know, if, if we're only praying for people we like and only being nice to people that we like, well, there's no big deal about that at all. The Bible says even the sinners, even the wicked do that. You know, that, that makes us no better than the average sinner. You know, we've got to pray for everyone in Christian identity, everyone who's sincerely trying to... Um, you know, preach Yahweh's word and to, to live a holy life. And even if we think, we think that they might be failing, you know, quite a bit uh, on that score, we should pray that, you know, Yahweh picks them up and helps them to succeed. Yeah, exactly. Our numbers are so few as it is. There's so few a, t a truth teller out there that it is ludicrous. And, and you and I have preached on this before, I believe, in the Spiritual Gifts series where we had mentioned that, you know, basically what I established the ministry, CPM on. And that's the ideal that no man has all truth. But we as a collective body do. And that's what I think people miss. If the, if the church, quote-unquote, is the ecclesia or the body of believers, then that means also that many of these other pastors who are wrong, myself included, in certain areas comprising that body – make the whole and the whole fit together you know it works perfectly but i think people miss that when they start turning around and go oh, i don't want to listen to this pastor i don't want to listen to this pastor i have all truth that's exactly what the pharisees thought and christ rebuked them for it exactly you know we need to pray for these people because nobody has a complete revelation of yahweh's word and you know we're all in this together i mean we have so much in common you know to 
to have these fights over some of the most trivial matters is, is ridiculous. And if you don't agree with somebody, as we've said many times before, if you don't agree with somebody in a particular theological point, state your case and leave it at that. Anything on top of that is slander. And, you know, um, and, and that's the problem. We get into these slanging matches with people and we're tempted to fire back and it's very difficult for us to sort of turn our backs on it and not to, you know, get involved with it anymore. I've had that situation recently. I've had to turn my, my back on a particular situation. It's difficult to start off with, but after you do it, you realise, you know, through the Spirit, through Yahweh's Word, you've done the right thing. Yahweh's going to, to bless you and hopefully bless that person who's saying things about you that um, he or she shouldn't be saying. Yeah, exactly. That's the beautiful thing about God is he's fair. I've noticed that through his Word. He's literally fair in all regards, even down to these teachings of by which measure we judge, you know, we're judged in return. No man, as they stand before God at the white, great white throne judgment, is going to be able to blame Rabbi Samuelson or Billy Graham, because it really those things that can separate us from God or keep us from the kingdom are all things we do consciously and of our own accord. It's not like somebody tricks us into judging somebody to heaven or hell. But in doing that, we can, we can you know, mess up our own salvation. Well, we, we are the only ones that can... What you said is exactly right. We're the only ones who can stop ourselves from getting into the kingdom. You know, the Yahweh, Yahweh wants us to be in the kingdom more than, more than we do. He wants us to be with him you know, more than we do. He, he wants, to, wants us to be blessed more than we want to be blessed. You know, it's us who put, you know, gum up the works by our sin and, you know, not doing the simple things that he says, like to forgive. We've said it many times before on the podcast, pardon me for a sec, <coughs> sorry about that. We've said it many times before that, um, you know, if you don't love your brethren, if you don't forgive, if you, you know, you're not in that frame of mind, sorry, Jeremy, you have to talk, I have a glass of water for a sec. Yeah, no problem. No problem. And it is a good point that Obadiah is bringing up, because praying without the Spirit's leading into understanding, you know, it does you no good. It says in the Scripture that Yahweh God is Spirit, therefore whosoever approaches Him must approach uh, worship Him in Spirit and Truth. And so the Spirit aspect is exactly what we covered today, the breath of life that was breathed into Adam. But the truth aspect is something a lot of Christian identists miss on. Because slander is popular, gossip's popular, I'll admit that. Some of the shows I've done in the past that weren't slander, but actually true, dealing with current events, usually go on to become those classics because that's what mankind's inclined to listen to. Yes, well, um, gee, my voice is giving out. I, I'm not good for these long-distance things. I'm a much better listener than I am a speaker. I don't know how these people can do a podcast for five hours. But anyway, yeah, um, you, you, you touched on slander. Now, now, you and I have both slandered people on this show before, and we really shouldn't do that. The Bible says, you know, slander is not on. You know, slander is a sin, and if we're, we're slandering, it means we're, we're sinning. We're sinning, and, you know, we, we shouldn't do that. So, so we really need to endeavour to make this to be a, a slander-free podcast, if it is all humanly possible, and uh, I, I think it is. You know, the Bible says, commands us not to slander, so we really shouldn't slander people even martin lindstedt we can't slander even though we if there's anyone on this planet deserving of slander it's that idiot <laughs> idiot isn't slander by the way folks that's exactly what he is just listen to his show sometime but yeah, um, yeah i was talking about out. we were talking about love jeremy and, and you know it sounds sort of cornball i know speaking about it but i mean if you can the bible says if you cannot love your brethren if you you don't have love then you're useless and I mean, that's the foundation of it. I mean, Yahweh, the Bible says, Yahweh so loved the, 
Israelite world. It just says world, but it's really talking about Israelites. That you know, he he gave him his, his own son up. You know, he he put himself on the line, and he did all that because he loved us. You know, as he was um, staggering to the cross with his beard torn out by the roots. You know, scourge back, and you know his body just bloodied. You know, a crown of thorns on his head. You know, staggering towards the cross. You know, there would have been people lining the streets and they would have been jeering him. And not all of these, those people would have been Jews. Some of them would have been full-blooded Israelites. And they would have been, you know, cursing him and spitting, spitting upon him. But yet he, he died for all those people too. So, and, and yet we're not prepared to forgive someone simply because they call us names on the internet. I mean, how pathetic is it when you think of it? I mean, all, all that, you know, Yahweh went through to, you know, redeem us, you know, we're not, we're not even... You know, going to overlook somebody calling us a couple of names. I mean, it's so pathetic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it truly is. And that's that's I think what happens to a lot of us is we get lifted up and we say, "Hey, well, you know what? Uh, I forget what manner of man I was." You know, just like James says, they behold the mirror and then they forget. And and that that's usually when that happens is they'll start saying, "Well, I don't like this pastor. I don't like this pastor. He doesn't look white enough." In reality. They're taking the position of God, <laughs> and the Word says if they're going to judge their brother like that, they're going to spend all their time doing that. The problem's really not with their brother. They're judging the law. They hate the law and what it represents most likely, to paraphrase, because it condemns them. Well, Christ um, gave a wonderful... Um, uh, uh, he, he mentioned about um, a guy, uh, I, I forget if it was a Pharisee or a Sadducee or something, he was in the you know temple saying, you know, oh, I've... Yahweh, I've done all this, you know, I'm such a great guy, aren't I wonderful? And then there was this, I don't know if he was a scribe or publican or somebody, some, some, some guy wasn't, you know, looked on it very highly in the community, and he was saying, Yahweh, I'm lowly, you know, I don't deserve to be in your presence, you know, I'm this or that. But um, Christ was saying how the, the guy who was honest about himself, who had an honest assessment about himself, was the one who pleased him more than the self-righteous Pharisee. And it's very easy. You see some people in Christian identity who do get a bit self-righteous and are looking on others, you know, oh, you shouldn't be preaching this, you shouldn't be doing that. And, and really, they're, they're puffing themselves up beyond Yahweh, you know, above Yahweh. Because if Yahweh, you know, overlooks that particular person's, you know, faults and failings that that person might be, you know, looking at, criticising, then what is that person not to overlook their, uh, that person's... Um, faults and failings. I mean, you know, uh, are we better than God? If God approves of someone, who are we to disapprove of them? Yeah, exactly. That's such a good point, because Christ's blood is sufficient. And I pointed that out as grace truly is sufficient to cop a Judeo-Christian phrase, but it's true. And if his grace is able to forgive a convicted pedophile, for example, not saying he will, but you and I or anybody else who's, who's told a white lie or stole a stick of gum, then we have to also believe that his grace is sufficient to forgive our brothers as well. And I think that's where the whole pharisaical mindset comes in. Copperate taught against it, Swift taught against it, but a lot of guys out there love acting like they're judge, trial, and jury. And I guarantee you the reason they do that is just like it says in Scripture, they know they're not going in the kingdom just like the scribes and Pharisees, so they do everything they can do to try and keep people up. You made me feel bad about the crack about the, with the crack about the, the bubblegum, Jeremy, because I did st used to steal some stickers, packs of bubblegum years ago, back in the 70s, Ooh. and I, I stole a stamp album, confessing here, and I stole some fishing lures from a, a place called McEwen's here in Melbourne. It's this hardware store. It doesn't exist anymore. So McEwen's, if you can hear this, you know, come and cuff me. You know, send the cops. 
<laughs> well, I, you know, exactly. The reason I say that is because the Judeo-Christian, while they espouse this belief that God... God doesn't see your sin. God doesn't care what you do. And all sin is equal in the eyes of God, which Scripture completely teaches contrary to. to. They never seem to mention that. They, you know, that, hey, they'll sit there and say the Ten Commandments are still in effect. Well, the Ten Commandments encompass all the laws, including stealing and coveting and adultering and adulteration and everything else. So, Yeah, I feel really bad about stealing stuff. And if I go into a, a shop and they you know, give me, say, five cents too much change, I have to come back and, and give it to them because my conscience just really gets to me now. So uh, I, I've become a real nut when it comes with things like that. But it's good to, you know, honesty is the best policy. Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad you bring that up as well because it is quite interesting how we had mentioned before, retrospect. In retrospect, all the, all the prophets could see God, you know, working in their life. They didn't see it then. And it'll be the same way with us. And it is amazing how a lot of the things we do when we're children or preteens or even teenagers or in our early 20s, when you reach your 40s, you start to regret it. You, you know, you may not for your whole 20s, your whole 30s. But a lot of these little things like, hey, I, I, you know, I said the wrong word to my teacher this day or whatever it is, they do come back and haunt you, even if it's as simple as something as taking a stick of gum because you know God says you shouldn't do it. Did you and, did you and Jeremy Miller and uh, Kirk Cameron ever get up to mischief? <laughs> i tell you what. i tell you what. Kirk Cameron... I gotta respect him with that. <laughs> Not that I respect him, but I gotta respect him going to Venice and doing what he did. Now, what was interesting, and a lot of people don't know this about Kirk, during Growing Pains in the '80s, in the late '80s, Growing Pains was an extremely popular television show. And Kirk, believe it or not, even though he was a Judeo-Christian, even at that time was doing movies like Left Behind and everything else. So he was an open, confessing Judeo-Christian preacher. Now, towards the or uh, person, just a Judeo-Christian, you know, adherent. Towards the end of Growing Pains, the reason the show got pulled was Kirk Cameron was refusing to do any type of scene with his girlfriend. In the last season or two, they brought in a new child to try and, you know counter all of these things and at that time kirk was going to college and kirk you know his character in that show had a girlfriend and they were supposed to kiss and they were supposed to have out of sex wedlock well kirk refused to do it and essentially went off on the show kind of like that kid from two and a half men did a few weeks ago started saying that it was the devil's handiwork that they were a bunch of godless pagans that's why growing pains ended as a television show and ever since that day kirk has literally been reduced to doing shows on the Tribune Broadcasting Network because Hollywood has blacklisted them. Yes, I remember years ago he got married and I was very envious of him at the, at the time. I know you shouldn't be envious, but I was because he married this really hot-looking lady. Boy, she was a sort, as we like to say here in Australia. But um, oh, he's probably pleased with what he's doing. He thinks he's on the right path. It's a shame, isn't it? Uh, because it, he's a white guy, isn't he? He, he has no non-white blood in him. No, I don't think so. And Candace, uh, Candace Burke Cameron, his his sister. I mean, you look at these people, and and they, and they look white. 
You know, but then again, you know, not much can be said. To hear it from Logan, Stevie Nicks is a Jew, which is something I didn't know. Tom Petty's a Jew, according to a lot of these people. And I'm sure if you deep, if you dig deep and long enough, you know, you might be able to find something. But no, he's just a misled Judeo-Christian who, you know, I was closer with Jeremy Miller at the time because we're pretty much the same age. But, you know... So was Jeremy Miller, so, sorry to interrupt Jeremy, but was Jeremy Miller, was he still going to school when he was doing Growing Pains? Yes, yes, and a lot of people don't know that about child actors, but because of the Shirley Temple child labor laws in Hollywood, to be a child actor, at least since the 70s till now, you have to be full-time enrolled in school if you're of a school age. Now, in Hollywood, the actors or anybody who was active in the Screen Actors Guild had one of two choices. That was private, having a private tutor come in to, uh, to you know, tutor them on the set or homeschool them, or to go to a private magnet school. And unfortunately, well, or maybe I should say fortunately, me and my brothers ended up going to magnet schools when we were in Los Angeles. And during the time of the mandatory forced busing laws, where they were forcing people to go all over the place, People were coming out to San Fernando and Silmar in the Valley who lived in Burbank, Beverly Hills, and Santa Monica. So that's kind of how that ended up happening. My brother actually went to school with a hell of a lot more celebrities than I did because he went to North Hollywood High School. And we've talked about some of the people, you know, that he used to know once upon a time. But yes, No, we was... haven't, Jeremy. No, I don't think we have. I'd, lo- I'd love to hear some. Who did he know? Oh, you know, Cuba Gooding Jr., for one. Oh, right. oh, yes, you did mention that. I, I'm sorry. Did, what about, did you ever get to meet any of the, you know, the hot-looking, you know, Hollywood babes at, at Hollywood High or North Hollywood High or any of the, the future starlets uh, uh, amongst them? Well, the thing that's interesting about the Jews media in Hollywood is they like showing middle America a fictitious ideal of what California really is. And the reason I say that is because, like, when I graduated high school, one of the hot TV shows was Baywatch. Another one was Beverly Hills 90210 with Shannon Doherty. Now, you would watch these shows, and they would show people on the beach, and here's Pam Anderson. Everyone's white. Everyone's healthy. Everyone's fit and trim. Now, if I were to go to the beach, you know, because I lived in Venice for quite some time, if I were to walk three blocks over to Venice Beach, I never saw that. And that was what was so ironic to me, is in the media, they always portray Hollywood as being so glamorous and so white. But in reality, when I lived on Hollywood Boulevard, on the Strip, almost everybody I knew was a heroin junkie, a crackhead, or a prostitute. Because that's the side of Hollywood they never really show you. Well, it's interesting you're talking about Beverly Hills 90210, which would have to be one of the most boring, tedious shows I've ever seen in my life, because it was a big hit here, here in Australia too at the time. And I, I, I listened into it one day on TV, and I, I thought, this is absolute garbage. I can't sit through this. It was just tedious. But um, you're talking about Baywatch and how, how you know, um, Hollywood presents a, a particular view of life, but, but reality is a lot different. And I was reading a... Uh, 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 an article about Baywatch and how they they, they as soon as they they come out of the water they'd have to give them injections because it was so polluted and you know they get all this gunk in their their ear you know E. coli bacteria which is from feces from sewage going into the 
the ocean and you know the the reality of it was so so different from from what it is in you know in, in Baywatch where you know you just go into the beautiful sparkling water you'd swim around you'd come out and you know everything was great you know as soon as they stepped out they'd <laughs> they'd have a round of antibiotics yeah and i believe that 100% because even as a child growing up in venice santa monica I couldn't go to the beaches because the beaches had mercury poisoning, though they'd have oil slicks or they would have something. In the 70s, half of the Santa Monica Pier washed away, you know, once upon a time, washed half the pier away with the Ferris wheels and everything else. And literally my whole life growing up, I was told, don't even swim in Venice. If you want to go to, you know, a beach, you go to Oxnard, you go up north to Miami, but you don't swim in Venice or Santa Monica Beach. Ironically, Baywatch was filmed right there on Santa Monica Beach, which is probably one of the most polluted beaches on the Pacific Ocean. What about Malibu and Santa Barbara? Are they clean beaches or are they fairly bad too? They're really, really clean, except for the fact that when you start going up north, up Pacific Coast Highway, it starts getting more and more expensive, and it starts getting more and more Jewish. So when you get to the north side of Malibu, which is above you know, the marina, Santa Monica and Venice, it's really beautiful houses, and it's really clear water, except there's no place to park. If you park, it's $25, and all the houses are pretty much private on there. So the public beaches are the beaches where all your Mexicans go, and they're digging sand crabs. And if you were to go to, like, Venice Beach or Santa Monica Beach, that's what you'd see. You wouldn't see Pam Anderson running around. You know, you wouldn't see that. So that's what, you know, a perfect example of that would be the Rodney King beatings. This happened in high school. And I remember going to Hollywood High School and seeing all these uppity niggers. But, to, you know, to, to sum up the, the story, I moved fresh out of high school. I left Los Angeles, and I moved to the south. And I kid you not, Obadiah, as I left California and went across to the southern states, you could literally hear the story surrounding Rodney King change as you went. The news reports in Los Angeles were all saying he was a drunken crackhead. Daryl Gates was correct in the way he treated everything. But as I went across the country, you know, on a Greyhound bus, you're hearing people talk, and they're, oh, well, it was a violation of civil rights. It was this and it was that. So what I'm saying is it's kind of funny how leaving L.A. and coming to the South, I was actually able to see at least the Rodney King story and the riots that were happening in Los Angeles. The story changed from one that was anti-Rodney King to one that was pro-Rodney King. Yeah, I suppose the, the more you travel into liberal territory, the, the, the more it changes in, in the fight, the more the, the news reporting uh, changes in favour of the, the person being beaten up, in, in this case, Rodney King. But I must ask you this question, Jeremy. I've seen a number of action Hollywood action films over the years, and often they'll have a, um, this mansion overlooking the beach, overlooking the ocean, that's you know, owned by some big drug kingpin, you know, that they've got a They've got to find a way to bust. So these beautiful houses, these mansions overlooking the, the California coast, are, are these all in Santa Monica, are they? Yeah, essentially it, it becomes ghetto going south below the marina. Once you get below Marina Del Rey, you start getting into the scum. From there to Tijuana down, it's all scum. But pretty much above Venice, all the way up to Point Magoo, almost to the northern California, that is all considered prime real estate. So you watch a movie like Lethal Weapon 2, 
where they have they're living on the beach, you know, or Rockard Files, for example, when he's living in a camper on the beach in the 70s. And you see these beautiful houses. Nine times out of ten, those houses are owned by somebody within the industry, most likely a pornographer who leases his house out for those shots or, or, you know, rents his house out. Because the marina is such a hot area for people to record in. Whether it's, you know, most films in Hollywood are filmed along the coast or they're filmed out in the valley, like your westerns. They're filmed out in the valley where it's all dry and rocky. Well, it's a wonder Marty doesn't rent the hovel out. Yeah, you know, that's true. If if they were going to make a uh, wrong turn five, that would be a perfect house. To put, the, you know, to put the inbreeders in. That, that would be, you know, sort of a, a deliverance-type situation. Actually, that's probably a bit too primitive, even for deliverance. Well, I'll tell you what, there's money to be made in it. I didn't know this, but my wife reminded me, here, right where we're living now, if you go over to Sonoya while they're filming The Walking Dead, they will not only put you in the movie as an extra, as a zombie, but they will pay you 200 and $99 per day to do it. Now, that's pretty good money if you want to go down and actually just be a zombie and get abused for a day. But they, they even do it here. And now that I live in Atlanta, there's a huge explosion of films being made here. You know, of course, Turner Radio Network's here. TNT and everything in Atlanta is owned by Turner and his commie wife, Jane Fonda. So, you know, you turn on the Nashville Network or you turn on any of these television shows, it's all filmed right here in, in, in Atlanta, just like most of the Food Network shows. Well, I was an extra on an Aussie soap called Neighbours not that long ago, and that was the, the show that uh, Kylie Minogue, have you heard of her? Oh, she yeah, I remember her. She was an 80s pop singer, sure. Yep, um, she's, she's still a pop singer, but she uh, does, does acting work, but uh, she was made famous for that. It used to have Russell Crowe on it, Guy Pearce. Um, the beautiful Delta Goodrum. I don't know if you've ever seen her. She's a, a honey of an Aryan princess, if ever there was one. Um, and, and a number of other people. But um, uh, sadly, I wasn't discovered, Jeremy. What can I say? Ah, well, that's the thing. If you really want to truly be discovered in Hollywood, or in Hollywood, I'm not speaking at an independent level, but Hollywood, you've got to be a member of the tribe. And that's what people miss. Julia Roberts, yes, Kike, Kike alike. You know, Aniston, all of these people that people look up to are either Jewish in their, you know, racially, or they turn kike-alike by turning tricks at couch couch cast testing, because that happens a lot as well. And that was the thing. I grew up in in L.A. I went to magnet schools. At one point, you know, I was surrounded by a lot of Jews because they love sending their kids to to private schools and magnet schools. But at one point, 80% of the kids I was in school with were all in the Screen Actors Guild, and they were getting called, you know, here for a commercial or there for a commercial. And unfortunately, most of the people I went to school with who weren't white, ended up making it i could give you a list of negroes and mexicans that i was literally in high school with in my graduating class that went on to star in 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 gangster pro-black movies of the mid you know early 90s like boys in the hood and menace to society and so i'm not saying that to brag i'm saying that even then when i was graduating high school there was this agenda in hollywood to portray white women with negroes and that's what i was seeing and when i was a kid in in magnet school and these 13 year old boy jews would come to me and they would be like hey 
I'm 13. I'm having a bar mitzvah. My dad's getting me a hooker tonight. I used to always sit and think, hey, you know what? This is wishful thinking. Yeah, sure it was. But now that I'm older and I look back, they weren't lying. And a lot of these Jews were being straight up honest. So in order, what I'm saying in a roundabout way is to be able to be in Hollywood for any amount. If you want to be John Travolta, you're going to have to be gay like John Travolta because you ain't making it in otherwise. Jeremy, you've got to be an extra on Walking Dead. Could you imagine how, how much mileage Marty would be able to get out of that? Oh, you know what? And if I did that, I would not only – I would promote it on the forum as well. Here's Pastor Visser, Melungeon uh, Cherokee Zombie, you know. But, but Jeremy, yeah. you could go around with an Obi and Visser Show T-shirt. That'd be good. That'd be good. It, it is crazy around here, around Sonoya, when they film that show because it's so popular. I didn't even realize they have their own talk show now. It's called The Talking Dead. And every time The Walking Dead plays, they'll have the hour show or 44 minutes or whatever. And then after it, they'll have people come on to discuss the episode. And so, I don't know, in a way it's kind of good because I've always been a zombie guy. But in a way, it's kind of a statement on our society today. Well, um, I'm only up to, to, to uh, episode four of the current series, and uh, he's, this is a spoiler, folks, so stick your fingers in your ears for the next uh, half a minute or so. His wife dies in it. And uh, one interesting thing about the series is, you know, how they, they, they kill off, you know, the, some of the stars of the show. You know, they're not afraid to do that. So, so no one's really sort of, you know, you know uh, has any sort of permanency there. You could, anyone could die at any time. Yeah, exactly. And the reason for that is because the entire show, believe it or not, is actually based on a comic book. So for the most part, whatever happens in the Walking Dead comic book is what gets transferred to the screen. But it is funny, here out in the middle of the country, I grew up in the city, so I wanted to get the hell out of the city and be a country boy the rest of my life. And then I move out here, and every now and again when they do this, when it's their season and they're filming, it gets crazy crazy busy down here in Sonoya for people to do The Walking Dead. And it goes further than that because a lot of filmmakers have chosen Fayetteville and Peachtree City and a lot of these cities around here to recreate a lot of these old movies you know, that, that have been coming out. So I don't know. It is funny how they, they do it. But as far as the Hollywood models, no, I never saw that. And almost everyone I went to high school with was, was obese, big, you know. And probably non-white, but I did go with a lot of, of males who were in the Screen Actors Guild. And ironically, in retrospect, looking back, most of them were probably homosexual and had to be to even get their positions in Hollywood. You know, it's like I said before, even Corey Feldman has come out, being a Jew he is, but he's come out and stated how him and Corey Haim had to be molested by Jewish moguls to even get their, you know, movie deals or to be in The Lost Boys or License to Drive and stuff. So to me, that was always a, a, a sad aspect of it because as a child, I wanted to be in a movie or a television show. And now that I'm an adult, I look back and I'm glad that I never was just for that purpose because at least now there's no paper trail of me, you know, being trying to play into their system. All right. Well, well, Jeremy, believe it or not, I haven't um, given my, my fifth and, and final um, Desert Island verse for prayer, so I better rattle that off and to, to bring the segment to a close. Excellent. We sort of went off on a bit of a tangent there, but it was a, a very entertaining one. And this is from Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. This is the Amplified Version. 
and it goes something like this. Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance and in everything, by prayer and petition, definite requests, with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God. So, so here we see in this verse, Jeremy, that uh, you know, it's perfectly fine to you know, make your wants known to God. You know, he wants to hear your, your cries. He wants to hear your petitions and your requests. But also, one of the key elements here, uh, one of the key things with prayer is with thanksgiving. You know, praise and thanksgiving ought to uh, really essentially need to um, accompany all of our prayers, don't they? Because um, we're showing Yahweh by, by thanking him. Well, what are we thanking him? We're thanking him for answering our prayers. We're having faith ahead of time, aren't we? The Bible says when you pray, believe that you've already seen what you, you've prayed for and you shall have whatsoever you are. So we've got to believe you know, before the, the item you know, rocks up, whatever it might be. Yeah, exactly. But you know, believing, you know, praying not believing, that's exactly what the atheist does. You go to VNN today, you're going to see people talking about, well, I told God if he existed to send a lightning bolt to kill me. That's not, that's not the right mentality they have, but that's essentially, you know, what they think. If God will prove himself to me, when in reality it's the other way around. We need to prove ourselves to God. And if God is truly on our side, you know, what can the enemy do? Hell, three years, five years, Marty's been slandering me, and if anything, I've grown. Uh, well, it's a good point you make, make there. Um, you know, we really need to, um, you know, uh, put our trust in Yahweh and to, to you know, um, look to him in all, all situations and uh, not let things get out of control, you know, things like slander and... Uh, you know, um, not let what the things that uh, people you know say about us uh, get us down because we're always going to have that. Let's face it, Jeremy, that's n never going to go away, is it? No, no, there will be wars, and Paul even asked that. From whence come wars, and all of these things, they usually come from man's ego. And as long as man has an ego, we're always going to deal with the same things, and that's the beauty of it. While the atheist sits there and says, "Hey, it's all coincidence, it's all ha you know circumstance." We already know from these examples pride goes before a fall. So I say to Alex Linder, you want to sit there and, and, and erase God from your forum, go right ahead. I'll see you in a year or two and see where you're standing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, boy, boy, is he headed for a fall. I mean, he already has had a fall, hasn't he? He's got this chronic illness that, uh, as far as I know, it's incurable. Crohn's is incurable, isn't it? Yeah, I believe it. I believe it can't be. It can just be, like, dealt with the symptoms. Yeah, so, so, you know, what does he accomplish for his people? He's done nothing. He's just set, set up a, a forum where everybody argues. And it, it's so, I don't know if you've ever read any of the recent threads there, but they're so masturbatory in the sense that uh, people are trying to, you know, write the better, better article or, or the better post and, you know, try to outwit each other and come up with these better terms than the other person. And it, it's all about, you know, um, you know, who's got the biggest one sort of thing, you know, not... Um, it's really that they do. He does absolutely nothing for the white nationalist community, and all he's done is come up with a few, you know, rather tedious terms for things. Like he came up with this term for um, hatred towards whites called loxism or something, and that that never took off. So, um, you know, uh, and, and, and you know, he's always sort of boasting about. You know, people are always saying, "What a great writer Alexander is." I don't find him a great writer at all. He's okay, but he's certainly not great. So he's really done nothing. I mean, you know, what, what has come, come about as a result of, you know, VNN? Nothing. You know, a few people hand out pamphlets, but most of the time they, they argue about, you know, which is right, you know, Christianity, Odinism, or this or that, or was this philosopher the best one to follow, or that one? 
and, and ultimately it's just you know spinning their wheels they're just peeing into a hurricane aren't they i mean it's just going nowhere yeah exactly it seems like it's the ones who are left are the ones who are pretty much there you know when we left years ago and they're the ones who uh literally you know if you if you go to vnn you'll see that 80 percent of the threads are anti-women and they're actually anti-white what i think is most telling about this week's news is that aspect alex linder's the type of guy who will allow nigger nationalists on his forum no problem he'll let a feminist on his show like elijah strom or allow her to be a moderator but he has a problem with christians and so that really goes to show that he's no different than your average quan out there who believe the racist christian is the most abominable and god loves faggots more than they so to me, it's quite telling in a lot of ways how it's the same group of people. He's run away all his serious posters, and it, you're exactly right. You know what it is? is a bunch of angry, discontented young youths who probably live in their mother's basement, the majority of which, none of which have a girlfriend or, or, or you know, an active dating life. And so they take it out and blame the Jew on everything. The Jew's not responsible for every evil that happens on the earth. But to hear some of these guys say it, oh, yeah, and if you disagree with them, well, you're a Jew, too. Well, the, the Jews only do what they do because of our sins and because um, white people have facilitated, facilitated their power, have given them the power, you know, have been traitors to their race. I mean, Jews wouldn't ha be where they are today if there wasn't a, a white who, you know, handed over the reins of power to them, who ratted on other whites, who became a traitor to other whites to, to give Jewish Jews their, their influence. You know, it's always a, a white sellout somewhere along the line. So to blame things, Jews are just the, the symptom. They're not the disease. The disease is our transgression of Yahweh's law. But, um, yeah, yeah, VNN is such a, just a, a cesspool. And, and to be honest, to any Christian that's still posting on VNN after that proclamation, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You really should be. Somebody comes out and says something like that, and, you know, you, you're going to stick with VNN regardless, you're a fool if you do. You really are. Amen. Hey Amen. And I'm glad you brought up white traders as well, because this week I received an email from the family of Hal Turner at familyofhalturner.blogspot.com or whatever it is. And it was interesting because, you know, I did shows on, on the Turner Radio Network like even Logan did and several people back in the day, Wickstrom. But now they're sending out emails trying to garner sympathy. I, could, I should probably post it in my forum talking about how how is some civil rights leader, some great thing that he's not, because, of course, Hal's now going to sue everybody from Pennsylvania to New York, and the feds included, more power to him. But what, I, what I'm saying is I think it's quite ironic how now even some white nationalists are toying with the idea that Hal Turner was thrown under the bus. And he was thrown under the bus because he was a fed, and the feds throw him under the bus. So Hal Turner's not some saint who was wrongfully convicted like Rabbi Samuelson wants you to believe, but there's still idiots out there who support him. Well, we covered this on a, a show in quite, a part show in quite some detail. Hal Turner is a traitor, folks. I mean, that's the bottom line, regardless of whether he should, should have been put in jail or not. That's not the issue. The point is he ratted on whites. He ratted on poor old Artie Wheeler and grandmother Elizabeth. He was responsible for him going to jail. Um, you know, somebody's prepared to do that to a dear old couple like that, or, or to, to Artie Wheel, I don't think Grandmother Elizabeth is in jail, but he's he, he a scumbag. And we also looked on, on a previous show at how, how Turner was wanted people who were dying, you know, people who were, 
you know, had terminal illnesses, you know, to go out and shoot people, you know, to contact him and he'd give them information on, you know, the best place to go and shoot Jews or specs or, or what have you. And, so, and now, of course, Turner wouldn't, um, uh, would make sure that that person didn't go ahead and do that. He, 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 he'd, you know, contact the FBI and say, here, you know, come and arrest this idiot who wants to do this. But the point is, he is prepared to send a terminally ill person to jail and let that person spend the rest of his or her days in prison. You know, I mean, this is the kind of guy he is. And he also says that when he comes out, you know, when he's allowed to speak, when, when those restrictions are taken off, are removed from him, that um, he, he wants to, you know, be a, a TV commentator. Well, he's not going to be a TV commentator as a racist. They're not going to have him on. So what's he going to be like? He's going to be like somebody like John Lee Clary, that white, white race traitor who now speaks out against the Ku Klux Klan and anyone who has a healthy respect for for his race, you know, a white person that has a healthy, healthy respect for his race. So that's the guy Hal Turner's, you know, that's what Hal Turner wants to do. So, I mean, you know, the mind boggles, Jeremy. I mean, I was a fool to support Hal Turner the way I did, but I've seen, since seen the light, and anyone who can't see the light now is just totally blind. I mean, Turner is a race trader, bottom line. End of story, period. Amen. And I don't care how they try to spin it. You know, Hal Turner's not getting my support. And that was exactly what I had said on, you know, on past broadcasts as well. Now, I did the Hal Turner Radio Network long after the 4chan fellers basically threw him under the bus for the uh, emails he was sending to the feds. And I had reservations. But, you know, once it came out, he was a Fed. Once I got visited from the feds because of it, you know, exactly. There's no coming back. And so to me, when I'm starting to read emails now of, of people, want, uh, the family of Hal Turner, wanting support from their mailing list who supported him for being a white nationalist spokesperson, to me it's ironic, and I wonder what percentage of, of people are actually going to do it. Feel he was wrong. He was shafted because I swear to you, there's a small segment, maybe two or three people, who still thinks Marty was set up and framed. It's an impossibility, but they still believe that. Oh, Jeremy, you, you reminded me of something I meant to say, and I forgot all about it. Bless your heart. Hunter Wallace. I, get, I was going to uh, list, list my awards for the, for the year, the various awards I'm going to ha hand out to people. Maybe we might do this next week. But the award for biggest idiot, biggest hypocrite of the year, believe it or not, doesn't go to Pastor Martin. It goes to Hunter Wallace. What an absolute... Fool of a man. Talk about deluded. Talk about naive. Not only did he go on the movement turd once, but he went on there a second time. This is, you know, despite the fact that me and other people were, were you know, telling him about Linset. And I actually posted a quote from Marty on his, um, uh, on his blog. And it's a quote where Marty says, you know, I want to get um, the parents of regime criminals to bite off the testicles of the little boys. And uh, I want to spade the, the young girls and then have them... Uh, uh, you know, use them as breeding stock, which is kind of ironic, because on the one hand he's saying he's going to neuter them, then he's going to use them as breeding stock. I, doesn't, I don't know how that works. You know, I have to ask Marty about that. <laughs> but, but despite that, he went on the second time. What a complete idiot. And the thing that gets me about the guy, he complained about Alex Linder talking about, you know, how we've got to get rid of all Jews, and that's one, one point I actually agree with Linder on. But then he goes on Lindstedt's show, a guy who talks about he wants to get, pretty, get rid of pretty much all whites, bar a few. You know, torture them, skin them alive, little children. That's no problem. You know, getting, getting rid of the Jews, oh, we can't have that. But, you know, torturing white people, oh, no problem at all. Torturing, skinning alive little kids, no problem at all. I mean, Hunter Wallace was putting himself up as, you know, one of these leaders or, 
you know, with his secessionist movement and that. And I mean, you know, people say that the guy's a good rider. He's an okay rider, not a great rider. But um, I mean, what an absolute idiot. I mean, these are the people that, you know, we're supposed to look to in white nationalism. What a total fool. Not going on Marty's show once, but going on it twice. I mean, you know, the Bible talks about how Yahweh will give these people over a reprobate mind, that they will believe a lie. And it's true, he's made them blind. And, and if Yahweh makes you blind, you are blind, fellow. Even if you can see, you know, th- through your eyes, I mean, mentally, you just cannot see. And Hunter Wallace, you get Obie's Award for biggest fool, biggest hypocrite of the year. You are, uh, you are just a complete idiot. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and they came back and bit them. You know, that's what I thought was funny. Alex Linder was supplying newspaper reports about the uh, sodomy charges and his affiliations and basically, he got banned from BNN, and in a weird way, if you really follow it, you'll see that the Brad Griffin debates, you know, him being aligned with Martin Lindsay and Occidental Descent and all of that, led up to Alex Linder banning all the Christians. Whether he can't debate them or what, that's another story. But it is weird how somehow through it all, yeah, Hunter Wallace and Martin Lindsay had a lot to do with Alex Linder's new uh, rule of no Christians. Now, Jeremy, we're coming to the top of the fourth hour. I'll have to get going shortly. But um, do you think we should dare ask for any more callers? We don't want a repeat of what happened in the second hour. That got way out of hand. Sorry again for that, folks. Do apologise. So if anyone would like to come on and talk matters scriptural, uh, I know we had Bruce Gorman manage to, to get a, a word in edgewise when all the other fellows were, were on. But, Bruce, if you're still around, uh, apologies for that. You know, If you want to come back on, we'll have a chat with you. Or anyone else with um, who'd like to discuss um, anything to do with theology? Yeah, that's a really good point as well. You know, as Marty goes out, like the Pharisees of old, working for his ADL taskmasters, he, like attacking us, does the same thing that the Pharisees did to Christ, and that is throw up and resurrect a straw man and attack it. So here is a perfect opportunity for the listener, for whoever you are, I mean, there's like 40 people in the chat room, to call in and go ahead and seriously ask your theological questions. If me and Obadiah have said something that's not scriptural, if I've ever taught over the last decade anything you disagree with, now be your opportunity. I've been begging for that for years, Obadiah, and to this day, I literally have never had anyone come against me theologically. I'm not saying I'm good. I'm saying I'd love for that to happen, though, because then at least I could say, hey, this detractor has a valid concern and a valid reason, and it's scriptural. Who cares if so-and-so might be a mamzer? Who cares if so-and-so's brother's a race trader? That has nothing to do with anything. So, yes, indeed, the Call us out. If you have a call, call in, please. And folks, um, this is a, a, we're going to keep this a, a swearing-free zone, a, a blasphemy-free zone, definitely. And uh, if you're a Jew, and when I say a Jew, I don't mean a Jew by religion. I mean a Jew by race. You're born into a Jewish family. You're not welcome on this show. So um, bearing that in mind, do we have any callers? We'll see. We'll see. We've got a few people. We've got uh, Chuck, of, Chuck Van Wadi invited us to do an interview after the show, but I don't think tonight probably be a good night. You know, Christmas just ended and had a really good time. I didn't even have to leave the house. I had all the relatives come to my house this year, so it was really easy. You know, so all of the Cherokees it. from the tribe? All the Cherokees sat around. We had a little powwow. We busted out the peace pipe. We were, we were hitting it in the teepee and the sweat lodge and 
all those things. Because after all, you know, there's just so many Cherokee Indians in Brooks, Georgia, that's 98% white. Well, I had a great time at the truck stop with the one-eared dingoes and all the abos. We got round, you know, blowing the didgeridoo, um, you know. Uh, so so uh, that wasn't a sexual reference, by the way, folks. And, um, yeah, we had a really good time. No, um, I had a very quiet Christmas, and uh, <laughs> I spent it with myself. How quiet is that? But, uh, hey, but at least you spent it with someone you love, you know? Yes, that's right. I have the utmost respect for myself most of the time anyway. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, and it's funny how, like with Halloween, no one's coming out and promoting Christmas. But you know what? It should be pointed out that even though Christmas has pagan elements and it's based on Saturnella and all these other things, Wesley Swift and Bertrand Compare both taught pro-Christmas and taught messages that, you know, Christmas is for Israel. So to me, personally, and this is my opinion, the, the answer lies in the middle somewhere. And so what I do is with my kids, they know the truth. They know Christ wasn't born on the 25th. They know all these other things about the holiday. But at the same time, they're going to get their presence. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, why children. not? Yeah, exactly. that's, that's good. I mean, you know, the Bible says we should celebrate his death, not his birthday. But I mean, you know, as long as we don't turn it into some sort of religious event, and um, and not only that, it just annoys the hell out of Jews. So that's that's why every now and then I'll say, you know, Merry Christmas to someone. It doesn't worry me. You know, I'm not going to freak out about it. And if I had children, I'd, I'd give them presents too. I'd tell them that, you know, Father Christmas is a load of old cobblers and all of that, and that Christ wasn't born on the 25th of December. Um, when's the general date he was born? Sometimes in September or late August. He got solemnized by a pisser possum. Okay. It's St. Linstead. Maybe I made a promise not to speak with you. Get lost, you piece of trash. <laughs> He's muted. I can always unmute him. But you know, just like News Guy said, you asked Marty a simple question Who's Nimrod? Short answer is hey, he built the Tower of Babel. But no, Marty's going to go into Shem, Ham, and Japheth. He's going to go into 25 minutes before he gets around to answering a question, and he doesn't. And I tell you who Nimrod is, Jeremy. It's Marty's dentist. <laughs> exactly. Well, what I think is interesting is, is News Guy pointing out the same thing that happened to us. Now, while I personally hold that interview that we did with Rabbi Samuelson pretty high up there as far as entertainment value, I, we lost some listeners over that. Because there are a lot of people who say, you know what, I'm not going to deal with Marty Strolling. I don't want to listen to it. Or I'll listen to it later and cut the Marty parts out. So it's refreshing to hear news guys say the same exact thing. If you're going to have Marty on, let him on at the very end. That way when he runs your flock off, well, you ain't lost nothing. Well, people complained that I kept talking over the top of him during that uh, discussion, that shout fest we had, but I did that deliberately. I wanted to give him a taste of his own medicine. Not only that, I can't stand listening to the guy just waffle on and on. He's like that, uh, he's like that Super Tramp song, you know, take the long way home. He can't answer anything like a, a proud Israelite Aryan man can, give you a direct answer, yes or no. It's, you know, oh, think about it as well. Back in the day when I was my, my, my mama said and he said and she said, and, oh, give me a break, you idiot. I know, it is, it, it's almost psychologically draining, which is why I believe the guy's an agent provocateur, because he does do that. A perfect example of that would be if you go to his forum and you look on his thread about Morris Goet. July of 2011, Morris Goet held a South African awareness rally, if you remember. 
And it was pretty good. And he had a little, he had a marathon, which Martin Linsett considers to be a, a Mamserthon. But in that, Martin Linsett actually states that his job, quote unquote, I could give you the exact quote, is to keep people from actually discussing the word or, or dealing with a sermon and to get distracted to what is happening in the chat room. And so to me, when I read that, I was actually kind of refreshed. I'm like, well, no wonder Marty hates our guts. For one, I never address the chat room anyway. If someone's got a question, they're going to call in. And B, how, how telling is a statement like that? My job is to be a dissenter, a provocateur, and to keep people from preaching the truth. That's why, if you remember a couple months ago, I would preach at the end of the conclusion of our sermons. Marty, call in four or five times. I just hang up on him and just keep going. But, yeah, that's his job, and that's why, you know, to the other people listening, don't allow him to, to do that because that's exactly what he's going to get you off on is defending yourself. I'm not a Cherokee. I'm not an Oba gender bender or whatever. In reality, it doesn't matter. That's the whole point. We're supposed to judge the fruit, not the person. So, Well, the guy, guy's a complete knucklehead. I mean, he, he, he's always complaining that we're stalking him, that we're obsessed with him, but I bet you he was the first person into the chat room, he and his you know, legion of sock puppets, and he's still there, and he's trying to ring into the call into the show. I mean, you know, who's stalking whom? Exactly. Yeah, he's here. He's here every, every time. Not only that, when I send out the invitations, I send out twice per show, which is how you're supposed to do it, 12 hours and then one hour. He's listed in the invites as well. He's got three or four sock puppets that pop up there. He's not even following. But on TalkShoe, you can add your account and be notified when every show is, which is why I didn't realize, but that's why when I was saying a couple weeks ago, if I go live at 3 a.m. here Eastern Standard Time, Marty's there. That's why. Because he's always following. And what's quite ironic is he'll turn around and go, I've got nothing better to do. That's exactly what he told Morris Goet. And Alan Truett was like, wait, you've got nothing better to do because you're there at every single show. So it is quite ironic how I don't listen to him. He's at every one of my shows feasting on my testicles. Oh, yeah, that, that, oh what a delightful image that conjures up. <laughs> well, it's true, though, and as I stated before, when you give yourself over that much, it doesn't matter what it is. If I open up a blog and I want to worship David Bowie, for example, and I have a, a blog and I spend all my time posting about David Bowie and how great he is, well, I just gave my fortitude and gave my nutsack over to David Bowie. I'd rather be spending my time promoting the Word of God, not some other person. That's what I'm saying. Yes, indeed. And to think, uh, this show's gone for almost four hours now, or pretty much four hours now, and Marty could have used all that time to, you know, clean up the front yard, you know, just do it with a bit of a spotlight or a flashlight or something. But what's he done? He spent it all in the chat room calling everyone Jews, faggots, mamses, you name it. Oh, indeed. And it ain't made a hill of beans. That's the beauty of it. I love it. Marty doesn't seem to realize, and I've said this in the past as well, a majority of our downloads come right from the Covenant People's Ministry audio section. Very few of them come from TalkShoe. So when I go, like our last show, Bride of the Monster, and there's 150 listeners, to me, I'm like, wow, that's awesome. That, you know, that's pretty good, because I remember a day when I preached to three people. You know? So that's pretty good. A lot of people listen in archive. Well, it doesn't matter if Marty gets more, more listeners to, to us because that, that's only understandable, really, because his show shows about gossip. People would much rather hear, hear about gossip than, uh, you know, the word of Yahweh. So, um, you know, if they want that, go to Marty's show. You're going to hear plenty of it. You know, slander, innuendo. 
and uh, all, all sorts of scurrilous scuttlebutt over on the Paper CI show, the, the podcast formerly known as The Movement Turd, but uh, we, we hope to set a, a much better standard here. Um, oh, indeed. And, and we what, what, beg your pardon? I was just saying, we already have. That's what Marty doesn't realise. Now that he's well, the second hour wasn't the greatest, wasn't our finest moment, but we'll, we'll um, you know, we'll, we'll relegate that to the dustbin of history. But uh, we, we certainly won't have a repeat of that again over my dead body. We will. But um, uh, what was I going to say? Yes, I, I think we'd like to look ahead to what we're going to do in the future with our show, Jeremy. There are a couple of things I'd like to introduce, and maybe you have some ideas. So uh, let's have a, uh, a look down the track to see um, what the future holds for. Obi and Visa. Well, I think first and foremost, coming out of the gate, one of the ideas we've tossed around that I like would be the uh, worldwide Christian identity, you know, marathon, if you will, quote unquote, or even just broadcast. But I think it would be cool, and it would probably take several months to assemble and put together. But it would be awesome to hear people from Germany, South Africa, Australia, wherever they are, because I believe. Most people who are Christian identity, and especially the males who are having a hard time finding a virtuous woman, they feel a sense Hello? of isolation. They feel like, hey, there's no one who really believes like I do. And so, hold Jeremy, on. I, I think we have Fat Albert on the line. Yeah, it was Marty. Marty loves trolling. But what I was saying is there's more people out there who believe in Christian identity than even we know. And and I didn't even believe that until recently when I'm getting emails and job offers from people here in Griffin, McDonough, Fayetteville, all around where I live who say, hey, we listen to you, and you're close by. Of course, I don't really go meet them because I don't want any problems with people. But my point is, is I sat here for years thinking I was the only one, and it wasn't until probably three or four years ago that I realized there were like 16 other men who lived in Brooks, and Brooks is a small town, who knew of this message and knew what Aryan Nations teaches. And so that's why I'm looking forward to hopefully pulling that one off, because it'll be able to get people to know, hey, there's this woman or this man or even this fellowship and family that I can go and be with you know, on the Sabbath who's just right up the road. Well, I remember Derek Tom McThomas, who, who does uh, Australia's Calling. It's an excellent podcast. I, I, I must, must upload some of those um, shows to my server so people can download them because some of the stuff he says is really good. I, I, I know that he was years ago, a couple of years ago, he interviewed a guy, an Australian Christian identist, who I uh, think from Queensland from memory, who has um, you know, fairly sizable ministry um, up there in Queensland. I, I, I must see if I can get in contact with um, Derek and give him my email address to give to that guy and see if I can get him to call him the show. It'd be great to hear another Aussie on the show, but I'd love to contact people from around the world, you know, people that can speak, speak another language that, you know, uh, would be great. You can speak English, I, I mean, you know, from Denmark, uh, Finland, uh, you, you name it, the Christian identists from all, all around the world. It would be great to ha ha have them on every now and then. Um, now, down the, in the near future, we'll ho hope to have Pastor Bob on again. I'd uh, well, love to have Pastor Wickstrom on. That would be a real scoop. Um, I'd love to do a show so probably um, January, the, uh, January of next year, uh, in, in next month, I'd like to do a show on the Middle Ages, uh, the, holo the Holocaust or the, the Holo hoax that was the, the Spanish Inquis Inquisition. I mean, the numbers... Uh, the numbers of the people that died or were tortured in the Spanish Inquisition have been greatly exaggerated. And even now, mainstream media are coming out and sa saying that um, you know, the traditional view of the Spanish Inquisition is um, pretty much bogus. So I'd like to cover that. Um, 
And, Vissler's uh, a bitch. Fizzler's a hoax. Vissler's a bitch. Obadiah's a bitch. Continue on, brother. Marty. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that Marty or was that some nimbuster doing some voice thing? It was Obadiah a bit, he's a bitch, I think I, I made it out. That yeah. could have been. Who knows? Marty's well, well, a man I'm of a million deep, and one sock puppets. It's I don't know thing. whoever did that, but I'm deeply distressed and uh, upset about that. I'm going to cry myself to sleep tonight and I'm going to give up Christian identity. So, you know, you completely succeeded in your mission. Dang, Obi's crushed. But, um, yes, so, um, yeah, uh, uh, and introduce a few segment, new segments, perhaps a, a survival segment, you know, um, how to plan and prepare. Maybe we could, uh, you know, for the tough times ahead, and maybe we get somebody on who's an expert in all those things. I'm not really. I can talk about some of them, but not at great length. But maybe we could do some shows like that, and uh, you must have some ideas for things. And uh, it'd be great, if, as you said, if we could get Morris Gallette on. Um, I'd love to get Alan Truitt on. I haven't heard from him in ages. And are you aware of a um, a podcast called? It's not Kingdom Identity, the Kingdom Ministry or something. It's by a guy living in France, I think. He's an American guy, and he does a Christian identity show. I've got a link to it in the the big list of a, a Christian identity podcast on my forum. I'd, I'd like to get him to come on. Uh, he's somebody oh, okay. you, yeah, he's somebody you rarely hear, hear from apart from his own show. I'd love to, you know. Um, talk to him sometime. There, there are a number of other people, so yeah, well, we must send out the, you know, send out the, the feelers and see if we can, you know, reel a few people in. Absolutely. I'd also like to see, you know, like you said, Alan Truett, Morris Gallette. I'd like to have Bill Fink on, like we discussed, for uh, talking about some of the deeper teachings or darker sayings of Scripture. I think that'd be great. Uh, yes, I, I think. Um, I, I think probably. You know, Bill might probably hold off on that for a little while, but I think once the dust has settled and he sees that, you know, we're not the perhaps villains that perhaps some people are betraying us to be, that um, he'll come on, and he's more than welcome to come on any time he wants. As I said, Bill's got an open invitation to come on the show. I, I think he'd be the perfect guest to have on to, to, to discuss the, the hard sayings of the Scripture. In fact, I couldn't think of anyone better to discuss them than Bill. Yeah, exactly. And And, and as we've discussed, we also have program scheduled or interview scheduled with Linda, who many of the pneumonians know. Uh, I'm bouncing back and forth between the Phelps Roper clan just because while we don't agree with the God Hates Fags Church, Westboro Baptist Church, I think it would be kind of interesting if we could get Fred on the show, which is almost an impossibility as opposed to Shirley Phelps Roper. But I would even, you know, I'm toying with the idea of having the God Hates Fags crew even come on because they're so highly controversial because they, they dislike faggots. So that might be an, an, an option as well. But, you know, there's a lot of people. Another person I think we may have overlooked that would be, be a perfect guest, in my opinion, would be Greg Howard. I mean, here's a man who's got meekness down, you know, pat. Yes, I, I agree with so much of um, what Greg says, and uh, I know he comes into the chat room. Gee, I hope he wasn't here during the second hour. We'll be in trouble. But, um, oh, dear. But, uh, yeah, I'd love to have Greg on. So, yeah, we must have Greg on sometime. Absolutely. That would be great. And that's the thing. You know, the CPM radio and the Obi and Visser show, as far as I know, isn't going anywhere. And as long as the Jew is going to spend all their time promoting us and linking us at Nimbusters and on their own forums, well, I kind of half-ass feel obligated to do these shows just based on that. 
I'd have quit a long time ago had Marty not started inventing stories about some fictitious brother and my wife being a shoplifter and the list goes on and on and on. I'd have quit a long time ago. But as long as he's going to rail, then I'm going to keep telling the truth. And that is he got charged with statutory sodomy. That's not slander. That's truth. Your brother actually came up with the title of this show. I, I remember one time going into the admin section of your forum and he had the you know, Obi and Vissa something or other, I forget the name of the thread, and I thought, whoa, that's a good enough title for the show. And so it, its official title isn't the Obi and Vissa show, folks, or the Obi and Vissa variety hour, no offence, Jeremy, but Obi and Vissa, that's the official title, even though sometimes I myself refer to refer to it as the Obi and Vissa show. Technically speaking, it's Obi and Vissa. So if you're going to make up any T-shirts or anything, Obi and Vissa. There you go. There you go. And I want a coffee mug if you're going to be printing them up because there's going to be people out there who do it. In fact, years ago, I was toying with the idea of making official Covenant People's Ministry T-shirts. And it was funny. I, the reason I'm bringing this up is because it was essentially going to say on the front, fear God. That's all I was going to say. And when I brought that idea up to countless people, you'd be amazed at the sheer amount of people who would say, oh, you don't want to put that on a T-shirt. God doesn't want you to fear them. God wants you to love them. God doesn't, you know, and it's so funny because ironically, fear God and keep his commandments is the whole duty of man. But just the idea of having CPM shirts with fear God on them, the Judeo-Christians were like, oh, that's Antichrist. How could you say that? You shouldn't fear God. Oh, something I meant to mention a while ago, and uh, today's show would be, a, or this evening's show would be a perfect time to, to mention it. I came up with a little thing to generate a bit of white solidarity in the community a while ago. Uh, it's nothing spectacular. It's not going to save the white race or anything like that, but it's something you can use just to, you know, get people thinking about who they are racially, is that the next time you help somebody, you help a white person, no matter where it be and what, what sort of situation it might be, might be in let's say you know somebody comes up to you asking you for directions which happened to me a, a while ago and they're, and they're white and you uh, w when you finish with them just and they say thank you for that what you say to them anything for a white person and just leave it at that and I've done that with a couple of people and and the reason I say that say you know anything for a white person because it gets them thinking about you know a white person helping another white person and even if they're a real liberal even if they think you're a raving racist uh, even though you probably are, you know, what can they say to you when, you, when they get home? You know, oh, oh, oh honey, you know, this um, evil white racist, you know, spoke to me today. Oh, what did he say? Oh, he helped me put the, uh, you know, load some shopping into my, my car or he gave me directions or he helped me with this or that. You know, they really can't say anything about you. And, you know, as people, as the, the non-white horde starts surrounding us and, you know, we, we see, you know, that uh, race is really having an important impact, a deleterious impact on our our, our, our societies, our, you know, our, our suburbs and our cities, then you know, people are going to start thinking more and more about whites helping other whites. So there's a, a simple little way you can generate just a little, tiny little bit of racial solidarity. Next time you, know, you help a white, you, know, you do a white person a favour and they say thank you, just say, that's okay, anything for a white person. Yeah, that's really good advice as well because, you know, on a personal level, when I was 19 years old, I broke down in the middle of Sligman, Arizona in the middle of nowhere. And I remember to this day, because I'm coming up on 40, I remember to this day that the man who stopped and picked me up said, if you were any other color, I wouldn't have stopped. But just that statement in saying that, 
you know, it stays with me to this day to know. So I agree with you in that aspect. Just a simple little statement like that. If you were any other color, anything to help a white man, it'll go a long way, and you'll have people thinking about that for years to come. I mean, I helped this dear old white lady. This, she would have been in her 80s the other day at the supermarket, and she was looking at this, um, this, uh, these racks full of peanuts and things, and she's really scanning them carefully, you know, really scrutinising them. And I could see she was having difficulty seeing what she was after, and I said, excuse me, can I be of any help to you? And she says, yes, I'm looking for licorice. And licorice, she was in the wrong section. I had to direct her to another uh, completely different aisle. But I, I gave her a helping hand. She gave me this lovely, beautiful smile. And I said, and she said, oh, thank you so much for helping me. I said, that's my pleasure, ma'am. Anything for a white lady. She probably took, probably took that the wrong way. But, you know, uh, uh, you know well, it was just great. You know, just a, a privilege to help a fellow white. So, you know, spread a little white love in the community folks i know we're talking about you know how christian nationalism is more important than white nationalism but you know christian nationalism also involves helping you know you know white people of course so um you know there you go anything for a white person amen exactly and that's what we pointed out you know christian identity is not the white man's hate religion meaning it does not give you an indiscriminate license to go out and hate you know, without cause or hate just indiscriminately, but it is the white man's love religion. And as Christ is our perfect example, that's what we should do. All things we do should be motivated by a love for our race. You know, when he says, no greater love hath any man than to lay down his life for his neighbor, we know that word means neighbor, We should, or neighbor means race, so we should be the ones to exercise that. Unfortunately, in this day and age, it seems like the love of many has waxed cold. Everyone's out for themselves, and no one wants to help a hitch, you know, hitchhiker or do anything, which in a lot of ways is probably the wisest thing to do. But it has to begin with us. When Christ says that it's not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs, he meant exactly what he meant, and that is that it goes to the children of Israel first. Unfortunately, most whites, through their liberalism or through their empathy factor, lose sight of that. And so here we are in America. We're fighting wars overseas. We're sending money and food and aid to Africa. And I know of probably 50 families in a 100-square-mile radius that aren't going to be able to pay their rent, that aren't going to be able to feed themselves properly. And to me, that's a false dichotomy. That's something that we need to take the reins on doing because the government ain't never going to do it. It's funny. I was walking through my local shopping mall um, some months ago, and um, there was this Indian girl promoting this um, non-white, one of these you know, third-world charities. She, she, she approached me, you know, boy, boy, she get the wrong person she said uh, oh would you like to help the you know um and, and she started to rattle off the spiel that they rattle and uh, and i said i only i only give to white charities <laughs> she just she said she, she, you could almost see a stagger you know she you know that was just something she she never heard before and i just said you know I, I, i'm only for white people and just walked off but um yeah yeah so um you know who wants to give to who wants to exacerbate the problem by you know getting more of them to come over here because that's where they all end up. You know, they have these pictures of these doe-eyed little boys and girls, but they, they grow up to be Leroy, you know, with, with, with his, you know, with, with his gang colours, going around shooting people and, you know, starting up crack houses and, you know, beating up, raping white women. You know, these are the, you know, the, the lion cubs look cute, may look cute when they're young, but when they grow up, they're, you know, you want to avoid them. Yeah. 
Exactly. You hear so many people say, oh, the piglet is so cute. The piglet is so cute. Now, I disagree with that. But even if you think the piglet is cute, what you said is is perfect. They grow into hogs, and they're always going to be a hog. And so it is funny. I'm reminded of Hurricane Katrina. When Katrina hit New Orleans and all that was going down, well, they had the Black Panther Party of Atlanta. They were packing up buses and taking aid down there. They had uh, Reverend Ferry Coon. He was out. He was doing everything he could do for his black people. But I remember one guy, I believe it was Ed Fields from the Christian Identity Mission, said, you know what? I'm going to go down to, to Louisiana, Florida. I'm going to help them, and I'm only going to help white people. They shut him down because he wasn't going through the Red Cross, because he wasn't giving it to Red Cross who would turn around and give it to the Negroes first. But just based on the fact that he was there to help white people, they wouldn't let him do it. But they allowed the Negro to help the Hurricane Katrina looters by feeding them because they have more racial solidarity than us, I guess. There was this idiot of a guy, this um, uh, chronic gambler, gambling addict, I suppose you would call him. He, he's, taken the, uh, he's taken the Crown Casino, it's this huge casino here in Melbourne, um, to court, to the high court, because he, um, he was a gambling addict and he was on... If you're a gambling addict, you can have your name put on this register of gambling addicts, so if you go into a... If you can't help yourself, you end up going to one of these casinos. They won't um, serve you. You know, they won't let you gamble. But um, he went into Crown Casino after his name was on this register, and they let him gamble. And this guy was a, this guy's a billionaire, and he ended up blowing two hundred million dollars at Crown Casino. He used he bet three hundred thousand dollars at a time. And as I was watching this on the news, Jeremy, I was thinking to myself, now if I had that money, all the good I could do with it, I could bring over some people from South Africa. I could build build some nice homes for them or buy some homes for them. I mean, think of all the white people you could help with that money. Two hundred million just wasted on gambling. Yeah. I understand completely with what you're saying, you know. And on the same token, if Marty would sit and take Ten minutes a day, not slandering fellow white nationalists or Christian identity prep pastors, and actually plant a garden. Lo and behold, go figure, Marty could feed all the homeless in Grand B, but he doesn't. And that's the whole thing. It begins with us. And Christ does judge us according to our fruits. And we're supposed to clothe the naked and feed the hungry and do all these things for our racial kinsfolk. And guess what? In just saying, hey, you know what, I don't believe he's white enough, that's not a good enough excuse for neglecting the duty we're charged with. Indeed. Now, Jeremy, normally we give a bit of a preview of next week's show, but I wouldn't have a clue what we're going to be discussing. So um, I'll, I'll just make, make up something on the fly. I'll post, post something tomorrow evening on my forum as to what we're doing. And if you can think of anything in the meantime, just PM me and we'll, we'll, um, I'll, I'll include it in the list of um, highlights of, of next week's show. Is there anything you want to say in closing? Uh, basically, the one thing that's on the schedule, I'm sure what you may want to change it or whatever, which is fine by me, it doesn't matter, but the, the schedule we have scheduled for next week is 2013, What's In It For Me? And the What's In It For Me, as you know, is a program we've been toying with for a couple months as well. So I figured, you know, if we're going to have a New Year's broadcast, maybe that would be a perfect time to discuss the aspect of what's in it for me. When it comes down to what are we going to do in 2013, are we going to feed our race? Are we going to try to help the homeless? Are we going to try to do these things? Or are we just going to sit around, bitch and kvetch, and call everyone Jews like some people do? Didn't we do a, um, a Desert Island Versus about that or something similar, what's in it for me? Or am I 
getting that confused with something else? Not sure. We may have. We oh, well, may anyway, have. We'll, we'll do something along those lines. What does 2013 hold? Or, you know, um, we'll do a bit of prognostication there, not, not in the name of the Lord, in, in the name of Yahweh, just uh, under a, 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 off our own bat sort of thing. So it won't be, don't look at it as, you know, prophecy or anything, folks. Just our, you know, predicting what's going to happen and just going by past events to predict future events which is perfectly reasonable, we'll, we'll do something interesting. So, so um, what date is that fall? What date is that next week? I believe that is January... Is that the first or um, second for you? It is the 5th, actually. The next Wednesday comes on January 5th of next year. Are you sure next Wednesday? Because this week, 31st is... The 31st will be Monday for me, so that would make it the 2nd of January for me. Uh, oh, no, it doesn't 30th, matter. Yeah, It'll be next Wednesday. Next whatever, Wednesday, yeah. There you whatever go. date next Wednesday is, that'll be the date we'll do our show. There we go. It'll definitely be Wednesday, and like usual, 7 o'clock sharp. You know, it was quite refreshing this morning. I woke up and I went over to Nimbusters. I was going to post a, a plug to this show. And those guys were already promoting it. So, hey, keep it up, man. I, I think that's great. Yes, they would have loved the second hour. Not me, not so much, but not, not to worry. But uh, anyway, folks, um, to all the Israelites there, you, Jeremy, and uh, everyone, everyone else, um, have a good evening, and um, we'll see you next time. You take care now. Excellent. Thank you, Brother Obadiah. I appreciate you coming on this evening. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. God bless. Looking forward to next Wednesday. And that, dear kinsfolk, was Brother Obadiah 118 from the ChristianIdentityForum.net. Once again, the ChristianIdentityForum.net. I, yours truly, Pastor Visser, definitely suggest that you swing by that website URL and peruse the forums. He's got a Christian identity reading room, and in there is much sacred literature over the last 200 years, all teaching exactly what yours truly and pastors like myself do preach. That is, that the white Anglo-Saxon, Scandinavian, and Germanic kindred people are the true Israel of the Bible. Not like the enemy wants you to believe by coming along saying, oh, Christian identity people believe that they're the true Jews. No, rather we believe Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 2-9 and Revelation chapter 3-9, which they who say they are Jews but are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Christian identity will point out the false brother Judea. As the Edomite loves coming along and saying, hey, we're God's chosen people too, being the Christ killer that they are, so also do tares come along and pretend to look like Christian identity. But Paul gives us many admonitions, and you've heard me preach pro-Pauline doctrine time and time again, and will until I have no breath left within me to preach anymore. The reason for that is because many of these idiots want to come along and say, well, I have a problem with Paul. Well, hey, guess what? So do your feminists who want to preach. So do your homosexuals that want to be gay and quote-unquote married. So just like all of these detractors who come along and say, well, I have a problem with Paul, for a specific reason, so also do those within Christian identity. They come along and they say, well, Paul, I don't agree with him. Well, Paul wrote 80% of the New Testament. Guess what, buddy? Everything you know of Jesus Christ is transcribed within his word, and everything your great-grandmother and mother passed on to you came from this word. 
The reason I'm saying that is because when people come along and they tell you, hey, I woke up, had coffee with Jesus Christ this morning, I've got a message for you that isn't scriptural, you should be able to mark that person and know them as the dissenter that they are. But Paul established so many churches out there to those in Dysphoria, the Israelites, those of Thessalonia, those of Corinth, and so forth. So, Paul writes in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, tying perfectly into what Obadiah and myself discussed this evening. And if you have a serious phone call or a question, dear kinsfolk, now would be the time to call in. But Paul says this, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So understanding what Paul's saying, there is a yoke of bondage and a yoke to sin. In essence, what Paul is saying is the same exact thing Jesus Christ did, and that is that you cannot serve God and mammon. You will love one and hate the other, but you can't love both. There is no gray area with Yahweh God. So Paul is confirming right here, the liberty that Yahweh God gave you, that's another nice way of saying grace. The grace, the atoning blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross at Golgotha is sufficient. You've heard me and Obadiah preach it. That gives us liberty, freedom from our sins, forgiveness of sins. But if Christ makes us free and we turn again like dogs to vomit, like sows to mud, and lap up that abomination that we once were, well, frankly, as we covered tonight, Obadiah said, and I prove from Proverbs, the prayer of he who turns his ear from hearing the law is an abomination. Yahweh God does not hear it. Yahweh God does not want to hear it. So we cannot be entangled therein to the yoke of bondage. Yoke, understand it, slave, that is what we are. You are either a servant to Jesus Christ or you're a servant to the world. God does not say you are a free thinker. God does not come along and say, hey, you have free will. Make your choice. God straightforwardly tells you, repent or perish. That is the duty and the reason the law was given, and the duty of every Israelite elder to enforce. And our inability to enforce Yahweh's law on earth as it is in heaven is why we are up to our eyebrows in apostate filth today in the year 2012. So, dear kinsfolk, Paul taught unity. He taught unity, and he taught one body, one baptism, one faith. Because there truly is one God. What does that say for all these denominations down here, including those within Christian identity, who come along and say, hey, you know what? I've got all truth. Don't listen to this, Pastor. Don't listen to this, man. What it says to me is they're lying. How can I say that? Verse 2 in Galatians chapter 5. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now, Paul's not saying if you cut the foreskin off your penis that God doesn't hear you. What he's pointing out is that the new covenant is written on our hearts. That same new covenant that was made with the same people of the old covenant, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Therefore, under the new covenant, circumcision is of the heart, meaning we are to cut out all of this leaven. We are to purge ourselves from that manner of man that we once were when we walked in the thralls of sin. But if Jesus Christ shed his blood and forgave us our sins, we had better be meek enough to realize that that blood is powerful enough to forgive our neighbor's sins, to forgive our friend's sins, and to even forgive our enemy's sins. But that's a side note. Paul continues in verse 3 of Galatians 5. For I, Paul speaking, testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. 
Now, the teaching here isn't that it's unprofitable to be circumcised, because that would be a lie. Paul straightforwardly yeah, taught, and science also confirms yeah, that not only is circumcision yeah. profitable, but it is also healthier for you. But that being a side note, what Paul is saying is those who come along and put their faith within the law, as opposed to the grace of Jesus Christ, our duty is to the whole law. Meaning that if you go out and you say, hey, I follow the whole law, but yet violate it at one point, you're guilty of it all. Now, of course, the Judeo-Christian loves coming along and saying, well, that just means God says all sin is equal in the eyes of him, but that's not what he's saying. Pay close attention. Verse 3. This is the revised. Revised says this. I testify to every man who receives circumcision that he's bound to keep the whole law. What Paul is saying is that if you put your faith in the law to deliver you, if you put your faith, faith in race over grace to forgive you, it profits you nothing. And not only does it profit you nothing, you're responsible to keep the whole law, meaning that Christ's blood is not sufficient to forgive your sins. If you understand the fact that Jesus Christ came to overcome death. Death is another name for the devil. Adam sinned in the beginning. This is confirmed. And through one man, Adam, came sin into the world. So also Jesus Christ must come to overcome death. This is the reason why in that great and fiery, terrible day of the Lord, the last enemy to be overcome and to die is death. That is because he goes into the lake of fire with his false prophets. And you've heard me cover that from Second Peter chapter 2 time and time again. Verse 4 in Galatians 5. Christ is become no effect unto you. Whatsoever you are justified, or whosoever of you are justified by the law, yet fallen from grace. My point exactly. Would you rather have grace or the law? Point in case is the law didn't save anyone. And while we could go out and we could make an atoning sacrifice for sin, while we could lay hands on a scapegoat and send it into the wilderness to be killed for our own sins, none of those were as righteous or as acceptable in the eyes of Yahweh God than the blood shed for one and all times on Calvary. So what Paul is saying here is straightforward. Christ has become no effect unto you. Why? Because you're still clinging to the law. Now, I'm not saying the law has done away with your kinsfolk. In fact, you've taught me, you've heard me teach time and time again from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, and numerous other places, that the law is eternal, that the law tells you the morality of Yahweh God, so you can understand, A, who it is you pray to, and B, why he commands the things he does. But what Paul is saying is when your belief in the law trumps the grace and forgiveness that is found in Jesus' blood, then Jesus Christ can't help you. This ties perfectly to Jesus Christ's statement, they that are whole have no need of physician. Understand it. They that are whole don't need a doctor. They've got everything worked out in their own mind, so they don't need to go to someone like Jesus Christ to be healed. Why? Well, they know it all. Heal yourself. That's the whole point, and that was the sentiment of those that stood at the cross. The detractors who spit on Jesus Christ, who said, you put your faith in Yahweh God, Yahweh God deliver you. Jesus Christ could have called a legion of angels down. He could have delivered himself. Jesus Christ was the creator of all, the word made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. But it would have been thwarting the plans of Yahweh God, and Yahweh God's plans cannot be thwarted. This is why Jesus Christ said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He wasn't a coward. He wasn't infeminized. That is the cup of wrath of Yahweh God. That was love that caused him to make that 
request. And so, as we pointed out tonight, Nobadiah so eloquently said, this word prayer means supplication. Supplication isn't necessarily going to Yahweh God and saying, hey, I want a new car. I want a raise at work. Supplication is anything you desire, conscious or subconscious. Anything you may, down in the deepest recesses of your darkest heart, desire, Yahweh God already knows. So, A, it's better to come out and be honest, first and foremost. And, B, it is better to cling to the grace of Jesus Christ. Because... When he made that sacrifice on Golgotha, at Calvary, when he shed his blood for his beloved precious bride, he said, it's finished. Yahweh God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, just like those created in Genesis 2, just like those created in the very beginning. Yahweh God saw everything he had created, his will alone, and guess what? It was good. But what man does is come along and want to muddy everything up. They want to come along and say, well, I'm a liberal. Let's feed the Asians over there in Asia. doesn't matter that they don't follow Jesus Christ. doesn't matter that the reason they may be cursed is because they don't know Jesus Christ and can never come to know him. What matters to the liberal is that they take from you and give to them. That is the concept of a horse leech. That is what Solomon, that is what David all taught against. A horse leech comes and will suck blood from you like a tick, like a parasite. Whether it has to do with slander, whether it's Rabbi Lindstein trying to call in and draw a person aside from preaching the word of God, it doesn't work. Yahweh's word says, touch not mine anointed. As these men get carted off to the Fulton State Hospital, and they're facing four years for statutory sodomy, it never once dawns on them, hey, maybe I'm in this situation because I attacked those who are accepted with Yahweh God. Maybe, just for sake of conversation, someone like Bill Fink, Eli James, Obadiah, myself, may just be accepted with Yahweh God, and your inability to accept and forgive and do what Jesus Christ says is why your children sit in foster care, is why you're having a quote-unquote domestic partnership with a Down syndrome-infected Eskimo. But that's a side note. James straightforwardly says the way of man is to look in a mirror and forget. They don't know how abominable they are. No more than the whore in the bar knows how filthy he or she might appear to the one they're hitting on. The retard doesn't know they're retarded. It is up to you, a child of light, who knows the truth, to know who's who and who's you. Why? Verse 6 in Galatians 5, Paul continues, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Faith by love. That's what Paul says is the most important, and Christ confirmed it. It's not about hating the other race. It's not about hating the atheist or the fool. That's where the battlefield is. We are supposed to be out feeding the hungry. We are supposed to be doing all of these great things. Why? Because Jesus Christ died for you. And if you believe he died for you and forgave you of your sins, then you had must believe that his grace is sufficient for your brother, for your sister, for your Catholic father-in-law, or whoever it is. But it's one thing to say I believe, and an entirely different thing to exercise it, to actually do it. This is why in judgment, those goats on the left hand of Jesus Christ said, we did miracles, we cast out demons. You've heard me preach it time and time again. But it's important. Why? They thought they were Christian. 
They believed their whole life and even probably read the Bible, but were off on one simple thing. For example, turning the ear from hearing the law, like Proverbs 28, verse 9 says, their prayer becomes an abomination. And so, judgment truly does begin at the house of Yahweh. And the reason it begins at the house of the Lord is because pastors like myself are more accountable for what we preach, especially when someone comes along and they believe a lie that we might perpetuate. That is meekness, dear kinsfolk, something that we all must have. The ability to admit, hey, I might be wrong. But man doesn't do that. Man comes along most often times and will justify, even to the grave if that be the case. You don't know how many people I have had come and go throughout my life that will carry their Catholicism, their universalism, their pagantry to the grave because it is easier to accept their fables, their myth, than it is the truth and the reality of God's word. What does it say? Wrapped up. In summation, in its most simplest terms, the Bible could be summed up by saying, repent or perish. That is the bottom line. That is what God called each and every one of his saints to do. This is why Abraham, when he was on the plains of Mamre, did not know what was going on. But in retrospect, he could. This is why Noah, when he was told and instructed by Yahweh God to build an ark, he didn't understand. In fact, it would have been much easier for Noah to go along with the masses and say, hey, let's mix, let's adulterate, let's have orgies. That's so much easier to do. But he didn't. Not understanding. And delivered his whole family. So understand that. Faith leads to action. This is why James says faith without works is dead. It does you no good to come along and say, I believe, when the devils believe and tremble. The very legion and the maniac of Gadara sat there and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? He knew. He believed in God. Can the Judeo-Christian honestly attempt to come along and say that the maniac of Gadara was spared because, well, he just believed? No, he was spared because he was made whole, because he was chosen to be a witness for Yahshua Messiah for one in all times. And so it is transcribed within our word, and we should never neglect that, that through a maniac came a miracle. And what was his miracle? His miracle was simply going to the lands roundabout, the maniac of Gadara, if you will, and sharing what great things Yahweh God had done to him. Gave him the ability to be in his right mind. Gave him the ability to stop cutting himself with pot shards and so forth. But what should be pointed out in the narrative is that the world didn't care. And that while Jesus Christ came and would rebuke a legion of demons out of one quote-unquote insane man, the townsfolk came out and were more concerned with their pigs than they were one of their own brother. That's the whole point, and that is why me and Obadiah stress the importance of unity time and time again. You do not want to be like the Gadareans and come out and say, depart from our coasts. You just cost us our pigs. You better have more faith and more respect and have your priorities right enough to put them in your kinsfolk, your race, and your people. Why? Because they're accepted with Jesus Christ, too. If you're forgiven of his blood, then so also is this sinner and that sinner. And while we're instructed to esteem every man better than ourselves, you better get that part through your head. Because the way a pharisaical man is to come along and say, well, I know the truth. Every other Judeo-Christian is wrong and they're going to burn in hell. But here's a wake-up call for you. To whom much is given, much is required. Do you honestly think God is going to judge someone who is ignorant of this word? 
<laughs> quite the opposite. And it's as Obadiah pointed out time and time again. If it would be the will of God that he would have each and every one of us come to repentance. Now, we know that will not happen. We know that many people will be hard-hearted and stiff-necked all the way up into judgment. That's confirmed by the parables Jesus Christ taught, the goats and the sheep. Perfect example. But the mindset of Yahweh is for all to come to repentance, meaning that we should not glory when a fellow Adamite falls. A, it's against the law, and B, it hurts God. Understand it. Get it through your head. It hurts God when one of his children fall. So much so that when one returns to the fold, all the angels of heaven rejoice. What does that mean? It means we're higher than they. Yeah, that's a given. But what it means is that's the will and intent of God. His will and intent is not to hide. It is in the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the duty of saints to seek it out. If you truly want to know God, then you must seek his face. Guess what? His face is there in Jesus Christ, the same Christ we're discussing here. In verse 7 of Galatians 5, says this. Paul says, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Question, who hindered you? Because it doesn't come naturally. Mankind does not come along and consider the law of Yahweh God in offense unless they are trained to believe that way. Most oftentimes from a youth in public schools or in Sunday school. But what they are taught is that the law is the offense. So when they grow up and they go into Judeo-Christianity and they start trying to study the Word of God, well, it doesn't make any sense. How can the law be done away with Je when Jesus Christ taught it? How can the law be done away when all sin is a transgression of the law? And most assuredly, how can the law be done away with when we're judged according to the law? But that's the way of the Judeo-Christian. The Judeo-Christian deceiver, the false prophet, will come along and take that which is simple, there is simplicity in Christ, and make it complex. Regurgitate it, vomit it out so it makes absolutely no sense. Why do you think for a minute they care that you believe or don't? What they hope for is the average Joe Six-Pack soccer mom out there will turn up their hands in disgust, in frustration, and say, forget about it. There's a million and one Christians out there all claiming to have the truth, to know the truth. Therefore, there must not be a God. That is what the agent provocateur wants you to believe. That is why they will draw you aside by calling into the Pastor Visser and Obi show, by trying to sing their stupid little Jewish songs and share their uh, attitudes and their history about how they were quote-unquote framed. Well, I can tell you this, dear kinsfolk. Paul says, first and foremost, in order to be a preacher, you must be married. Period. Out the gate. Number two, he also says that you must have natural-born children. If you cannot rule your own house in subjection, you cannot rule the flock of God. Even if what Rabbi Samuelson was saying was true, the law of God forbids him from preaching anyway, as per Paul. So get it through your head. Understand this is why they hate Paul. Paul condemns them. Understand it. Get it through your head. This is why they hate James. James says, man looks into a mirror and forgets what manner of man they were. This ties perfectly into the adulterous woman. She'll sit, she'll sup with you, she'll wipe her mouth, and she'll say, I've done no evil, when she's done the worst atrocities there is. They do not see it as evil. They see it as a higher power. And so as I've taught in the past, those who believe wrongly believe in their lives just as much as you and I believe in the truth. 
That's what you must be concerned with. That's what you must contend with, is the understanding that while they believe wrong, they believe in it just as much as you do. So you better be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Did you run the race well? Obadiah and myself have a sermon. It's called Running the Race. And in that, we covered the numerous admonitions from Paul in the, Old Test- in the New Testament and also from the minor prophets in the Old Testament, all of which say the same thing, that it is a game. It is a race. It is meant to be run, not taken with a grain of salt while you sit on your sofa watching Monday Night Football or Survivor on Wednesdays getting your brain fed with Jewish kikery. Rather, we're to run the race as if it is a game. Man does not sit down to play chess with the plan to lose. No more than man goes to work every day saying, gee, I hope I get fired today. Rather, many people will come along and say, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead with the masses. I'm going to be Catholic because that's where the majority of believers are. Jesus Christ taught so adamantly, narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. Don't enter in the Broadway. Why? That's where everyone else goes in the Broadway. That's what lemmings do. They follow each other off the cliff until they all drown in the ocean like the pigs Christ sent to the ocean. Nothing new under the sun. Run the race, run well, but do not be hindered into not obeying the truth. Through subtlety, through craftiness of hands, the enemy will come along and say, you know what, you don't have to follow the law, the law of God. That's your antinomian. Or they'll say you have to follow the law, but in exercise through fiend words, through their own covetousness, will turn around and deny him with their lifestyle. So, Logan, Shane Davis, mailman of Smyrna, Tennessee, if you're listening, and I know you are, take heed. Humility is required. But don't think for a minute, if you go out and repeat the same exact lies that you heard, that you're not somehow accountable, because you are. Your brother may just well be accepted with Yahweh God, and you are responsible with every lie that you perpetuate upon the children of Israel. It's one thing to walk along and say, I follow the red letters. It's another thing entirely when you deny them through your lifestyle by engaging in slander, lies, and gossip. That is more detrimental than coming along and saying the law is done away with. Don't follow it. It's some bastard who wants to come up and say, you know what? The law is to be followed, but they don't follow it. So it ties perfectly into what I was saying. Paul says you violate the law, you're guilty of it all. Why? Because if you're going to live and die by the law, then you better be ready to be judged by it too. Do you want to be judged by Jesus Christ, yes, your Messiah, or would you rather be judged by law? For those of those who come along and say, well, Rabbi Samuelson's innocent because he's not listed on a sex offender's registry, do you really put your faith in Zog that much that you think for a minute man's courts are honest? That they honestly allow innocent men free? Well, if you do, I got some oceanfront property to show you here in Brooks, much less in California. But continuing on, run the race. Don't neglect that. Verse 8, Galatians 5, Paul continues. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven, leaven is the whole lump. A little leaven, a little bit. One rotten apple in a barrel will rot the entire barrel. One tear in a field of wheat will spread and take over the, t- the field of wheat. So as Jesus Christ taught time and time again, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Guess what leaven is? Hypocrisy. He gives you the answer. 
those out there who say one thing and say, hey, I believe the law, I'm going to teach the law, but I'm not going to exercise the law and spend all my time slandering other people. Well, Christ isn't for them, is he? Because it comes from one that does not call you. Little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Whether it be one doctrine, one mixed race person within your flock, whether it be one abomination that you bring into your house and become accursed just like it in the process of bringing it in, it does not matter. What matters is that you keep your eyes focused on the prize. A little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. Continuing on, verse 10. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whoever he be. He who judge. He who troubles you, that is the point. As I pointed out tonight, very briefly, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus Christ says, pray for those who despitefully use you. That word use in Greek means slander. And in essence, what he's saying is you should pray for those who come along and tell untruths. That's fine. But who says you've got to pray blessings for them? Who says that you can't sit there and pray that one of their children die so they have no other option but to turn around and worship Yahweh God? Who's to say that you're not instructed to pray that they wake up with their face in the vomit of the gutter so they have no other options but to climb their way up to Yahweh God? That, dear friends, is very Christian at its core root. But the way the Judeos come along and say, well, that sounds so antichrist. With God it is repent or perish. No gray area. Every single one of us have the same exact chances in life. Do you neglect them? Would you rather spend all your time on the Internet trolling chat rooms, worried, showing your faithlessness? Jesus Christ says, my sheep hear my voice and the, the voice of a stranger they won't follow. Do you want to be one of these idiots walking around saying, don't listen to him? Because you don't know the law. You don't know the word. You don't even have faith within what Christ taught. Well, a few people do. And unfortunately, many of them are mentally unstable people. Christian identity, and I suppose many facets of white nationalism, all attract an unsavory element, unfortunately. So while many of the most prolific writers and most intelligent men of our time have all been considered quote-unquote racist, so also do we have a few of these nut bars who come into the fold. And all they do is spend their time attacking the genuine. What do they care? What do they care what a person's hair color is if that person is accepted of Yahweh God? What do they care if they're olive-complected if that person is truly white? These people spend all their time saying they're not white because they're not white. That's the whole point. And Christ taught it. It is the leaven of the Pharisees. Hypocrisy. They don't enter into the kingdom, so they keep other people out. They sit in Moses' seat teaching the law while they conspire to murder Christ. Go figure. But hypocrisy, that is the leaven that we cannot allow in our camp and we cannot allow in our apple barrel. Why? A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Verse 10. Verse 11. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. Understand it. Many people want you to believe that if you go down, accept an altar call, say, hey, I opened my heart to Jesus Christ, that your life will suddenly be a bed of roses, and you'll never have problems again. The reality is the opposite of that is true. 
Jesus Christ said, whosoever does not pick up his cross to follow after me is not worthy to be my disciple. What is a cross but an implement to die upon, to be tortured upon? And that is the mentality that you must have as a Christian if you want to be accepted by him. You must be willing to die for Christ. Men who trouble the Zadok, the elect, those who are judged acceptable and clean in Yahweh God's eyes, will be judged. And Paul says, if I preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? The Jews were giving him the persecution. In the book of Acts, Paul says, from the Jews I receive 40 stripes, save one. 39 lashes across his back for preaching that Jesus Christ was real, was literal, only to have bastards like Shane Davis come along and say, well, I don't trust Paul. Don't figure. Re-crucify Christ all over again, you ignoramus. But that is the way of it. Why? Because they're offended by the cross, and Paul confirms it. Then, and only then, will the offense of the cross be ceased. Because to the Jew, it's offensive. The Jew wants to think that they can make their own salvation and work out their own salvation through the law. The law, A, that was never given to them, except maybe through Esau. And B, the law they themselves don't follow because they know not the Torah. They follow the Talmud. So, do not follow into this BS belief that the Jews are God's chosen. Because like Rabbi Samuelson being sued by the city of Granby, Missouri, Scripture straightforwardly says that the Jew is contrary to all men. What does that mean? First and foremost, if you're going along saying the Jews are God's chosen, then you're not a man at all. You're a punk. And on top of that, they are contrary to all men. Any Adamic man who has the breath of life within him will consider the Jew to be offensive, filthy, and contrary. Why? Because they live that way. Why? Because they have a fixation on pedophilia, scat, and so many other things. And perhaps in the future I'll bring a study on the teachings of the Talmud concerning pedophilia. Because Rabbi Samuelson was quoting it, going along saying, Hey, you know what? Pediastry or pedophilia with a five-year-old boy is okay. So I wonder where he gets that from. Perhaps he gets it from the Jews' literature. Verse 12 in Galatians chapter 5. I would that they were even cut off which trouble you. For, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but to love and serve one another. That's the point. Don't think that because you know this law of God that you can sin a little bit more than anyone else and get by on it. In fact, quite the opposite is true. The way of the false prophet is to come along just like the just like the devil did Eve, all the way back in the garden and say, Yehoth, God said, casting doubt on the fallibility or the infallibility of Yahweh's word to make you think that he didn't mean what he meant. And so Paul's saying here, don't mistake your liberty. Don't use your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness to go out and sin and think that you're somehow special. What is sin again, dear kinsfolk, according to the first epistle of John, a transgression of the law? Paul's saying, don't use your liberty in the grace of Jesus Christ to go out and violate the law. So Paul, once again, we see, is pronomian, pro-law. Why shouldn't he be? He was only a Pharisee who taught the law. Naturally, he would be pronomian and pro-Jesus Christ. But don't, if you're called under liberty, use your liberty for the occasion to the flesh. Verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as yourself. This word neighbor is plerio in the Greek, and it means race. 
And while the Judeo-Christian has a problem with that statement, Paul is straightforwardly confirming exactly what Jesus Christ taught. The law. All of it. It doesn't matter if you eat pork. It doesn't matter if you refuse to sleep with menstruous women. It doesn't matter if you worship on the seventh day as opposed to the first. If, and that's a big if, you don't love your neighbor as yourself. Now, every one of us down here love ourselves. That's hardwired within us. In fact, most people love themselves more than the person down the street. But Jesus Christ did not. He put others in front of self. He wasn't self-aggrandizing. He didn't have a huge ego that needed to be stroked. Rather, he did all things in love, and he laid down his life for his neighbor. He died for his race, for his bride, for his people. So also are we to do the same thing. Why? Because the entire law is fulfilled in this one word. Love, that's the one word. So beware of those who come along and say, hate, 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 hate. They only hate themselves. And when you look at the way they live in squalor with 500-pound Eskimo abominations, you know, climbing on top of them every night, I hate myself too. But even if you do, be angry and sin not. That is a command from Yahweh God. Whatever happens, it is not your place to give occasion to the adversary, to the devil. And the devil wants you to do that because it will draw you aside from understanding a very simple statement. Love your neighbor race as yourself. How hard is that? But every one of us worries about self first and foremost. When we go to work, well, we hope the other guy's fired, not us. When we go and times are hard and we're being hit in the pocketbook, well, we hope there's enough food for us. But it doesn't matter about the rest. That is a mistake that we can make. Do not make it, dear kinsfolk. Lay down your life for your kinsfolk. Love one another. That's a commandment, I might add, but moving on. Paul says this in verse 16 of Galatians 5. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Stopping right there. How can you not fulfill?